if you want to win in fantasy football and especially best ball and especially early best ball tournaments and dynasty and really any form of fantasy football, you better understand the rookies. So today, myself, Eric Bonfort and Pat Crane are bringing you another episode of Legendary Sickos, a Spike Week and Legendary Upside collaboration where we're breaking down everything you need to know about the 2024 fantasy football rookie class. Let's do it. All right, Pat, we've had a, a, a little break from our, our legendary sickos here, but um, perfect time, I think, to come back, back together for the people. A, you, uh, I learned from you and your team a ton about Dynasty, and you guys have been putting out some awesome content on this rookie class and just kind of Dynasty rankings and everything as a whole. But also, right now has become the craziest uh time in the fantasy football calendar to me where it used to be just like dynasty and like us idiots who loved the draft when we were younger because of madden or whatever right like we 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 loved this time now there are best ball tournaments out there with millions literally millions of dollars in prizes multiple sites having having all of these tournaments and so the rookie stuff breaking down rookies is so like not just beneficial not just helpful it's kind of table stakes now in any format of of fantasy football and we have ways that we can honestly make money and get our money in good even in february drafts for this sport that's you know happening over the fall and and the winter and i think specifically i'm excited to talk to you about which we'll get into here in a second is We kind of have different approaches to how we think about things from a rookie like evaluation or just the things that we're looking for that maybe the data that we look at and all that. But then we'll get we'll fast forward to the summer and like we end up kind of being in a similar headspace on a lot of different stuff. So I find that process really fascinating because it creates this conversation where we might actually disagree a bunch on a lot of different things. But the collect like kind of the collection of all the thoughts and the information can can I think steer you into into the right direction and I do think kind of the past and if people go back and listen to last summer's episodes they would probably agree that we were really hitting in the right direction on everything that kind of played out in 2023 from a rookie perspective from a young player perspective and just from how we should think about this game and it's really applicable right now to these rookies yeah it's I mean it's kind of first of all it's just kind of funny to be like here's everything you need to know about the rookie class on February 16th before the <laughs> over a week away from the combine um but this is what you know best ball has really done where you know yeah it used to be a time where you know you just kind of take pride in the quiet you know reflection of the rookie class like I'm yeah. I'm thinking about this no one else is thinking about this but now you you do have to think about it because what best ball keeps teaching us I think is that rookies remain undervalued and I think specifically wide receivers really remain undervalued. Late round rookie wide receivers continue to be one of the key ways that you can set yourself up for success in the in the playoffs. And the current best ball tournament on underdog is, you know, it's an easier to advance through the playoffs, but I believe it's one out of 10 for two straight weeks and then a fairly large final. So we need to be peaking 
a year from now, <laughs> we need to, we need we need for drafting teams that are going to be peaking like in a, almost a full calendar year. So uh, <laughs> you almost like it's kind of crazy, but it you know your twentieth round pick that guy doesn't play until like week ten, like good, you know, like maybe he that means he didn't you know get hurt, didn't suffer from all the chaos that's going to occur from now till then. If you're getting guys who are actually ju- just almost like just there for the playoffs with 19th and 20th round picks, picks we normally don't have. That's almost like an advantage. So, or maybe it is an advantage. Um, so I think the the rookies, that's probably like the biggest reason to really have a good understanding of this rookie class. But um, I say that in part because this particular class is so strong at, and deep at wide receiver. And that's, I think, getting those lotto tickets right or mixing up the bets enough so that you you know you land on some of the right answer even if you can't hit it 100% is going to be really key i think uh i totally agree we'll get into this wide receiver class i found myself ranking or thinking about some of the what i would call fringier wide receiver prospects in this class specifically and having to take a step back and be like my god i would be drafting this guy on every team like three years ago or what you know i'm just making up a a different a different class there are guys here that i'm like "Mm, i don't really like (laughs) i don't really like but it's because of the strength of like there are ancillary players players that i expect that are not going to get very strong draft capital that i find like really really appealing um it's like i said we'll get we'll get to all that just quickly, I wanted to to hit on, obviously, we're leading into, if you're listening to this and you have listened to this before, you get it. You understand where we're com- coming from. Um, obviously, Pat does, covers fantasy football across the entire spectrum, whereas Spike Week, we are really focused entirely on the best ball space. So this is going to be framed largely through the best ball lens. And everything I specifically am saying, Pat may add a little flavor that helps you from a dynasty perspective or something. Um, I do participate in dynasty leagues, and, and there are players that I like uh, here you know, in this class specific to dynasty a little more so than best ball, but where I'm going to be coming from is uh, my entire goal is to find exactly what Pat just outlined. Like I want guys that are going to be contributing this year, specifically contributing in those money weeks. Right. And so there are guys who I may even find really appealing, uh, but they may not be targets for me in best ball drafts specifically, which is a very different thing. And I think very important actually to outline. It seems like there's not that much difference or it seems even if there is, everyone understands it, but not, not so much. Uh, and we'll talk about one quarterback in uh, specifically. I think that's getting a good amount of hype that I'm just completely not interested in. Um, and it has a little bit to do with that best ball versus dynasty mm-hmm. uh, um, frame. Uh, go ahead. Well, yeah, I would just say if you're curious for the dynasty stuff, I just did uh, like a two hour podcast with Davis Maddock and Jacob Sanderson yesterday, dynasty deep dive. I also talked with Connor Rogers a couple days ago. It's kind of a more if you're into brevity, that that would be that's like a 45 minute pod. <laughs> so the, we won't we won't have you covered there. This is going to be a deeper dive. This is the deep dive best ball specific rookie pod. But I do think you know other people are probably like Jesus. How many episodes is Pat going to record talking about these uh, rookies? <laughs> a lot more. But I do. Uh, yeah, more. I hope, you, I, I hope you didn't think that this was the end because we got not a lot of different subjects to talk about, and the rookies are one of the things that are at least fun and and new and fresh. But I legitimately do believe that like the differences between all of these games are underappreciated by like. And For at sure. the end of the day, we're playing this because we're trying to beat other people. Like it's fun. It's a hobby. 
all of that. Just like, like I enjoy it. I wouldn't do it if I didn't enjoy it. But at the end of the day, I'm also doing it because like there's money <laughs> at stake. I can win money, life-changing money. Pat has obviously won life-changing money. And that's the whole goal here. And so thinking about the, the just how different the rules are in these games, like yeah. you just outlined like the advancement structure stuff and like how much more impactful week 17 is like that is so different from a how good a player needs to be to win. Yes. Money. I think yes. it's one of the key, probably the key difference between best ball and dynasty is like Taekwon Thornton won me money. Okay. <laughs> That's You don't need the player to be, obviously you'd rather have gotten Puka, you know, Puka's, Puka's the the goal, but you don't need to find Puka in best ball. If you find Puka in dynasty, although the money, there's just no dynasty leagues that pay out as much as best ball leagues, but the <laughs> win from the you know money aside, the format specific win is a lot bigger to get Puka. You keep Puka forever. Like you, you have Puka now. Like you can for free you got this guy who's you know one of the the most coveted assets in the league now so uh it's you know the down and the downside if you if you draft cedric tillman in best ball who who cares like yeah it hurts and maybe it's on a, a team that really could have used puka and you have Tillman. <laughs> but you know the from the format perspective it's just one year you move on so i think it's it makes more sense to to spread out your bets, especially late, and not get overly concerned about the talent eval in best ball. Although we should, we certainly are going to have a lot of talent-based takes. Um, I totally, totally agree. I think uh, the Cedric Tillman one is more so tilting in the fact that if you were the guy that drafted David Bell, uh, like I was, uh, <laughs> multiple years ago, and then you're like, okay, now I know David Bell stinks, yeah, so I can move either. on. So I can move on to the next guy. This is it. I found the next guy. And then you get to week 17 and David Bell has has taken over the job from Cedric Tillman after they cleared the runway for Cedric Tillman by getting rid of Donovan Peoples-Jones. But that's a great example of how silly this whole game is, but also I think um, how fun it is. What you mentioned, so, so true about like, so Puka was obviously a win. He was a win in week 17. He was a win uh, all, all the way around. But like you said, in dynasty or like even non-dynasty, like a keeper league. Yeah. The value keeper, yeah. of landing that guy is so like extraordinary. There is nothing like it, really. There is no format where like DFS, when I play that 3K value guy, I don't get to keep him next week for $3,000. Right. You know, I don't get to do that. Best ball at A. I'm probably drafting multiple teams, not even just like, like I don't get to keep them on that team. Like I may not get them in the next draft, right? I'm drafting like right. you and I are drafting right. hundreds or into four figures of, of drafts. Even if that's a priority, he's not on every single team. There's so many nuances to it, but yeah, I, that's the thing in dynasty you can trade. So you can yeah. actually get like you, you get sniped and then you go to the guy who sniped you. And you're like, hey, what if, what if you didn't snipe me? Yes. Best I mean, it's just like, very, it's so different. Yeah, like I, I will never forget. Um, I had a pretty good team in the drafters, like they're I think they call it the high roller or whatever. It's like a two hundred fifty dollar entry, so kind of like their big dog or whatever from uh, from underdog. And I was in first for much of the season, but I specifically remember that draft because it was only like a three entry max or something. So you can kind of remember those teams a little bit better. And I got sniped on Kyron 
and somebody else. I had Puka on that team, but mm-hmm. I like we had reached the point in the summer where it was this was my whole draft strategy was I'm taking Kyron and the Rams guys in every single draft. Like most of my drafts, the last three picks were like Kyron, Puka, and Tutu. I'm like, okay, 67% works. Hey, know. that's a good hit right, man. Hey, we'll but 67% care. are studs. That's <laughs> yeah, pretty good. Yeah. Our first round picks, literally our first <laughs> yeah, round picks. Yeah, yeah, first round picks. I'll take and it. then I I draft one of my best teams in all of of best ball, oh, but man. I got sniped on. You know, all along the way, like my best running backs were I had H so on the team, but you know, like Alexander Madison, like I, uh, you know, I took a falling Madison, and it was like I'm using his score <laughs> every single week. But that's an example of like I love that guy. Kyron Williams ended up being my highest owned player in in best ball and you still can't get him in every draft and like you said i can't trade for him there's nothing there's nothing i can do but i have him in a keeper league not a dynasty league but along one keeper league you can keep each player for that one year at the cost you acquired them at at the draft and so we got kyron for one (laughs) dollar and the value of that especially for like zero rb bros right we draft with kind of some boomerish people who love their running backs so we are very heavy on the wide receivers and and such now the power of kyron on that in that kind of league with that kind of draft strategy is just like so massive whereas that guy can be amazing and we see this all the time in best ball that you can be right about that rookie and if they're not great in weeks 15 16 and 17 particularly week 17 it's like it's not that it doesn't matter because it does it absolutely matters, right? You got to get there. We all agree on all that kind of stuff. But you have multiple ways to win with those rookies in best ball versus there's kind of really one slash two ways to win from a dynasty. And, you know, the, the yeah. player value, of course, it's is the- impactful. But it's it's a, it's so it's so distinctly different that um, that's why I really wanted to have this conversation just because of how different it is. It's that it's one slate. You know, and that that's the big thing. It's that it's one slate. It's a and you know, you need the guy to show up for the fantasy playoffs. And like Tank Dell didn't show up for the fantasy playoffs, but he was an absolute smash. I mean, if you were mm-hmm. on Tank Dell, there's universes where you won. You know, like he he's the guy. Like he was kind of just as much as Puka, the guy to have been on this past summer. And yeah, in the universe we live in, he got hurt and didn't do anything. But if we run this slate back a bunch of times, you know, you feel really good about having been on Tank Dell. And you feel really good about having been on Tank Dell in other formats because Tank Dell has also skyrocketed in price. But yeah, in best ball, I mean, I think that's one of the, it kind of gets back to the exposure argument in general. It's like, you know, there's some the risk tolerance matters here and just the chaotic nature of this league makes being right harder or like you you can be right and still not get paid off because like a random injury in the wrong weeks ruins it so i think especially this far out it's just another reason to be like like i'm actually using best ball to get a little bit more exposure to players i don't like uh in dynasty the players I'm least confident in in Dynasty from a talent eval that I think will get draft capital, especially if I'm like really sure they're getting draft capital. I'm having trouble actually drafting them, but I'm telling myself yep. to draft them because, and I think drafting them is sharp. And if you're like less opinionated about these guys, I would 
I'm, you know, they're, they're above ADP in my ranks. So, you know, I'm, and I'm trying, I'm trying hard to practice what I preach. Um, but I think, you know, thinking about like getting good closing line value on some of these guys who are very likely to get good draft capital, maybe landing in great landing spots. Like, I don't think this is a time or a format to be like making like really hard stands of like, ah, I think this guy stinks. I'm out. I, that's a, it's okay to do. But I would say the best time to do that would be like late in the summer if this if the price is like just gotten out of control because of additional information like landing spot and, you know, mm. training camp hype. And you're just like, I'm just not buying this. You know, this guy is is really overpriced. Um, as I look at the rookies now, I actually struggle to see any that are like egregiously overpriced. Um I think in, in retrospect, some will look like oh, silly yeah. picks. But mm -hmm. as you're building out a portfolio and you want exposure to a really interesting class, especially wide receiver, you know, I do I do want to be mixing guys in. Um, and again, it is a really interesting class because I said no one's egregiously overpriced and we have a wide rookie wide receiver going in the middle of the second round. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That is that is and uh the the flip side where, where I agree no one is overpriced, but the market has decided, and I don't. Want I to think some people are a little overpriced. Uh, yes, yes. Yeah. I, I mean, we'll talk. We'll, we'll 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 address some of these individual players because I'm the same thing as you. I agree with absolutely everything you said, and yet there's a couple of guys who I have drafted zero times, and I I I can't I can't do it. I can't like I I, I just physically can't do it because I, I, I and I'm not I'm probably not going to like max all these early tournaments. I'm going to draft more than I have historically because I do think that the edge is quite yeah. pronounced. But uh, I'm. I don't think I'm going to max the little board. <laughs> I don't. I don't want. I. I don't also want it, to. It's that fine line of I don't want to be so overconfident in something I shouldn't be overconfident in, which is like like I, I just believe the rookies are the edge. It's not like only five of them are the edge. So I should I should have more you know of my exposure spread out to the whole cohort cohort that I think is the winners. But I also think that there are edges in like. Even if the NFL disagrees with me, I believe that there are edges, right? So, like, I, I look back to Kadarius Tony as an example, or I mean, we'll go back to I'll date, start dating myself, but like, remember the Christian Ponder quarterback draft class, like that yeah. kind of stuff, where I was just like, this is egregious, you know, like Kadarius Tony as a first round. I was, this is egregious, Clyde Edwards Alaire, this is egregious, like, and I've, I've, I've mostly fallen for then I've been, I, I've, I've been like, all right, the NFL knows something that I don't know. I'm going to give into it a little bit. And sometimes I don't think that that's necessarily wrong, but also I'm trying, like I said, I'm trying to toe this line between um, not necessarily, I know better, but kind of, I know better just being like the NFL is imperfect as well. And they for fall, sure. they, yeah. they fall for things that uh, I don't think are, are necessarily the right things to fall for. Certainly at the quarterback position, but as well at the, at the wide receiver position, right? The, the size, speed, uh big play type stuff fancy type stuff you got one of those yeah. yes 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 we do <laughs> uh and they don't necessarily right the tank dells fall in drafts in the nfl yeah. circles as well yeah and the nfl whiffs as the whole nfl whiffs right the Texans. yeah the nfl whiffed on puka yeah I mean, the NFL has first round pick 
I mean, Ky- Kyron Williams was one of my favorite running backs coming into his class. This is uh, part of the reason why I got like I still believe in this whole like thing that we're doing today, kind of breaking down these rookies. Is because I do this every single year, and I was actually like I, I, before in the big board that year, I drafted a bunch of Kyron, and you talked about the, how prices are going to look silly in hindsight. He was going in like the twelfth round of the big board. He was wow. like a you know a top top six or seven running back in his class. Or I'm just I don't throwing out a number, but obviously like no running backs go before that. And then <laughs> no rookies, Jonathan Brooks, you know, being kind of the highest rookie right now off a torn ACL. Kyron went, you know, around where those guys go back then, clearly after the combine and everything that looked ridiculous because he ran uh, about a 40 that I would run right now at the combine. And he wasn't very big <laughs> and it was all nice here. So, so I, I was also, I, I was moderately into Kyron post draft. I like in the way that I, I took him in like, you know, deep dynasty rosters. I would grab him in the fourth round or something. I, yep. And then I, you know, I got back in last year, but because of the training camp hype, not yep. because of player eval necessarily. But, and I'm like, I am not uh, a film scout by any means but i do watch these guys and i, I would kind of like just take like little notes on them mm-hmm. and so here's my note from 2022 on cairo yeah. philip Lindsay with pedigree slash well the pedigree obviously didn't come into play slash if ceh was good <laughs> that's a good one that's a really <laughs> good that 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 is that's a really good one. Um, we'll get we'll pedigree get part. He ended up being just Philip Lindsay, <laughs> literally Philip Lindsay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, Philip Lindsay was more relevant early in his NFL career, as a matter of fact. So Philip Lindsay right. developed more pedigree quickly in the yeah, NFL than well, then than then pedigree. the lack of pedigree hurt. Uh, yeah. He, then it, 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 they, 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 their their career arcs are quite funny. One you know one at a small right. school, one at Notre Dame, both insanely productive, and then yeah, they come in the NFL the opposite of how you would think. Right. Smaller school, tiny little guy pops immediately. And the big school Notre Dame guy with crazy production does nothing and then becomes a first round pick. Wild. Yeah. Wild how that worked. But we'll we'll get into to all that. But kind of a good segue into I know we're intro 20 minutes in, but kind of the intro to the players. I just briefly wanted to talk about like how like. I get this question sometimes, or I see people talking about this where they're like, I'm really interested in kind of the rookies, um, you know, and, and digging into whether it is the data or film or whatever, uh, some form of evaluation of these players. But like, how do you decide what you care about? Like, how do you, are you yeah. grinding all 22 film, no. you know, of, of that kind of stuff? And everybody has a different answer. And this is what I love about this part is that, there is no right or wrong way to evaluate uh, these players. I have my preference. You have your preference. Tons of other smart people out there have their preferences. But I've kind of honed in on something over the course of the last few years, really tried to be critical of my own process and find out where I thought my flaws were. And I think I've built, I've actually started to simplify and simplify and simplify as opposed to I was continually adding things uh, over the course of of years um, trying to gather more information <clears throat> and what it did was, uh, I think this happens a lot to a lot of people, but it definitely happened to me. It's kind of uh, paralysis, uh, by analysis type of a mm-hmm. situation where mm-hmm. there is so much data out there. There's so many smart people. Uh, there's so many people grinding film. There's so many people slicing and dicing the data. So it's one thing to just have the data, but then you like, I- I'm looking at Twitter, right? We all follow a lot of the same people, <clears throat> you know, and it's, EPA for the quarterbacks on their first read, depending upon what quadrant in the field. 
the ball is right. being thrown to. Right. And it's like, that's interesting. It's cool to look at, but I would find myself being like, Oh my God, you know, this guy can't throw short left and he, all his, you know, all his EPA is middle deep. And it's like, like, Oh yeah. Well, really... guess what? He's also 240 pounds and he runs a lot. Okay. Stop fading Anthony Richardson. <laughs> yes, it doesn't matter. Exactly. He can't show short left. He's going to run short left. Yes, exactly. This is all right. This is the kind of stuff. Or remember Justin Fields, the conversations about Justin Fields being like, he's, he's huge. He's fast as hell, but he doesn't run. It was the whole conversation yeah. was like, this is he, you're you're drafting him like he's a runner, but he doesn't run. And it was just like, yeah, but he's 6'4, 240 and runs a 4'3. Like, I think he'll run enough in the well, NFL. That, it's the, just, the field one's interesting because he he almost ran because he sort of flopped. Like it, it was yeah. like um it was an interesting thing where the size and the athleticism and the mobility, but not a pure runner. He had an out to a pure runner if he wasn't good enough as a passer. But there, you know, if he was a better passer, he would be more of like a Josh Allen, and yeah. then we'd be psyched <clears throat> too. So uh, yeah, I was I was not high enough on Fields coming out, even though Fields hasn't hit in the biggest way. Um, is, I think in retrospect, just just clearly not high enough on him coming out. Yeah, I think so, and I think. All these are just specific. Like, I don't actually really care about Justin Fields. I don't care about, right? I don't care about the specifics. But what for my process, and I've written a little bit about this, and I would recommend anybody um, go to spikeweek.com and read a couple in particular articles. That There's one that I would probably phrase as my main kind of synopsis of how I'm viewing really all player evaluation, but specifically rookies. And I, I kind of frame it as the money ball approach. Right. So <clears throat> anybody that's seen them, of course, the book is, is the, I would read the book as well. But the movie, uh, you know, with Brad Pitt and, and Jonah Hill, <clears throat> Brad Pitt's playing Billy Bean, the GM of the Oakland A's. And they're in the off. They're at this point of the season like we are right now. And they're the Oakland Athletics. They are the poorest team in all of baseball. And they stumbled their way into a really good team the year before. They had Jason Giambi, the runner up for the MVP, one of the best hitters in baseball. But of course, when you're poor, you can't afford to pay Jason Giambi because the Yankees are coming to town and they're going to scoop up Jason Giambi, right? So they're sitting around their table like Pat and I are, and they got all their scouts in there and they're trying to figure out like, you know, how do we replace Giambi? You know, and they give up, they have a payroll of like 30 million and Giambi was going to like make more than that <laughs> himself. You know, like you can't, right? You can't replace it. And all the scouts are talking about like all these guys, right? His swing, you know, and his swing plane, and his size and how he, you know, how he looks in the weight room and like his, you know, what he's thinking about when he's at the plate and where, you know, who his dad is and all this bullshit. Right. And they get down to it. And, and Billy Bean, Brad, Brad Pitt just says, you know, like, I don't care about it. Like, I don't care about any of these guys. I don't care about any of this that you're talking about. And he brings up Jeremy Giambi, Jason's brother and the whole, all the scouts in the room are just like, Oh my, you can't be serious. Right. They're like, they're like, he's known, he loves Vegas, man. They're like, he loves to go party in Vegas. And they're like, he's gotten in some trouble often. He likes to, you know, he likes to, you know, have a little fun. They're like, I think he's getting a little, you know, a little extra pounds in the waist or whatever. And he's like, I don't care. Do you, do you know why I don't care? And that's he points to Jonah Hill and Jonah Hill says he gets on base. Right. And he's like, all we give a shit about is that you get on base. I don't I don't care that you gained a couple pounds in your waist, right? They bring up other guys, right? 
I don't care. I don't care. He's gotten older. I don't care about this. Does he get on base? All the other shit. It's not that it doesn't matter. And this is what I felt about prospect, right? It's not that it doesn't matter that Anthony Richardson can't complete a swing pass to his left. It matters. It's just, right. I don't have any idea conceptually for the game we're playing, which is best ball here or, or dynasty or whatever. I don't have any way to understand how much all of the intangible stuff or the like really minuscule slicing of small sample data. Like I don't have any idea how much that matters. What I do know is at the end of the day, if I can determine he can get on base, AKA he can play, right? Yeah. We yeah. found out that tank Dell can play. It does tank not Dell matter that he's five foot nine and 160 pounds. Doesn't matter because he can play football, right? It doesn't matter that Kyron Williams runs a four, eight 40 because the team trusts him to do all to get on the field and earn all of that work. He can play, he gets on base. And so it, the hard part is of course, determining what is the definition of getting on base. Right. That's, that's, that's the very most difficult part, but I want to, I, I am constantly reminding myself, right. We'll talk about some of these guys, the, uh, the, the JJ McCarthy's and the Keon Coleman's and the, and the, the AD Mitchell's. And so we'll talk about those guys because it's like when I can't look, I see, Big, fast, makes big plays, you know, can McCarthy can run, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, yeah, but like he has never gotten on base. <laughs> in, in college. You, know, you know what I mean? And so like you can tell me all the other stuff and it may matter and he may be great. He may be the next Josh Allen that sucked ass in college, but I don't want to bet on the guys who've never gotten on base to all of a sudden get on base in the NFL at the highest level. That's when you're going to turn it on. That's the toughest thing for me. And so that's just like where I come from, right? Um, from, a, from a line of thinking, like if you can't yeah, to like some that. certain extent kind of dominate the college game, yeah, how are you going to do it in the NFL is like generally where I'm coming from. And, and I like to use the he gets on base type of technology like that. because it clicks for me. Quickly, because we gotta we gotta start talking to these rookies. But I'm, <laughs> I'll say I'll say a couple things on kind of my process stuff. One so one thing I find really helpful is to tier these guys. And so not to get like so caught up, like, cause I I'll get caught up in the weeds on, on various things, but then ultimately producing an end product. That's like a tier and I'll, I'll tier them generally kind of from a dynasty perspective. And then I'll translate that into to best ball terms. But like this guy's an early first round quality rookie pick this guy's like the kind of a locked in 101 level rookie pick this guy's a late first this guy's a second this guy's a third right like that's how i tear these guys out and or you know he's a flyer or a fourth round pick depending on how deep i want to go and i think that 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 tier um really helps you like avoid making kind of like overly uh aggressive stances between guys who are pretty close in your eval the other thing sometimes i'll like fiddle with the inputs a little bit be like what if this guy was a third round pick instead of a fourth round pick does that like like drastically affect my eval on this guy because it probably shouldn't but but when you're looking at the stats a lot like i am certain things like that you know it, the third round picks have really outperformed the fourth round picks and so it looks like there's this massive difference but there probably is not i mean there's not that much of a difference, you know, between a couple picks in the NFL draft, right? So there's 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 some, but maybe not as much as the history might might tell you. So I I'll kind of like mess with that and try to be like a little bit more open minded than 
you know, if I'm crunching the numbers, that that's there's nothing open minded about about um, you know model outputs. So so I try I try to kind of bring some of that to it. The other thing I would say is like if you're not a big college football guy, and you're much more of a college football guy than me, Eric, but if you're listening, you're not really that much of a college football guy. I'm team go watch the highlights. You know, I think there's like a big. I agree. Uh, you know, like it, there's a lot of dare I say a little snootiness in the community about about highlights versus you know all 22. You got to sit down. You got to grind the all 22. If you're not watching the two yard runs, are you even <laughs> watching tape? No, don't watch the two yard runs. I don't care. I have limited time. I want to see what this guy does well, right? I want to see because and honestly, like sometimes you're watching the highlights and you're like. I would feel better if this was the L22 and and not yeah. <laughs> not not selected plays designed to make me like this guy because I'm having trouble getting on board. Sounds like um, this whole running back class. That's what you yeah, go, yeah. go watch the highlights on this running back class. And you're like, Jesus, he is slow. How did he have 1,400 yards? Like, I know, what I just, is happening? <laughs> I heard uh, Jalen Wright. Someone was talking about Jalen Wright, and I was like, Oh, I need to I need to uh, dive into him a bit more. And then, um. The first, like, on the highlights, he like ran into like his blocker at the goal line. It was like the second play. I was like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Maybe there's a reason this guy doesn't pop at all for me statistically. Um, yeah, the running, <laughs> but I think you want to be able to familiarize yourself with the archetype of player. Like, if you're not going to grind the tape, I, I don't grind the tape, so I don't, I don't see why you should have to. You, you certainly, if you want to, I mean, I think there's value, but it's a, it's, you know, it's time consuming. So I would, uh, you know, I would say getting the highlights, it, first of all, it's fun to watch the highlights. Um, I would recommend, there's the one where it's like, uh, I think it's sick edits where they, they like tend to do like the catch and then like they show the catch from the other angle and then like mm -hmm. shows like the guy walking on the sideline. Like that's not what I'm, uh, those aren't my favorite. I want like no, the It doesn't need play. to be a movie trailer. Yeah. I don't, don't give me a movie, a movie trailer. trailer. <laughs> yeah. I want the full play. I want to act like, you know, I'm like, I'm watching the highlights of this guy's season as if I'm notes, watching football. Not a trailer. I want spark. Yes. Notes. Spark yeah. notes, not a trailer. Yeah. So some, <laughs> some are better than others, but, but I mean, I think it's important to understand, like, you know, you watch Troy Franklin and they're like, man, this guy's, this guy's going to excel. He accelerates really well. He's going to test well. He's got really nice long speed. So I, I think combine might be helpful, except I've, he looks very, very skinny. He looks really skinny. I hope so he's that's, been lifting. I hope he's been lifting. I hope you've I'm been eating. lifting, bro. Yeah. So that's that gives you, you know, I think it also informs you like, okay, what are we what are we betting on if we're taking this guy now? We're betting that he crushes the combine because he's super fast and then he shows up, you know, heavier than 179. Um, <laughs> we, we need him at least in the 180s, ideally like 190, please. Um but, you know, also maybe you're just like, I'm out on this. I, I get that he's fast and I get that he's productive and I get that he's an underclassman, but this dude's a, a really skinny guy. And I think maybe that's going to take a couple years to to develop and maybe he's not the best basketball pick. So anyway, I think getting some getting some context of like what these guys actually look like when they're playing is important, even if you're not going to grind the tape. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. I mean, the gatekeeping around what you have to do to evaluate stuff is all it's, it's all silly uh, from, from all angles. I am pro pull in whatever information you prefer. You can absolutely glean things from the highlights. You do not need to go in. Like you said, yeah, I don't have fun need to watch. I don't, yes. 
I'm having fun and I'm trying to do this for a living. So if you're just doing yeah. this as a hobby, I think it's okay for you to have fun. But I don't need how, to see how a dare bunch you. of yeah. You can't even sorry. see all the players on the field. What do you yeah, know? Ex- yeah, what do you know? Uh, uh, I don't care about you know those four two-yard Kamani Vidal runs against Southern Miss. <laughs> like that's not gonna change my evaluation here. But when I see his highlight and I'm like, which guy am I watching? Like whose highlight is this? Yeah, you know, like that. Those kinds of things do become concerning, and it sounds really like silly, but it is. Like, go watch. Like seriously, go watch the Troy Franklin highlights, and you're like, Jesus! <laughs> like this dude is making plays. He's run. He yeah. looks like he's playing a different sport than these other guys. And despite the fact that he is frail, he does make plays all over the field. He does play inside. And this is more data, right? He does play inside enough, like twenty percent. He moves around a little bit. He wasn't just this stationary boundary guy running flat, running go routes, Martin Mims, uh, all the time, right? He was moving around, making plays. Does he have concerns? Sure, but you can see, like you said, like dude, watch a three-minute highlight tape of Troy Franklin. You have an idea of the archetype player that he is. Yes, yes. You, you want to get you want to get deeper, get deeper. But I don't. I, the data can tell you can kind of fill in the gaps then for you from, from that point on, if you don't want to do anything more than that, yeah. I, I don't see, I don't see anything wrong with that. And, and, you know, like the other thing is that we, you know, listen to other people. And, um, and one thing on the highlights is that we are looking for these guys to be performing at their best. You know, we yes. want to know when this guy's crushing, what does it, what does it look like? What does he do? Well, I do think, you know, that is going to create some holes for you, but like, you know, Jacob Sanderson was on the pod yesterday and he was talking about, how he actually is a little bit worried about Jonathan Brooks at the goal line. Cause when he watched, when he actually did do a, a tape study on him, he, he, you know, was seeing him get stuffed at the goal line. He's not the biggest guy. Um, he was going to, he's kind of taking, he's listed at two Oh seven. He was taking the under there <clears throat> on the weight. Um, and I, I think that's helpful for me, mm-hmm. you know, like I'm like, Oh yeah, that's, that's kind of going to be a blind spot that I have on Jonathan Brooks. Cause I wasn't watching him get stuffed at the goal line. Right. Um, so just be aware of like, you know, the blind spots you're creating if you have a process that's not literally, I mean, because like if you, you can go Dane Brugler, like Dane Brugler goes like year round, like he's as soon as he finishes the beast, which will be out, I think pretty soon, he's mm-hmm. going to start the next beast. Like this dude is like, that's all he does. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's, there's literally, you know, the kind of endless time that you can put into this. Um, but we all have limited time and we were doing, you know, primarily NFL analysis. So, you know, you got to I think you almost have to you almost have to create blind spots unless you're going to just like make this your whole thing. Um, but, you know, you're you can just read Dane stuff and and have your own blind spots in 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 your process. And and that's the other thing exactly to to uh, close that out and segue into the quarterbacks. It's like understanding, like, why did why did I develop this this? money ball process that i have is a i have limited time uh i can't i can't even i right can't grind the tape of every single but dane brugler probably has guys where he's like i wish i could have had a little bit more like i wish i could have done this a little bit and and Mm. he's like you said every waking fiber turns out like he finds out these guys were like you know champion skiers in high school and stuff like he goes so he knows what he knows what the sixth round pick ate at you know, fifth grade lunch or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Like it's insane. And he probably big chip, has, which guy, 
Yeah, exactly. He loved that crappy pizza, you know, the really flat, <laughs> yeah. uh, that looked like a flatbread, but it was really, really disgusting. It's a red flag. Uh, elementary school. Yeah, exactly. The kid liked that. So he was like, uh, we're moving him from a fifth rounder to a seventh rounder. But like, <laughs> he knows all that. And he still probably feels like, God, there's some things I wish I could have gotten more, but you just run out of time. So think about that for us. And think about that if you're listening to this. So like, for me, I'm focusing in, I know I'm never going to get to everything. I'm trying to focus in on the things that I think are the most impactful that can that can help me find the players who do become that guy that are changing my life yeah. in best ball yeah. drafts, right? And that there are guys that I'm gonna draft from a dynasty lens that I'm probably not gonna draft in best ball, and vice versa. I'll draft some guys from a best ball perspective that, like, I don't know, they're okay in in dynasty, but I'm much more attracted to a different archetype of a player in in dynasty or whatever, right? It's all it's all very different, and so. Um, so one other that, thing. I just yeah. came out, and I think this is important with the post Chiron in the in the Chiron discourse. Um, athleticism, athleticism is something that we're going to start to pay a lot of attention to with the combine and everything. Mm. Athleticism is a reason to be, you know, skeptical of guys with great production because you know maybe maybe it's not going to translate to the next level up. But I think that this is another place where you really want to focus on tiering, right? Like. Guys who are like significantly below average athletes are not. There's no tier below that. There's no tier that's like, you know, like Pat. Like that, you know, like there's no Pat level tier of like this guy. Somehow Pat got out there and put up like two thousand yards at at Notre Dame or whatever. Like no, Pat can't do that. That's not. There's just guys who were actually productive uh, in college can only kind of be so bad as athletes and. You know, even if they completely bomb the combine or whatever, you you kind of want to you don't want to like create a new tier that's like 100 percent for a fact cannot play in the NFL, which is kind of where Kyron, you know, you you would be tempted to put Kyron in that tier because he was he was so unathletic coming in. But that's just not that's not the way to do it, because, um, you know, those combine drills are only telling us limited amount of information in it and it's time stamped. It's a one-time thing. And the production that this guy put up at a big school told us another thing. And that was actually what proved to be correct. I mean, is Kyron the most athletic guy? No, he isn't, but he's overcoming that. And we were given signs that he could overcome that through his college production. On the flip side, there is no tier above super good athlete there's no right. god tier and no we, there's we no see, human running a 3740 or whatever right like that but that, we see people get put you know jelani woods got put in the god tier you know he true. was going really high in in dynasty drafts mostly but you know it was like dude this guy is the most athletic person on the planet and it's like eh, i mean he is he's very athletic but there's athleticism can unlock production that we didn't see at the college level but it can't it it's like it doesn't on its own it is still not enough you know you're going to need the guy to have nfl level skills so it it's a reason to be open-minded about non-productive players um it's a reason to get even more excited about productive players yes and it's a reason to temper your expectations if it's not there on productive players Right. And it's a reason to be like, well, if you weren't productive and you're not athletic, maybe, (laughs) you know, I'm going to need a lot to get on board here. But I do think, which, you know, talking about the tiering before, athleticism is another place where I see like 
you know, the RAS scores are going to come out and someone's going to have, um, you know, a 9.96 <laughs> and then someone else is going to have a 9.3 and everyone's gonna be like, well, fuck the 9.3 guy, that guy, <laughs> if you didn't have a 9.96, I mean, that's, that's the athlete. Like, no, these both, these are both elite athletes. That's the, that's the correct, in my opinion, that's correct response to that. Both these guys have elite athleticism. Now, let's we, that conversation is kind of over. That's good. Let's look at what else. Let's look at how else, what other information we have that you know are, is going to help us dial in whether or not they're going to be able to translate that athleticism to football playmaking at the NFL level. I totally agree. The other thing I will add is some, I, I would argue, a majority, but certainly some of the skills that were, are required to be good um, at the game of football at the NFL level are very much not tested at the combine or right. tested in, or or even able to be tested in any real I mean anything can technically we can put data to, to technically anything as we see with PFF grades and all, all that kind of stuff but right so like a big one for me again and not to keep using the Kyron one but he just happens to be people if he gets sick of it I apologize he just happens to fit this framework of a lot of these so use him as an example for future guys to draw some conclusions from not we're not trying to find the next Kyron but he did some of these things. So did so did Tank Dell. So did Puka Nakua. Um, where Kyron, as an example, I think the number one thing that I focus on from a running back perspective, which we'll get to, I want to talk quarterbacks first. But from a running back perspective, is pass game being able to play in the pass game. But I don't need you to be Christian McCaffrey, or I don't need mm -hmm. you to be Jameer mm -hmm. Gibbs. Certainly, that's nice, right? That's like the 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 guy is a is you know a elite level athlete is what Gibbs and CMC can bring in the passing game. Kyron can't do that, <clears throat> but he he brought a lot in the passing game as a receiver at Notre Dame, and then specifically, they can pass protect, right? Yeah, and th yeah. and they, they 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 don't measure pass protection <laughs> at the combine. But why why was Leonard Fournette taking the job everywhere he went? That and we hated it. For years why Samaje P Ryan still out there playing football in the NFL at this time why Zeke still out there playing football because look we know we're not going to get much juice from them in the running game but they're going to be in the right places they know protections yep. and they're going to keep they're going they're not going to get our quarterback killed and when it's check down time he's going to catch it and he's going to get yards yep. that he needs to get and those things are not sexy and are never ever going to show up on a you know in the combine or any sort of uh athletic testing measurables but in the game of football that's hugely important. Not only is it hugely important to the success for you and your team while on the field, it's hugely important from a fantasy lens because that's how you earn the trust of your coaches. And that's how you earn your way onto the field in the most important times when you can then score fantasy points, right? I don't actually think Kyron Williams is some star talent. He's fine. He's probably better than people thought he was, certainly, because they they really dunked on him from the measurables. I think he's kind of a, a pretty fun little elusive runner. He, he does some stuff as despite his size as a runner. That's pretty impressive. I thought the Ravens game, especially this past year was like really, really impressive. He Wasn't accelerates even, pretty well. It, and he just, he just gets it. He does that bullshit cliche stuff like falls forward fight, gets extra yeah. yards, all that. He does do some of that. Now, he doesn't do, get the extra yards like Brees does that and then runs for 60, right? And that's why right. Brees is in a very different tier than Kyron. But doing all that little shit is how you get on the field and how you earn fantasy points. And like, I can, I can write till the cows come home about how great of a runner whoever is, but if he can't, if he can't keep his quarterback off the ground, he can't catch the ball or whatever, like, sorry, uh, not to do it to you, but sorry, Rojo, like 
I think you're a better, you're a better. Let's get to, let's get to these prospects. We're so deep now. You're insulting Rojo. Some Rojo's catching strays. Let's, let's talk quarterbacks, please. You did. Yeah. I'm sure we'll catch some more. We'll catch some more strays during the, uh, the course of, of this show. All right. Let's talk quarterbacks. This is also probably a little bit quicker one. And certainly it is um, for me. I'm just curious. Don't promise brevity. There is no such thing. We'll be an hour later still talking about three quarterbacks. In this class, it is, I will say it's it's pretty interesting because we have somewhere between one and three elite quarterback prospects, depending upon how uh, different people view it. And like maybe another emerging one, maybe two more that are really highly intriguing. But I think it kind of obviously all starts with Caleb Williams and that that top tier. For me, from a fantasy lens and a best ball lens, I actually have all of the big three pretty darn close together. Uh, so that would include Jaden Daniels alongside Caleb Williams and Drake May. So let's just talk about those three guys first, because I imagine as you've talked about tiering, you may have them in different tiers, but I imagine they're all in a separate tier from the McCarthy, Bo Nix, Michael Penix, Spencer yes. Rattler, and 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 all of that. So how are you kind of approaching those three guys from your just your general thoughts on them and then like, how are you attacking them in drafts? So my general thoughts, and you know, people will be familiar with it. You know, I've kind of been talking this up a lot. Is that I don't really get why Drake May isn't in the conversation um, for number one overall in this class. I think he's just a really, really strong real life prospect, but also a really strong fantasy quarterback prospect. He's got he's got size. Uh, is 230 pounds. He's got a really strong arm. He's aggressive. Um, he hit big time deep throws at a really high rate, which is something that I really like to look at. That's one of the reasons I was in on Anthony Richardson. It's like, hey, this guy's actually a good deep passer. Um, but May's a much better deep passer than <laughs> than even Richardson. He's not going to run like Richardson. But you mentioned Justin Fields. Uh, May has very similar rushing numbers to Justin Fields coming in, and I don't think that May is going to be well. He's not going to be as athletic and as fast as Fields. I don't think, but you know he is skilled at picking up first downs with his legs. Dane Brugler uh, was just talking about how he had like an absurd rate of picking up first downs, like on third and fourth down with his legs. Um, so he, you know, just kind of that move the chains scrambling ability. He was a willing scrambler from a from a clean pocket as well, which is something I like to look at for fantasy because we want these guys to be looking to scramble and, and mm-hmm. Kevin Cole has done research that scrambling is actually pretty sticky. The guys who, who try to scramble, you know, continue to try to scramble at the next level. And that's great for us since rushing matters so much. So, um, you know, if you've got a guy who's aggressive downfield and can do it and likes to scramble and, and pick up yards with his legs and is 230 pounds and should run for some touchdowns, which he did consistently in college, mm-hmm. Um, sign me up. And the the market is like, I don't know if he falls to pick 150, I guess. <laughs> okay, cool. I'm just going to draft a ton of Drake May. And this is like, we talk about, you know, spreading out our bets. This is not a bet I'm going to spread out. This is a bet. This is a spot I'm going to attack aggressively because the draft capital is locked in. And by locked in, I don't mean that he's definitely going to go number two. He could fall, but he could fall to like fifth. Or eighth. Oh, like boohoo. Like, I don't care if he's the eighth overall pick. He's going to land as a franchise quarterback. 
he's probably going to have better weapons if he falls than if he goes number two, where he's really just got Terry McLaurin. I'm not a big Dotson guy, but you know, the the weapons might like what if the Falcons trade up for him and he's got London Pitts, Bijan, like that's more exciting, not less. I mean, they have a good offensive line, like so. There are no real downside scenarios other than the Patriots at three, um, which is a concern, but not, I don't think, enough of a concern to be like taking a 40 pick discount from Caleb Williams in best ball drafts right now. So, because um, odds are that doesn't even happen. Odds are he goes to the commanders at two, which I think is a perfectly fine landing spot. I don't love Cliff Kingsbury. I think he's a donkey, but he's, he's going to design a pretty good running game and they're going to pass enough. And we're going to be, I think, pretty happy with what we get out of Drake May this year if he goes to the commander. So that's like my big take is that Drake May should be going right next to Caleb Williams. Um, but, you know, he's not. So I'm, I'm just drafting a ton of them. I think Jaden Daniels, he's going a little bit after Jay, after Caleb Williams. I think that makes sense. He scares me a little bit. Is like this dude who didn't really come on until... You know, as far as like the the draft eval stuff, he was not expected to be a first round pick like a few months ago, mm-hmm. and now he's going to be the number three overall pick. He's an older prospect. Um, he's a rusher, so I do I like that. I mean, he's a really strong rushing prospect, but he's undersized, and so I'm just like I'm a little bit nervous about the fact that he looks the most likely to go to the Patriots with no weapons, not a good offensive line. The coaching actually looks like maybe it'll be okay, but it's not like a great setup. I mean, it's such a bad setup that thoughts are that the Patriots might basically just punt on quarterback so as not to ruin someone. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's a legitimately bad setup. So, you know, if you're if you're out on Drake May partially because you're worried he goes to the Patriots, I, I kind of get it. But Daniels is the one who's most likely to go there. And yeah, I mean, he I think there's some there's some downside worry with him, but I am trying to mix him in as well, just because you, you're going to get a guy who also has really strong draft capital, who's a rusher, um, and you know can obviously put up points that way. And then Caleb Williams is just like I'm kind of just following the market here. I think he's a, I don't think he's like an elite prospect personally, but I think he's a very strong prospect, and I don't think he's overpriced, and so I am drafting him. But not, I'm not like hammering him, but I am drafting. I, I. That's that's almost my sentiment around the quarterback position as a whole <clears throat> in best ball draft specifically probably would be the same in in any other format where um, in these current best ball tournaments, they are that group of three specifically is kind of a linchpin for how I'm a- approaching drafts. They make <clears throat> if you really want to punt off quarterback and like take two of these guys, go for it. You want to, if you can find a way to take all three, I don't even think that that's bad. If they you want to pair them with an elite quarterback, I think they make. I think that they fit just about everything. The price is not prohibitive on any of these guys. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's honestly kind of shocking how cheap they are given the general sentiment around the community. Like we haven't had a a, a, a trio of rookie quarterbacks where it was like, yeah, I mean, they could go one, two, three. Everybody's convinced that they're. Um, generally, well, we, like we haven't up. burned us, I think, as part it was, it was Lance Fields, uh, Lawrence, yeah. uh, and, and Zach Wilson. Wilson, and you know, and that class was not nearly as good as we were led to believe. Um, and so I, I think that taste is, is still in you know, we're talking about hardcore drafters here, so a lot of the drafters right now probably 
got burned by by that class a little bit. And I think you you think listeners to this got burned by Trey Lance. I find that I find that hard to believe. <laughs> I can't imagine anybody that listens to this got no. burned. Not not two years in a row. Not no, definitely not. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Third string Dallas Cowboys quarterback. What a waste of money that guy was. But, uh, you know, it is funny, though, the parallels to that class, I think, are um, it, it's just more fun to talk about than, than actionable. But I have always kind of felt that Caleb Williams reminds me a little bit, not like how he plays or anything like that, uh, to Trevor Lawrence, where it was like we crowned that dude. We crowned Caleb yeah, Williams yeah, the next yeah. coming, the, ne- the next, like, well, as soon as, as soon as Caleb, like, it was like he took over for Spencer Rattler partway through the season at Oklahoma. And like, from that point forward, it was like, okay, he's the number one pick, right? Whenever he's eligible, he's the number one pick. He follow he, you know, he uh, follows Lincoln Riley out to, to USC, puts up, you know, monster, monster numbers right away. And everybody just like, no more. I don't, I, I don't have any, I don't need to see any more, right? They watched the highlight tape, but <laughs> I've watched his highlight tape. We've moved on. I know that Caleb is awesome. And like you said, I'm, I'm drafting him. So this is really just me nitpicking. I never saw that level of superstardom and a little bit of it is probably me subconsciously holding how bad USC was while he was there against him. And I'm, I try, I try not to do that. Cause like, I'm, I mean, my favorite wide receiver at cost went to Northwestern and Virginia and won like <laughs> six total games or something like that. So like, I shouldn't hold too much against Caleb, but it is a little different for a quarterback. And if he's real, like truly like Lawrence did win like crazy. Right. And yet Lawrence came in and he's still to this point, like I actually find Lawrence, we'll probably talk plenty about him over the course of the next six months or, or so, because I find him to be a difficult evaluation for 2024 where I'm like, at what point do I just say, maybe this guy isn't that good. And the name brand is really what's holding him on. And Caleb has certainly not reached that point. He hasn't played a snap in the NFL, but I never quite saw that leap to distance himself from these other guys to the extent that I thought that I would see it. It felt more like he went full wannabe Mahomes kind of on a bad team. Like I'm going to hold the ball a lot. I'm going to try to hit a ton of big plays. He didn't really run, but he would run around kind of like yeah, Mahomes does. Yeah, yeah. And it was like a little more backyard football, which is fine. But I never totally saw like, all right, this dude is just locked the hell in. Whereas actually with Jaden Daniels, I think he's viewed as the guy who just runs like crazy, right? He's not really a quarterback. He, I thought within structure that Jaden Daniels was awesome. Now he had awesome talent around him, specifically Malik Neighbors and well, really just those two, Malik Neighbors and Brian Thomas. But I, I think that the way he played this year, I totally get the concerns, you know, certainly with him and Bo Nix as well about like <laughs> they never really been very good growing uh, going throughout the course of their college career. But I think we did the inverse with them, specifically Daniels. He started as a true freshman at Arizona State. This was the Herm Edwards Arizona State teams for anybody that, that doesn't know. Yes, that Herm, that Herm Edwards. They brought wow. that guy in. He, he couldn't win. They've since moved on. Um and Jaden Daniels struggled as an 18-year-old freshman in the Pac-12, right, on a bad team, on a bad Arizona State team. Played for, what, I believe, three years there and goes to LSU for the, the final two. He actually started to show a little bit like Burrow did at LSU, started to show his second to last year. You're like, okay, he's be- he's definitely better. <laughs> okay, he, he, he has improved. How much? I don't know. It's interesting, but it's not like first-round pick interesting. And then the final year, you're like, Oh my God. Uh, is this guy the best quarterback in the country? Like, is he better than, than Caleb Williams? And I don't think it was just like from a fantasy lens. I think 
as a passer, he was exceptionally impressive, which I think was the big thing. And we do this thing with guys like him and then with Caleb on, on the flip side and Lawrence, where <clears throat> when they break out early and maybe they were supposed to be a, a five-star recruit, right? They break out early, we crown them and we kind of leave them on that, that, that. We leave the crown on top of their head for the next three years. And like, whether we see a real improvement or not, we kind of don't care. But then the guys like Daniels and Bo Nix that honestly suck, even though we can come up with reasons why they might've sucked, right? Bo Nix came into a, not a great situation in Auburn true freshman, probably not ready to play in the freaking sec, <laughs> you know, like these guys weren't ready and they didn't really perform well. And it took time for them to learn how to play at that level. And then they right, growth is not linear. And so we, we do this thing where we write them off and we hold it against them that they were not good at age 19 because someone else was good. But just because someone else was good at age 19 doesn't mean that I can't become good at age 22. My path can be different than other people's path. That doesn't mean it's not like a red flag or it's not something we need to discuss. But I think generally speaking, the market often holds that against those players, but then doesn't do it on the inverse, right? It's like, oh, Caleb broke out early, but he never really got better, right? Trevor Lawrence broke out early, but he never really got better. But we don't hold that against them. And we will hold it against the guy who maybe wasn't good right right away and so like braylon allen is the running back version of that for me it's like holy shit he broke out at you know as like a freaking high schooler basically playing at wisconsin looks impressive and gets worse over the course of his mm. college career to the point where he becomes a committee back as in his final year to freaking Chaz malusi like and what people are still drafting him you know quite highly and very excited about him and so that's just like davis, kind of davis was saying he's his favorite guy that's insane. That's insane. I mean, looks like we gotta Tarzan. get you two on a pod. The Braylon looks Allen like, debates. Yeah, looks like Tarzan. Uh, I'm sure that that. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, yeah. Anyway, we'll talk. That's about That's never Braylon. swayed Davis once. Yeah. 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 Exactly. <laughs> a 19 year old Tarzan. Davis Maddock is into him. Weird. Yeah, he ran for a thousand yards in the Big Ten at age. You know, his parents had to sign the permission slip or whatever for him to play because he was so young. So there's nothing. There's nothing that was ever going to change Davis's mind from that point point forward. But I just think to, to some of the those superstar quarterbacks, I don't actually have a mega mega strong take. I'm concerned about Jaden Daniels run style not run yeah the style is a little concerning I, that's like the only thing of out of the top three guys that i really have like true true concerns on that's going to keep me from drafting anybody and it's not with daniels because you know me I don't, i'll draft whatever if they run i think he might be one of the best runners we've seen come in since uh you know lamar etc et mm -hmm. but he's got to learn how to protect himself or he's going to fall the same route as anthony richardson like i feel like he's anthony richardson but can throw minus 60 pounds or whatever or however much yeah yeah Richardson but is, the 60 which, pounds was part of it you know that's bad, part of why it's we're a, it's a big deal yes it's a yeah. big deal yeah yeah i mean he he's definitely he's a tough one but i i think basically my thing with daniels is that i'm gonna nervously draft him um because he, he is gonna run he's gonna play right away um and the other i think Although I don't love that he's a later guy, you know, a, a later career guy, an older prospect. I do think that when we talk about what are we looking for at the different positions, it changes. At wide receiver, I think the youth factor is so much more important than any of the other positions. Mm -hmm. And I think the reason for that is that we're looking for guys who are going to not just get on the field, but actually outperform other really talented wide receivers on their same team who are running routes on the same play that they are 
and that the, and the, you know our player is going to get the ball over those players and in order to you know and then do so at such a rate that they're going to you know stand out above all the other good players <laughs> who are earning yeah. the most targets on on their teams so it's like a very high bar of talent and you're looking for guys who basically flash elite talent at a young age and you know this is kind of the 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 easiest box the the, the kind of the ideal the Marvin Harrison you know you want him to be the son of a hall of fame wide receiver <laughs> and <laughs> and crush at Ohio State immediately have scouts looking at him instead of another first round wide receiver when they go <laughs> scout in 2023 you know the <laughs> That is the ideal because you want them to come on the field and immediately be superstars at a position where there's a lot of competition for the football on every single play. When you talk about competition for the football, that is that also exists at tight end, but tight end is such a you know, it's such a unique position, and there's only one tight end usually who's out on the field, and the bar is so low for what even counts. For production at tight end that you don't it's like if a guy can do the whole package and get himself out there on the field i'm more forgiving because you know it's just a lower bar position there is no competition really for the football at running back they hand the ball to the guy you know <laughs> uh or you know the for for receiving uh we we care a little bit more but there's there's like i think if i'm looking at a, a fifth year running back who you know I think is pretty good but not great but he's going to land in a good a good situation then we we care about that guy because he's going to you know the the touches are going to fall in his lap a little bit more at quarterback they hike it to this dude and there's only 32 guys who can who are out like that there's an extremely uh you know low bar for what counts if if a team is going to install you as the guy you are the guy there's no mm -hmm. worry that, you know, I mean, obviously there's bench risk. We need to factor that in to some degree. But basically, you know, all this to say, if Jaden Daniels is drafted number three overall, he will be starting in the fantasy playoffs. That's a fact. He just will, unless he's hurt, which is a concern with the running style. But it's like <laughs> that is, you know, we don't have to be so, so concerned about like late breakout and, and all that stuff especially for best ball. I think you want to be more concerned about that stuff for dynasty where we're thinking yes. about what does Jaden look like two, three years down the line this year, we can feel very confident that he will be starting probably the whole season, but definitely down the stretch. Um, and he's going to run, you know, and he probably runs more between the twenties and around the goal line, but he's going to run very, it's going to be very fun when he runs between the twenties. <laughs> so I think we want to be, you know, there, there's maybe like a Trey Lance concern depending on where he goes, but Trey Lance had to go behind Jimmy. Like Trey Lance would have crushed as a rookie had he just not landed behind Jimmy G. The fact that he's not an NFL level starter wouldn't have mattered had he been in the right situation because of the draft capital. They would have, they would have seen, they would have felt compelled to put him out there in a way they never really had to because. They they had Garoppolo and then they ended up with Purdy. So that's like it's a it's a you know it's a worst case scenario that we just saw play out. But it's going to be very uncommon once the draft capital is there. Um, 
And I guess it'd be an argument to be at least considering J.J. McCarthy, although I am not really considering him that strongly because I, I don't think his skill set is very fantasy-friendly. And I, as of right now, I'm like, are we going to see him start for the full year? But I, but I will say, I mean, J.J. McCarthy, things are trending towards him going pretty high, likely landing with like a Vikings or a Broncos or like a Raiders where, especially if it's the Broncos, like he could start the whole season. Mm-hmm. And I do think we want to be at least open-minded to like if something like that plays out, then you know, at the as a sort of a last-round guy, he he should at least be on the radar. But it's I I'm getting a sense you're not that into him, kind of from a profile perspective. N- n- no, he is the epitome of um, what I what I uh, uh, tangented uh, about with uh, getting on base, and some people would uh, you know argue the opposite i mean he won a national championship he was i don't even know how to describe it within the confines of a michigan offense he was fine um and so people will you know give him credit for just being a cog in the wheel of this this big michigan you know run heavy offense and lean on your defense and i think those guys are like the epitome of of kind of a trap like if he was so good at Michigan, you don't like even Harbaugh, it can't be so dumb as to basically hide him for the majority of his career as, as well, a pastor. He's and, about to do it to Justin Herbert. So. I was just going to say, we're going to find that <laughs> we're going to, we're going to find that out here pretty quick. Cause he's got somebody a lot better than JJ McCarthy and he might hide that. He might hide <laughs> that dude too. But uh, I, I just think that generally speaking, he's the kind of guy I would rather it's it's almost this simple. I understand, right? This is this is this is me. I'm <laughs> this is a terrible comp. Uh, I, I'm I'm not Brad Pitt. I'm I'm Jonah Hill. Okay, in this example, because I, I I can never be comp to 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 Brad Pitt. I'm not that good. My Brad Pitt, no. Yeah, apparently. You know, you're, <laughs> Does that mean I? You're the old scouts sitting around me. We'll have to recruit. <laughs> oh, somebody God else. damn it! All we right. got to recruit that's, somebody that's else to, to come play to come play Brad Pitt. You're the you're the guy that says something about uh, Fabio. Who's Fabio or whatever the old guy that's like, <laughs> hearing it. But so like I'm Jonah Hill in that situation, and the other scouts are like, no, this, he looks good, right? He does. Big, athletic, strong arm. One at Michigan like he has all of the cliche things that you like get the the old school scouting community to like a guy and then i just go like like but like he's never shown me he can get on base and so i would rather lose fading that guy than chase the archetype of a player that has never really won right like cuz even like Josh Allen like Josh Allen is the kind of epitome of this where like really wasn't very good in college, but like he didn't even win. And he was like just a total unicorn, right? Like we have really never seen a Josh Allen just emerge into NFL superstardom. Cause like even like Mahomes or whatever, like dominant college player just didn't win a lot. Shout out cliff. Like didn't, didn't win a lot, you know, but was throwing for 600 yards some weeks in, in college. Like he was totally dominant. We haven't ever really seen these guys come out of nowhere as average at best producers in college to be like, and again, not just get a job, right? Kenny Pickett has had a starting job for a couple of years. Bryce Young had a starting job last year. Did those people help me win best ball tournaments at all? No, 
they actively hurt me. Like so much so that I took a big stand on Sam Howell, the dude who got benched and scored zero points for like the final month of the season. And he was so much more helpful to my portfolio than Kenny Pickett and Bryce Young never got benched. And so it's like, it's this parlay that has to hit for those guys that I, yeah. I, I, I just don't want to expend my resources. I do there. think, I mean, Jordan, Jordan Love and CJ Stroud are the counter argument there of yep. like when you get, when you hit but McCarthy the, was you, not, but Jordan Love is a good one. But McCarthy was not C.J. Stroud in no, college. So. No, for sure. Yeah, but I, I guess what I mean, just in like when we bet on guys that have job security that we feel very confident are going to be starting in the final weeks of the season, then you do need them to be also good. But when that happens, it can be really impactful. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think McCarthy, McCarthy, I'm open to that idea. I want to see him not go to the Vikings and then they bring back Kirk Cousins or something. Like that's... That's a disaster. And why take that risk, you know, or the or the risk that this is all steam, you know, and then that that dissipates well before the draft. Will Levis or Sam Howell yeah. or something, you know, we get another yeah. one of those situations. Yeah, exactly. So I I don't he doesn't have the type of profile that I'm particularly excited about. He I was talking to Davis and, and uh Jacob yesterday, and he does run more than I realized. Uh he avoids sacks. Um but that's about it. He he's like he's mobile and he avoids sacks. It's kind of like what he jumps out. Everything else he's kind of like below average in my stuff. Um, and you know you talk about Josh Allen. Yeah, Josh Allen from like a real life perspective is like the the type of payoff that we really don't expect to occur very often. But I actually think we've gone like too far with the Josh Allen stuff, like because. Blake Bortles was a pretty good fantasy quarterback in his second season and he busted. Right. But like Josh Allen and Blake Bortles, you know, I guess they're both stylistically. They're like, maybe not that similar, but they're both like big projects. Mm -hmm. And I mean, like literally physically huge people (laughs) who are projects. Both big and two. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, In two different ways. Yeah. Yeah. Bortles was 232. Allen was 237. You know, they're like, uh, six five you know they're 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 massive guys and um but you know Allen was he was a, a willing and capable deep thrower he actually avoided sacks pretty well uh the mistakes were more on the interception side of things um and so you know there were reasons I think from a fantasy perspective to be like this guy's gonna be bust but but we should be in and I, yeah. I generally want to be, and that's kind of like the Richardson thing is like, this dude might totally bust, but we should be in, especially in his rookie season when they're going to throw him out there and see what they got. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's uh, probably where I'm at on, on Daniels. This is the Daniels would be like a little bit, a guy I'm less excited about, but that would be that archetype where I feel the least confident that he succeeds, but I think he's going to be out there for the full season. And he's going to be running around. So we should not be fading him. Um, McCarthy, until I know for sure he's going to be out there, I think I'm going to be passing just because, yeah, I think he's like a capable executor of the offense is probably like his rookie season upside. And I think that's that's the big thing for me that I probably um, didn't articulate. We are, of course, recording this in February. We haven't had, we certainly haven't had the draft. We definitely haven't had the combine or, or anything like that. And so I'm thinking about things in this exact moment through the lens of the drafting that we're doing right now where – we don't know the landing spot. We don't know, right? Does Gigi McCarthy land in Minnesota and they bring back Kirk Cousins to, you know, be the one year uh, handover, whatever. 
And so with all of that factored in and my assessment of J.J. McCarthy, when you combine all of that stuff, I really don't feel the need at the quarterback position in drafts in February right now to dip into J.J. McCarthy. I was originally dipping into some Bo Nix. I'm a little bit higher than Mark. Very, very similar to my Jaden Daniels like Bo Nicks, take. But I think it's more of a dynasty take. I, and so that's where I – it's exactly what I was going to say is I'm actually much more in on Bo Nix – Long term and out on JJ McCarthy long term. I just generally straight up think Bo Nix has shown the ability to get on base, right? And JJ McCarthy has like kind of not really, but I'm willing to like kind of flip those ideas for best ball drafts this year when we understand because I'm not sure that Bo Nix is going to land in a spot where. I'm going to be want him on best ball teams. I'm not sure about JJ McCarthy either, but right now the steam is saying, Oh, what ha- I mean, if, if he ends up the quarterback for the Minnesota Vikings with no Kirk Cousins throwing to Justin Jefferson and Addison and Hawkinson when he gets back. Where do you think right? he goes? Where, where do you think he goes in drafts? My current take is not high enough, which is like kind of got my brain in a pretzel. But that's what we've seen with these rookies who are like not super exciting. Right? I think he goes 14th Richardson. round. Yeah, 14th, 15th. That's 14th around there somewhere about where like Stroud went right? Something like yeah. that, where the community was not that jazzed about, I wasn't that jazzed about CJ Stroud. Jesus, how wrong could you possibly be? Um, but the market just kind of says, I, ah. So just as a kind of, to, this was actually a weird hit for me, where I was pretty low on Stroud um, in Dynasty. Like I was taking him, like I thought Young should definitely go ahead. I was willing to take like JSN ahead of him. Mm-hmm. So like if you know, as far as misses go, like I missed about as hard as you can on Stroud without taking like some some kind of silly within reasonable stands. You didn't took, gal brain it, yeah, yeah. With yeah, within like the market, I took the most incorrect version of the stand on CJ Stroud, <laughs> um, in Dynasty, but I still drafted him at a pretty high rate in Best Ball because job security, and I don't know. You know, that's the, and I think that's actually a spot where like, it's a, it's a hit that I, that I'm happy with is from a process standpoint, because I do, it, you know, just, it shows the the difference of these two markets, obviously missing on him in dynasty really hurts, but <laughs> you know, in those super flex leagues, I want that one back, but I still, you know, McCarthy is an example and Daniels is an example of guys that you know, for McCarthy, I want to see that landing spot. But then, hey, man, 14th round for the guy throwing to two really good wide receivers and one of them's a superstar. And, you know, the, the tight ends can be coming back at the end of the year. So we could be actually looking at an offense that's peaking in the fantasy playoffs. And I only have to pay, you know, a, a 14th round pick for a guy who actually has some mobility and, and a good uh, good coaching staff. Like I, I trust them to throw the ball. He might throw way more in the pros than than in college because he's getting like a big coaching upgrade. Sorry, Jim Harbaugh, but uh, <laughs> there's at least the potential for that, right? Um, Won a national championship, and his head coach just went and took the Chargers' job, and he's getting a massive upgrade by getting the hell away from that guy. It's hilarious. <laughs> I'm I'm nervous about Harbaugh, man. I'm nervous about him. He seems yep. to like to run the ball a lot. But, well, you're not. Uh, a, you don't. You don't think he, he showed you that in spades by hiring Greg Roman to come coach yeah, a team that doesn't have an NFL running back on the roster on the roster and has a, a franchise quarterback. It's scary. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully, 
I'm hoping that Harbaugh and Roman dunk all over that take because I, I want to see Justin Herbert succeed. But um, anyway, I'm kind of kidding about the coaching thing, obviously. But the the McCarthy thing is is a spot where if the stars align, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna draft them. But for now, yeah, I, I don't think he makes that much sense um, because it's just like a lot of risk to take for like a guy who we will still probably be drafting in the late rounds, even if things work out. So what do you win? If you're right, and it's like kind of nothing. Um, so yeah, are you taking a stand on are you drafting a lot of May right now? Are you with me on that part of it? I have drafted more Daniels. Okay. Uh, I should have probably had this up, and then about uh similar levels of May and Caleb, I think, but that's not necessarily honestly by uh uh like I haven't been specifically gaming that out but my my general thesis is my expectation by the time you know the draft and stuff gets here i will have dan my from an exposure perspective and they'll probably be my highest own quarterbacks daniels may and then caleb will be my exposure amongst those guys and i i was i was like i was saying i was taking some bow dicks early um and i'm not going to take any more of him Uh, i have to adjust our rankings on on spike week i'm going to bump him down uh some just um I, i'm higher like i said it, it has become like when you first release the rankings we really don't have any news about like where these guys are going to go and mock drafts and any any of that kind of stuff and i thought it was feasible he'd be a first round pick and maybe he would be that I fourth quarter I, I think he could be too but i just think things are lining like i i don't need i don't need to take that risk in the big board and yeah. i can always and McCarthy's kind of eating his his steam a little bit you know Exactly. And so I, that doesn't make me yet want to get to McCarthy in drafts right now, but it is taking me off of some Bo Nicks. And what exactly what you just said is kind of what I was going to say to 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 wrap up the quarterback portion is like this is the game. I think it's really important to reiterate that. Like when we're talking about like the dynasty versus best ball, just versus like how do you win at best ball? McCarthy is such a good example because like so like Trey Lance. Do you think I like, dude, I watched the same shit that everybody else did. I looked at the same data about (laughs) Trey Lance. I'm like, I'm not the world's smartest guy, but I'm not that big of a moron. I didn't come out and say like hall of famer. Boom. This guy is a superstar. Like I watched the same, like he could barely complete a pass. His team never threw. Like I I saw it right. Low level of football. I saw the same shit, but it, it was Anthony Richardson level thing. It's like, but I don't care because for fantasy like i don't care about that because the the potential for him to win me all of the money in best ball is so high that i'm and and you know he had jimmy g issues we don't need to kyle shanahan took him number three overall and he has to be absolutely atrocious to not deliver on that given his skill set guess what he was you know that's the but you the bet i think that's one way to think about some of these bets in general is like what are we asking from the player? And I still think Trey Lance, we were asking him not to be atrocious. Not to be like all time level. Wish bad. wish he had wish he had gotten there for he us. Yeah. <laughs> but he was, yeah. Zach Wilson has gotten more shots in the NFL yes. yeah. than Trey Lance has. Um yeah. Oh, it always has to come back to Trey Lance, thank God. Um, very first video I ever did. He's gonna keep for, catching for, strays for a while. It is amazing that Spike Week ex- is still exists because <laughs> when I had the idea to start this whole thing was the summer that Trey Lance got drafted by the 49ers. And I was in love with him, obviously. Um, 
Now, a little bit of, of shouts to me. If you recall, he was like a 14th, 15th round pick originally in drafts. And that's sure. when the first video came out. By the end of the summer, he was the sixth round pick. And some idiots were still drafting him then. Couldn't be me. But uh, it was me. But Thank God for Bernie, by the way. That's, that's, that's a safe Yeah, last seriously. Year. Seriously. <laughs> but all of these guys, and McCarthy is that, that kind of follow-up example where my personal like evaluation assessment is I, I don't think he's the type of player that I want to invest in, right? However, I can I, I can see what the scouts are saying, right? My my assessment, he doesn't get on base, but I can see what the scouts are saying. And I can also see that like if a team if the Oakland A's sign him and bat him lead off every game, like there's inherently fantasy value in in that. And there is a level to which I am very wrong about him as a player. Right. So you factor all of those things in. Then we get to May or late April, whenever the the turn the real tournaments open, we know, okay, he's the starting quarterback for the Minnesota Vikings. Kirk Cousins is not there. He's going in the 15th round, right? Blah, 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 blah. We run down this list. The next thing you know, you could come back here in May. We'll be doing the show. I'll be like, I'm taking JJ McCarthy in every in every single draft. Yeah. Like it's that's yeah. that's legitimately right. possible that, that happens. And it's important to be like, we can't be anchored to the fact that like I don't think he's good because I don't, but like it may not matter that that yeah. that's only one portion of the evaluation into who we draft for specifically yeah. for best ball. Well, and also just what are like what are we asking from the player changes when the draft capital in best ball increases, mm-hmm. right? Um, and the position it's different for every position as I as I laid out. Like how much skill do you need to even pay off? Because you might just get a bunch of playing time, and that playing time might be like extremely stable to project, which it what generally is with highly drafted quarterbacks. And so then it's like, man, you might, you don't might not even need to be like good at all. You might need to be like, yeah, just not atrocious or even like bad, but no one else is around, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like you can, yeah. you can just like, cause that one, like a one late spot. I mean, Kenny Pickett got like pretty close a couple times to mattering. You know, he had, he went, I think it was a couple years. I think it was two years ago. He got the Raiders and I think week 16. The Raiders had an atrocious secondary. He could have easily like a, a slightly better quarterback could have put up a spike week in that spot. Like Mason Rudolph. Mason Rudolph could have put up a spike <laughs> week in that spot. And, uh, you know, Pickett just doesn't have it. But the he but he could have had it, you know, like we. Mm-hmm. A lot of other guys would have had it in that specific instance. And, you know, you're betting you it's like part of the parlay is already taken care of. You know, he's going to be out there and playing. And so then it's like, how confident do you want to be that he's not good? If you have to spend a sixth round pick and you really feel that like he's not that good, you shouldn't draft him. If you have to spend a 16th round pick, then I think it's a, it's a very different conversation if we're extremely confident that he's going to be playing the whole season. And I think with a lot of, you know, with at least three of these guys, potentially four, we're going to feel like he's going to play every single game. Yep. You know, unless he gets hurt, he's playing every single game that has a lot of value. You know, there there's quarterbacks that are getting drafted like Russell Wilson and stuff. Like is Russell Wilson playing in week 16? <laughs> is he playing in week one? He's playing in week one. Yeah. Like <laughs> there's, there's real job security stuff. I mean, he's a guy who gets drafted, you know, I, I want to be drafting, players who are going to be playing at the end of the season. That's my biggest concern. Um, and I think these rookies do give us a, a path to that, even if I don't love all the profiles in and out. 
Um, I totally, totally agree. Let's talk about some some running backs. We probably won't be able to hit on every possible draftable running back. Uh, shout out to all the crazy sickos that are out there drafting in best ball tournaments right now because a lot of rookie running backs in a very bad class have ADPs. So we can tell people are are uh, scrolling down and are are looking for these these rookies. But even as someone who I think you and I were talking about it the other day, we were, we were messaging, uh, kind of trying to set up this this recording and uh you know we t- were an interesting class blah 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 running back class is pretty bad and I-, I said something like when the class is viewed as bad i find myself overexcited relative to the market about certain individual players because it- it's just a-, a little bit of i guess that natural contrarian element of things where when everybody says this running back class is like terrible there is and and adps reflect it the first running back from this rookie class that goes off the board is I still believe Jonathan Brooks. If not, it's it's him or Trey Benson very close uh, or quorum might've passed them now, which we'll talk about that. And the, the chargers in a, in a second, but right. There's no like Bijan yes. went eighth. Bijan went like eighth overall. The moment the big board dropped last year yeah, before yeah, we knew yeah. his landing spot. Now our first running back doesn't go into the one twenties. The market is very down on these guys. And so I can then say, I prefer to draft the really wide receiver heavy early. I can avoid all this bullshit about these late round quarterbacks because I can take the studs and then maybe attach a Daniels or a Bay or something to it. Mm-hmm. I can get the elite tight ends because I hate all the late round tight ends. Like I can have all my cake at, and then eat it too with the late round rookie running backs who the market has just said, I don't like any of these guys. And I get it, but then like that's the kind of guys that I want to be drafting. So I'm curious who um is kind of standing out the most for you amongst this rookie running back class and then we can kind of talk about obviously some of the nuances and maybe some of the players we're not so into but who first are you like specifically excited about jonathan brooks i'm excited about and i think you're just going to get um a continued discount on him because of the acl tear that he had in november um from what i understand was a clean tear um and so you know would be expecting him to be coming on down the stretch in the same way that we expect all rookies to be getting more playing time and, and playing better down the stretch. This can be a more exaggerated version of that, but um, you know, he's going in a range where that's fine. You know, like if he was uh, a seventh round pick, that would be a much tougher conversation because we don't know how good he is. He, it's possible he's not very good. And then he's coming off an ACL tear. Right. But he is going at like pick 130. So I've been drafting a ton of them. Um, I think, you know, gives you that late season juice to running back rooms. Like if you're if you're taking some of the the more, you know, semi-washed guys, there's like a couple tiers of the like some, you know, the semi-washed Najee Harris's of the world <laughs> who are now cheap. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm taking some Harris now. Harris is now cheap mm-hmm. enough to where I'm taking I've 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 just double tapped that backfield a couple times and gone Harris Warren and like they're going to run a ton under Arthur Smith and I basically just get a whole backfield for you know like an eighth and ninth round pick or something like okay um, and then but it's like I've now played that super conservative you know I've just I just have like Steelers backfield is basically one of my one of my um, you know like running back spots and maybe I've got. Um, you know, maybe I took like A-Chan in the second round. So now I've got A-Chan and Steelers backfield. Um, and so now I'm like, I want a little bit more late season upside. Because I think, I, 
maybe Kyron is a better example. I've got Kyron in Steelers backfield. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I feel pretty good about like, I got my touches covered yep. for most of the season, but I would like a little bit more pop in the late season. And it's like, man, Jonathan Brooks offers you something in those picks that you you don't really have access to in any other way. So I'm taking a ton of him. Uh, I do like Trey Benson. He reminds me a little bit of Cam Akers pre Achilles tear. Um, and I think he's like a probably, probably a little bit of a worse bet like statistically because he, he probably is more of a third round pick, I think, but in the NFL draft, but um, you know, I, I like him. I think he's pretty good. Um, those are like the, probably the two guys who really stand out. The, the other guy that I do take a fair amount of actually is Audric Estime, who mm-hmm. kind of reminds me a little bit of like Rashad Penny. Um, I like that kind of, he, he, I know, which is good and bad, but you know, he, he's like kind of a downhill runner two twenty seven. I think he's going to test well. Um, and he doesn't offer really anything in the passing game, but he's not a total zero. He had 1.12 yards per hour run over his career, but he didn't run very many routes. College committee back. It didn't run a lot of routes, but I think he's a fun two down runner, but you know, I got to It's got to stay cheap. Um, but he is he is pretty cheap right now. Quorum, I've had trouble with. I probably should be mixing him in more, but I don't want to pay for him to be on the Chargers when he's not even on the Chargers yet. I know that's what we're doing. That's that's a, we'll talk about him in a second. It triggers me because the market we put it's a funny game we play where in February the entire market has decided that the like seventh best class of running back in a not good running back class needs to go. <laughs> above you know uh, all the other good running backs in his class and like starting running backs on other teams like actually in the nfl blake Gorm needs to go in front of them solely because his head coach got hired by and needs a running back and they don't have a running back and so like and and here's the thing we could sit here and say this adp is egregious right and i kind of think it is in a total total vacuum it, the market has is drafting him there because of this this narrative, and we can say from probabilistically, like we can get up on our high horse and preach to everybody about probabilities and how it's not really that likely actually that he lands on the Chargers, and you know what's going to happen, he is going to land on the Chargers, and everyone would will take to Twitter and be it's like, it's Damian Pierce. I'm gonna, I, I need to just get on board. It's I'm getting the Damian Pierce vibes. We're like, he's he's not very good. Okay, and now we know that Pierce wasn't even very good the whole time. Very bad, actually. Yeah, very bad. In fact, he's very bad. <laughs> he got but turned it's into like, third stringer. He turned. It doesn't matter, stringer. you know. Like if if a team's going to install him as a starter in his rookie season, you know, he's one. He's going to rise substantially in price, and yep. and it's just frustrating because, like, yeah, like the odds are he's not. That's not even going to happen. But guess what? It definitely is. So. <laughs> So I, so I probably just need to get on board. I hate it that's, so much. That's exactly it. We'll talk about wide receivers uh, uh, in in a little bit, but I have a couple. I think I kind of hinted at them before who I don't draft right now. And all I keep thinking about is I have to draft them because the moment I flag plant against them, the Chiefs are going to take one of these guys. Um, and then like Travis Kelsey will retire as well. And I'll be like, God damn it. I have zero, <laughs> I have 0%, you know, Keon Coleman or whatever. And he's the fucking second best wide receiver on yeah, the Chiefs. He's the guy for um, me, at wide receiver. He's my quorum of wide receivers. Yeah, exactly. Um, so you hit Brooks really well. I'll just add like, especially if you're listening to this, you've probably drafted your fair share of zero running back teams. Or I, I think especially this year, like hero running back teams, or right now, hero running back teams are pretty awesome because um, I'm lower on HN than, than you are. But I, I understand from CMC down to HN, like if you start out your running back 
uh, room with one of those guys. Like there's so much depth. Like you just said, the Steelers running backs are cheap. All these rookies are cheap. I really like the guys who are the incumbents on in their backfields that everybody's kind of fearful that they're going to get replaced. I.e. Zamir White, Ty Chandler, Chuba Hubbard, um, Khalil Herbert slash Roshan Johnson, whatever yeah. your flavor is there. Like there's a huge Chase group. Brown. Chase Brown. There's a huge group of all these guys that everybody's just like, yeah, but I, they might not be the guy. And I'm like, yeah, they're they're probably not all going to be the guy, but also some of them probably are going to be the guy. And also, so, you just paid a fourth round pick for Rashad White, who also might not be the guy. Yeah, exactly. You just paid. You want to talk about a guy who's not very good? Like Rashad White is fine. Like he's totally fine. But he's pretty good paying, receiving back. But he yeah, should be a receiving back. Yes, exactly, exactly. Like he's like Samaj P. Ryan to me. Like, like yeah, go do go do that right that job, and that job is valuable on NFL teams. But like, let's let somebody else who's actually good at like you know gaining yards do the 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 stuff that we need to gain yards. Um. So yeah, John. But Jonathan Brooks just fits like. It doesn't happen all that often, usually, where this archetype of a player, the cost, and how they fit into how I would optimally like to draft, right, is either none of those running backs early with one of the, with multiple of the superstar wide receivers, or like give me, give me Bijan, and then I'm going to take a bunch of wide receivers, elite tight end, elite quarterback, and then I'm going to come back to the running back position, and like okay, like you said, oh maybe you took the Steelers guys, and then you took Zamir. And then you took Jonathan Brooks and it's like, if Zamir's the guy and I got the Steelers and I got Bijan, like I don't need Brooks for a while and I'm probably not yeah. going to get Brooks for a while. But then all of a sudden, right, we get to week 15 and now I got, you know, assuming, assuming I was right, assuming this lineup all came together. Now I got like seven RB ones on this, on this yeah. team, but I didn't spend hardly any draft capital to get it. And so he's such a, just a perfect uh, blend there. I will also say, throwing out the ACL he's very clearly the RB1 in the class to me I think he would be going from a talent higher. perspective I I don't really even think there's that much of a conversation close. yeah I mean I don't know Benson Benson is interesting I think Benson has some things that I mean he he had a really strong breakaway percentage um although he was also a committee back so that that number is like not as strong as it would normally be um looking at breakaway yards per game less impressive because he didn't handle that many touches per mm -hmm. game um but yeah i mean breaks tackles he he has 1.25 career yards per outrun which is solid kind of in that cam acresy range where it's like if a dude just wants to make this guy a three down back like he can be is he gonna be awesome as a receiver probably not um you know he as far as like the draft capital production stuff uh fine but he's big, two twenty three. He's huge. So, yeah. Um, so I, I think Benson's pretty interesting. Yeah, he's very fast for like, like he's the breakaway stuff. Like you want to talk using the highlight thing from go watch some Trey Benson highlights and you'll you'll definitely be impressed. For him, it is the it is the gotta go watch the all twenty two or something to find the stuff that were Trey Benson because you're like or just really just look at the data because like you said you're like most games is like eleven carries and three targets or whatever. And I know especially this past year, Florida State was really good uh, until Jordan Travis got hurt and so they were blowing teams out. Right, that that's actually the estimate thing. Um, I wouldn't classify Estime as a committee back. I would classify him as Notre Dame beats the shit out of a lot of crappy teams mm -hmm. that they play because, you know, they're not in a conference. 
they have a, a four big games a year and then they play Navy and they play, you know, and they play these other schools and Western Michigan and stuff. And it's over by halftime. Um, so that's a, a little bit of that for him. I, I think that uh, Benson has some Benson has some of that, but Benson also it wasn't to that extent, like it wasn't always just like blowout related. They definitely, but that's also so that he comes from remember Memphis, how many backs Memphis has churned out. So Mike yeah. Lovell comes from Memphis, right? That is Daryl Henderson, <clears throat> Antonio Gibson, that all that, you know, how many years in a row, Patrick Taylor, right? They had all of these guys from Memphis come in over the years and they were all pretty awesome and they were all in committees and then they all got to the NFL and they're like, I'm, I'm trying not to hold that against Trey Benson, but I'm like, I loved all those guys and they all flopped in the NFL. Like, is it something about what Mike Norvell does with the scheme? Like, these are all little things that I'm not ulti- like I'm drafting him. I'm drafting Trey Benson, but if we're going to talk through it, it didn't all out, flop. You know, I mean, wasn't Pollard one of them? Yeah. Pollard Pollard was one of them. Pollard was also <laughs> of we Pollard was used a little more like Gibson and he was the uh, kind of one uh, B in the backfield, and then they've Howard all burned us. Caught. We've all gotten yes. too excited about them at some I, point. I, that's <laughs> the one. They haven't flopped, but we've all gotten yeah. out over our skis. For we've gotten out of over our skis on all of them. Antonio at different Gibson times. once went in the second round and flopped. Tony Pollard went me, in the second round. <laughs> I'm part of the reason. Daryl Henderson went in the fourth round and flopped. <laughs> like next year, Patrick Taylor is going to be going very highly, and we're going to talk ourselves into Patrick. Was Taylor it Kenneth Gainwell there too? Gainwell was there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Gotten it. We, we didn't draft him too high, but we didn't do anything when we might have liked him. Yeah. <laughs> but I just think it's something to like at least point out that like he comes from this long, long line of running backs who dominated college and have gone to the NFL. And we are like 0.5 for seven. You know, we're not even a full one. Full one hasn't even been a hit yet. So uh, I know some some of the like film grinders that I follow and stuff like he runs really high because he's like six three or something like that, uh, which can be like a little bit of a concern. You need to be like Derrick Henry if you're gonna run. like Derrick Henry runs pretty yeah. high, but he's fucking Derrick Henry, so it doesn't matter. Like you, you can't be um, this really tall runner in the NFL. You're just gonna get sawed in half no matter how big and physical you are. But uh, anyway, I'm I'm drafting I'm drafting those guys. The guy who is my highest owned uh, rookie running back right now, and he fits very much the mold of uh again going back to my money ball thing or i i also like to for like the island of misfit toys type type concept is ray davis out mm. of of kentucky <clears throat> and he is it's a little kyrony a little uh pacheco like a little like that kind of a guy well, brian Evan robinson Hull. isn't isn't he kind of the Brian, the, the, he does everything coaches like, isn't that Evan the idea? Hull, uh, how I got onto now, Evan Hall was a total bust last year, but he got hurt. Right. But it was got Evan, Evan Hall type of a thing where it's like, they're fine football players. Like go again, go watch the highlights. You see some stuff that Ray Davis does that like he's got, there's one in particular. I think I posted a thread about him that I found the video. He hurdles a guy at the line of scrimmage and jump cuts a safety and runs for like 70 yards. And it was like, Holy shit, man, that was like that looked like one of the, a breeze run, like we might have seen. He's not breeze. I'm not trying to say that, but he has some juice. It's not zero. He has some juice, but really, what he does well is he's good at everything. Mm. Um, he's fist, he's a pretty five nine two fifteen or something like that as a as a you know, running back is a pretty solid size that we're looking for. Solid enough. I have him at two twenty actually. Two twenty, yeah. So even better, which uh, I think might be official from the Senior Bowl. Okay. Oh yeah. I haven't updated anything from, from the senior bowl. I didn't even put the bowl games in my, 
in my uh, uh, data. So it tells you how old my my stuff is. But uh, I try not to because it's like neighbor, Malik Neighbors only went out there because he was trying to get the 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 record <laughs> at the end. And I'm like, this shit is so stupid. Uh, I'm not going to include it. So anyway, Ray Davis, but he fits this archetype of, like I said, does all the little stuff, was very much productive uh, at three different stops, actually, in college. And I feel like the age and the three different stops is being held against him, which I understand. But like, it's one of those situations where everyone's holding that against him. And he's been nothing. He's done nothing but be productive every single stop of the way was quite frankly, really dominant at Kentucky this past year in the SEC. So we've now seen him at the higher levels of competition actually came from Vandy before that. And that's why I mentioned the Pacheco thing. He went to temple and produced as a true freshman. I believe a thousand yard season as a true freshman Ray Davis did and gets hurt ends up at Vandy for anybody that doesn't know Vandy is like, uh, I'm trying to think of what an example is, you know, your, your, your JV football team going to take on one of the best teams, you know, in the state or something like that. It's like, it's not fair, right? Go watch a Vandy, go watch Vandy play Alabama. It's over at the end of the first quarter. You know, it's 28, nothing. They just have no chance. So to produce at a school like that, which is what Isaiah Pacheco did at Rutgers, right. To produce to some level, is something that always catches my eye, then goes to Kentucky and produces really well here in this, this last year, catches passes, pass protects well enough. And so he just does all of those little things that I'm like, I, I, he can find a way to carve out a role if he finds that right landing spot because of that specific skill set. It's kind of the opposite of like a Braylon Allen who needs a really specific spot to land in because he can't catch passes. He can't pass protect, right? He's not going to do all of those things, but he needs a spot where they just like give him goal line carries and stuff in between the tackles. I prefer to lean to the Ray Davis because they fit that kind of like Kyron Pacheco, you know, Fournette, right? That's how Fournette carved out his value in the NFL. They carve, they do that kind of a thing. And so I really like those guys. And your guy estimate honestly fits that. He's an unexceptional pass catcher, but he's a good pass protector. He, I mean, geez, have you seen him? He's, you want to talk about big, my God, that guy, he looks like DK Metcalf as a, as a running back. He's huge. He's a tank. He's a good pass protector. He'll catch it in the flat, like kind of a thing, yeah. right? Like he's not going to He gets downhill. Anything. Like he, he, I mean, he doesn't do. I feel like he doesn't do a lot of things, but he he gets moving quickly downhill. I mean, he's he's one of those guys where it's like if he lands in, you know, the the one cut style system, he's going to be pretty fun. Yep. Um, Elijah so Mitchell kind of thing, have, maybe Tyler Algier, like those. Yes. I kind of tend to like those guys, um, because I think they tend to tend to be underpriced relative to to the upside they can they can give you in the right situation. Um, over the course of a few weeks. I mean, Tyler Algier was a pretty big hit as a rookie just because he delivered in the final weeks of the season. He didn't do anything mm -hmm. before that, but then, you He's know. big hit this year, too. He he, he yeah. made my he made my lineup in week 16 and week 17 in Best Ball Mania, and that was, Bijan never even got hurt. Imagine if Bijan would have got hurt. <laughs> I know, I know. It's crazy. Yeah, so I, I tend to like those types of backs, but to Ray Davis's, to the point on Ray Davis, um, it's just really interesting to pull up uh, in the box score scout. By the way, I think we might get a little bit of a weird discount on Ray Davis because his name is Raymond, Raymond. Davis. And so it's like actually kind of hard to find his stats if you don't know that. Exactly. So, so I think for it's kind of like an out of sight, out of mind discount maybe yes. on Ray Davis a little bit. Uh, it's like, oh, yeah, I've been meaning to look at him, but I never have. 
Um, Why can't I which, find Ray? Who, who they keep telling me to draft this guy, and I can't fucking find him when I Google him. What is the these guys yeah. are like? What is this? This is Pepe Silvia. This is like this. <laughs> that watch Always Sunny. Charlie dreams up. Pepe. I keep finding mail. It's this Pepe. Pepe. I got tons of Pepe, and it's like everybody <laughs> keeps saying Ray Davis, and there's no fucking Ray Davis in Google. There's two because Bucky Irving's also like that. Yes, Marquise. Um, Marquise. Yes, yeah, so there's two guys this year. Um, but okay, so Ray Davis in Rotovis's box score scout. You can look at uh, backfield dominator rating. They've got it listed as RB dominator. And this is uh, uh, Blair Andrews has written a lot about this as a metric that's really helpful. I think, a, you know, specifically for guys like Ray Davis, who may lack draft capital, maybe kind of an early day three guy potentially. Um, we want guys with really high backfield dominator ratings. This means that they handled the vast majority of touches in their backfield. Um, and it can be a sign of skill because the team is leaning on this running back. They trusted him. He got it's one way to measure did he get on base, right? That that kind of idea. Um, this is something that like Philip Lindsay crushed, you know, the the kind of guys who can come out of nowhere often do pretty well in this metric. He had a 75% backfield dominator rating at uh 20 years old at Temple, 78% the following year. Both of those are really strong numbers. Good transfers, as you mentioned, goes to Vanderbilt. 76%, then 73% in his second year at Vanderbilt. Then he transfers again to Kentucky, 82%, actually peaks. So every time he's joining a new backfield, he just takes the backfield over. That's a good sign. You know, that's like that. If the idea is coaches are going to trust this guy, they're going to leave him out there all the time. Well, we've seen three different schools do that. So. He's actually need to progressively better programs every single yeah. time, right? Yeah. From, from, I think Temple was in the American or whatever, but like a middle mediocre to below average American conference team to, okay, you made the SEC, but like you, did you really, you know, you, you made, you made it to Vandy. Did you really make the SEC? <laughs> nope. Did it again. And now, now you came to uh, you know, top tier top, you know, whatever, whatever you want to classify Kentucky, you know, eight, nine win SEC program every, every single year. Now you did it. There is like, that's it, a pretty darn good progression. Yeah, I need to move him up. Actually, he he's he's pretty interesting. Just if you're betting on a guy to, you know, like I probably, yeah, I, like why are why are we taking Kendra Miller, you know, over over him? Yeah, and I kind of like Kendra because I'm still being stubborn. And then they had to, they do this every time. He got on the field at the very very end and had a, a one really good game right at the end at the end of the season, and he looked awesome. You know, you really want to uh, get your hand in the dirt. He looked like you were, and it made me like all the Kendra shares I had last year. I'm like, I was fucking right. I knew it. I told you that, we, you know, I told you this guy is good. I told you the Saints is good situation for running backs, blah, blah, blah. But I got one 18 point game or whatever in week 17 and it didn't matter. And nobody had Kendra team. <laughs> nobody had a Kendra team in the, in the final. So it didn't matter. But um, to your point, like nothing has changed really for Kendra. All right. I put him right here, Kendra. And and Ray would Davis be fun if Kendra took the backfield over. Uh, I'm 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 still drafting some Kendra, but let's <laughs> not do that. That 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 thing again. Uh, any other any other running backs? I don't want to. Like I said, I don't want to like go into a Dylan Lobb and uh, yeah, all that kind of stuff. I take some Dylan Lobb at the end, and I you know I'll mix I'll mix in Braylon Allen. Out Bucky Irving, I think is somewhat interesting as kind of a pass catching type. Um, uh, Will Shipley, kind of Rogers mentioned, uh, as as a guy who uh, specifically is a pass catcher, is interesting, and he ran a lot of routes. Um, 
16.8 routes per game is a guy who wasn't like a total backfield dominator. So he's, you know, got potentially. Worse. Yeah. I, Phil Moffat, he wasn't even the best. Back. And this is this is not a rule we should ever use because teams can have, if there's no rule that says you can't have two NFL backs in a backfield. Look at Alabama. They would have six, you know, yeah, in the program right. for years. But like Phil Moffa really kind of took over and like dunked on Will Shipley by the end of his career. And it wasn't just because Moffa, Moffa was good, but it, it was also kind of like Shipley never really, Shipley was like the Lawrence of Clemson running backs where like he came in, he popped early and he was a big recruit and you were like, Oh, my, sort okay. of Zach Evans. Yeah. Yes. Like you're like, this dude is good. You're like, okay, he's going to keep getting better. And he kind of kept getting worse. Yeah. Could have been some injury stuff. He was banged up a lot, but I just, that always makes me skittish, right? It's yeah. the, like, if like Ray Davis is continuing to ascend, he's moving up in competition and continuing to ascend and get better and get better. And then, Will Shipley is in the same situation in the ACC at a theoretically dominant school that should have an edge. And he's like getting worse and losing work, right? Mm -hmm. By the time he graduates or by the time he gets to the NFL, he's actually lost work over the course of the years. Well, Connor talked me into to mixing him in occasionally, and I think he might have just talked me out of it. But, but, but that's kind of... If you trust in that, this, this is the thing I have him ranked still. I haven't taken him yet. Okay. But if you value pass catching and pass protection, like I do, he fits that. And if you say, look, that's going to get him on the field, and who knows, right by the end, if you can get on the field because you can pass, protect, and catch the ball, who knows by the end of your rookie season, right? We right. could be looking at a workhorse in week 17. So I'm not writing him off. I just like, like, I, I prefer Ray Davis or whatever. What do you think about a similar archetype to Shipley in Dylan Johnson? It's kind of that similar thing, except he did start to dominate the backfield at Washington. Yeah, so an un uninspiring kind of player but has that really one specific skill set that's valuable. Yeah, I didn't I haven't really looked into Dylan Johnson that much cuz I started based on um the Scouts Inc rankings and he wasn't listed. Yeah. Um and so that was like, all right, well we might be talking about a guy who's like super late day 3. Um they haven't fully built out their list. So, I mean, he's, I forget where he lands on the PFF big board. I think he's like 209, though, off, off of memory. Um, so, draft capital would be maybe, maybe I'm thinking of Isaiah Davis when I say the 209. Um, but he, the draft, draft capital would be the concern because he wasn't really even on my radar um, because of the draft capital. And so I still, he's like on my list of guys to dive into. I like, some of those guys in case uh people haven't you know heard me say it a thousand different times but that specific skills like i don't like will shipley but he has the skill set that i really highly value and so i'm mixing through those guys dylan johnson i need to do some some will shipley i'm trying to double check here um any other rookies that kind of fit yeah, i don't think he's on the pff big board dylan johnson and so i so I, i'm gonna look who am i uh, to say that I know more than than PFF, but I kind of think he's going to be one of these guys that does pop up as we'll look back and he'll be a fifth rounder or something like that, uh, you know, and be this kind of like, he, you want to know who he, he, he reminds me of is a little bit Rashad Whitey uh, mm, mm, in okay. like, un, un, kind of uninspiring runner, but big enough, physical enough, good receiver, like legitimately good, good receiver, good pass protector. 
um, took over the back. Now Rashad White took it over a little bit earlier, and I think Rashad White's a little better. Was definitely better. Much higher college. yards per hour on that's the from the very first thing I was like he did. Uh, 1.09 yards per route run over his career, which is what kind of in that whatever range. It's so it didn't it doesn't actually pop for me there. Um, so but. what I will, what I will, and I don't actually do, I haven't run a uh, uh, you know, any deep dive into this, but he came from Mississippi State and transferred to Washington. And uh, anybody, this was the Mike Leach Mississippi State, so the quintessential air raid, meaning they never mm. ran the ball. And so he was running a route on every single, <laughs> uh, but you know, their run game was check downs to the running backs. And so um, I've always had a small little, um, you know, spot in my heart for the, the guy like that, who I know he's a natural pass catcher. I know he's a natural um, uh, pass protector because that's literally all Mike Leach cares. <laughs> like, he, like I don't so, second most game. routes per game in the class. So tons, I mean, he, yeah. tons running, tons of routes. So on one hand, it's like, okay, he's out there running a bunch of routes, but he's it's not like he's like you know getting completely wide open. But it's also on the other hand, this is something that NFL teams can trust. It's like I know you can do this thing, right? Um, and and I believe in that. Like again, from a from a skill set perspective, being able to be out there and do those two key things on passing downs is like really valuable to me. Like when, especially like this is a, we're talking about a last round pick in basketball, right? This is like when I'm wading through Isaiah Davis. I'm not saying Isaiah Davis can't do this, but uh, Jaden Sheridan. I don't know if you've looked up Jaden Sheridan yet. Monmouth, I believe, but no. same thing. Small school, like mega explosive, like monster rushing yards and stuff. But if you go to like look at like any scouting uh, stuff or just look at his data, like can't catch passes, can't pass protect. And he's definitely like, a running back, right? Davis pitched yes. me on a safety yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> Jaden Sheridan, Monmouth, I believe. A little smaller, but like broke million, tons of records, you know, small school running back and all that kind of stuff. And if you look deep enough and squint, you'll be like, I don't know, you know, maybe, maybe he's good. But then you look in and you're like, yeah, but he can't catch and he can't pass protect. How are you going to be a seventh round pick and make an NFL mm -hmm. team if you can't do, do those things versus, right? Dylan Johnson has the Samaj P. Ryan path. Like I like to use P. Ryan because it was like this unexceptional player who actually becomes really fantasy viable because he does that one thing really, really well. And so I'm kind of looking for that in some late round running backs and Dylan Johnson fit that mold. Honestly, when I get to like that kind of level, I'm just going receivers. Yeah. Um, Cause this, that's what this class has. This class has so many, I mean, just like it kind of, it's kind of wild how many late round viable late round guys there are. Um, I think one of the guys you're you're most excited about. I'm not really even drafting. Um, so it, you're kind of hinting earlier. Oh, yeah. um, if it's the guy, if it's the guy I think you're talking about. Then I'm not really even drafting him. And there's like guys I'm drafting here. You're probably not drafting. And mm -hmm. you know, it's it's like one of those things where I'm like, I'm like, wait, who's who's this guy? Because he's kind of popping <laughs> in my stuff. And I go and I'm like, oh, I'm excited about this guy actually. And then you know, I'll, I'll kind of dig in more. And I'm like, Oh no, I need to stop drafting uh, Jacob cowing and start drafting Jamari thrash. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know, that, yeah, like, I think oh. we, all of us because <laughs> had probably that exact same thought. I'm like, Oh yeah. man, look at, look at, look at, look at all what Jacob cowing's done. Look at his targets per route run. Oh my God. Look at the, he broke out early. Oh, blah, 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 blah. And then you're like, okay, 
I did three in a row. Jacob Cowling. Who's next? Oh, Jamari Thrash. Oh, Tez Walker. Oh, you know, whatever. Yeah. You just keep moving. Yeah. You keep keep moving down that list. Super quickly, I would be remiss. Uh, the people who call me a fraud if I didn't call out one more running back. I just wanted to see uh, what your thoughts are, if you'll draft them at all, because um, people will look for some of these flyers at running back. One of my guys is Cody Schrader uh, from Mizzou, from Missouri. Uh, a little bit, again, uh, uh, one of those guys that I've watched a lot over college, and I do get a little bit sometimes emotionally uh, attached. But I also think from a production perspective, talking about like a get-on-base type of a guy, like I – I think maybe like maybe even more than Ray Davis or similar to a Ray Davis type of a thing. Like I trust that this dude can get on base. <clears throat> Will it work out in the NFL? Will they hold kind of his track record and stuff against him for anybody that doesn't know came from Truman state actually, and had to walk on at the university of Missouri, but as a walk on transfer earns his way to the starting running back job last year, takes it over this year and completely dominant, like dominates the sec like everybody, it didn't matter. Georgia, Tennessee at one point had the best run defense in the country, ran for 200 something on those guys, caught passes, not an amazing, but he fits that mold of kind of like not amazing pass catcher, but does enough, right? He plays every down and does enough in the passing game to be like, if he can get, if, if he can get in a spot, you know, as a fifth round pick or something like that, that like, I'll be like, all right, this is a guy I'm, I'm really excited for. Um, but I just, you know, those guys are so impossible to know, but like he could go undrafted for all that I know. But I, I really trust his production and his talent and what he did specifically this past year in the like to totally dominate the SEC at Mizzou is pretty darn impressive. And so he's just a guy uh, I'm taking when I need one of these running backs in the last round. He's not really on my radar to be honest, because you know another guy who wasn't listed um, by Scouts Inc. so far. Um, so I haven't really dug into him, but um, yeah, I mean, the, wow, the production in the final season was awesome. Um, another guy who has a lot of routes run, but his yards per route run is is zero point six five, which is like yep. bad. Yep. Um, that's like a like a red flag level. Like Braylon Allen's at zero point seven four, so that's that's definitely a little concerning. Um, but I mean, he was, seems like very productive. Also, he breakaway yards pretty poor. So my, I guess my concern would be he's like a little bit uh, plotting. Like, how much burst does this guy have? More than Dylan Johnson and Will Shipley and Kamani Vidal and Rasheen Ali. More than those late round fringe guys, but definitely not to the extent of the top running, like okay. not nowhere near um, obviously Brooks and Benson. Um, I mean, Corum does Corum really have any burst himself? Not, that much. not really. Uh, yeah. No, not Marshawn Lloyd. Marshawn Lloyd has definitely got more juice. Yeah. Um, Lloyd Bucky. looks really boom bust to me though. Lloyd, like yeah. I don't, I'm not like a big stickler for like bouncing runs outside and not like, doesn't look like he's running within, but that guy like runs, he runs like I would run. He runs like he's like running from something. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? He's like, like he's he's running like he's in, you know, all of a sudden he doesn't know why he's running. Like he's he's <laughs> like, ah, oh, we're running. What's going on? <laughs> he runs like he's panicked. 
the very first <laughs> Madden game I got, I'm going to date myself. This is in the early to mid nineties um, was Barry Sanders was still in the league and, you know, video games were not quite to the level they are today. And so, you know, there were certain plays that were just cheat codes with certain players, right? I'm sure everybody remembers the Vic Madden version where he, you literally couldn't be caught by the defense because he was too fast. But Barry Sanders was the same way, but you had to bounce the run. Like if you mm -hmm. bounced the run outside every single time, he would you could get to the sideline without him him being caught. And that's how Marshawn Lloyd runs. He runs like I did when I was seven playing Madden with Barry yeah. Sanders. But he, he runs like works. he's not holding a football and his like hands are in the air. Like he's like, ah, <laughs> he's, <laughs> like he's good. Like, like he looks fun and he's good, but like he does look fun. Ken Walker. Here's my here's my Kyron Williams level note. What you get. These are the scouting notes. I know the people the people here for the scouting notes. Yes. Definitely fast. <laughs> May not be a super structured runner. Feels a bit boom bust. Yes. There's your yes. current scouting That's report. And and USC was such a good landing spot for him because nothing about what USC did he fit perfectly. You want you want the Caleb Williams of running backs next to you to like talk about unstructured offenses. A Marshawn <laughs> Lloyd run followed up by a Caleb Williams five step five step drop. Both of those plays took forty five seconds. Playground you know football, I mean? man. That, that's that's the vibe. They both gained four yards, but you know two minutes ran off the clock between those those two plays. Um, wait, just quickly, Corum, not exciting, but like. I, I do think he's the opposite of I'm more excited about these guys who legitimately could go undrafted that I've just mentioned Cody Schrader, right? Dylan Johnson, whatever. Yeah. Uh, uh, Ray Davis. I'm legitimately personally more excited. So that does put your brain in a weird place where you're like, I know the NFL is going to disagree with me, but my assessment of these players is different than what they have. And that's a, see, that's dynasty though. Isn't it like you're like those, or those are Chirons. Those are future Chirons for next yeah. year. Yeah. You know, yeah. like I think those or, are like, hey, the NFL's like like this NFL team's like really into Cody Schrader. And it's like most people are gonna be like, I don't fucking care. Who the fuck <laughs> yeah. is Cody Schrader? But but you know, having done the work and then you're like, Okay, I actually thought this guy was pretty interesting. You know, he got he's a sixth round pick. He he spends his entire rookie season working his way up the depth chart. He he manages to get to you know second on the depth chart by the end of the season. Now the team's like thinking about giving him some real run. That's I think that I think those guys, at least that's probably the way I'm gonna play those guys yeah. this year. Where actually, like Blake Corum, I probably need to be drafting some of because there's a good chance that a guy who I don't think is a is very good gets installed and gets a chance as a rookie, like much, probably much higher that he gets that shot than any of these kind of like more interesting fringe guys. Um, so, you know, you might as well, you like, what's the perfect way to have played Damian Pierce and Kyron Williams, right? It's, it's to take Damian Pierce in the rookie season, then bail and take Kyron Williams once he's, once he's coming up. Right. So mm -hmm. um, being in on some of these, like, these bad players when they get good opportunity uh can be quite profitable so i, I do i don't want to just like put my head in the sand and be like Blake quorum's plotting he's a plotting two down guy and i think he is mm -hmm. but you know there's probably like zamir white's probably a plotting two down guy and Correct. and now and now he, he's gonna most likely be a starting plotting two down guy um i have like a little bit less 
trouble getting uh getting you know coming around on him because i've seen him play at the nfl level and you know he looks fine um and so yeah, yeah sure i'll take him i don't care I, I think we can get like with the prospect stuff i can get like more like uh stubborn with with my takes on these like i i find sometimes i need to work back to i don't know he's probably fine and i think that's yeah. where quorum <clears throat> or that's probably where i should be on quorum at his current price I think that that makes makes total sense. Also, uh, adding, I'm gonna kind of assess some things because uh, I totally agree with everything you said. And then as well, similar, it reminds me similar to the JJ McCarthy thing that like I can treat a lot of these um, fringier guys mix in. Right? Sometimes you do have a draft where you're like, oh crap, I need two running backs in the last two rounds. I would rather take them than whatever. Uh, it, pick a, a crappy veteran that's back there. That's fine. But I do prefer the wide receivers that are back there and. We've done, like you said, we've we've done the work. Now the next thing you know, Ray Davis goes in the third round to the Chargers. It's like, uh, you know, a that's that's a that's a Yahtzee. But we can also always reassess, right? Cody Schrader goes in the fourth round to the Bucks to be that that mm-hmm. pairing with Rashad White or whatever. You know, I'm making these things up, but you get the point. Or right, Dylan Johnson does go undrafted. It's like, all right, we 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 throw him in the trash can, right? But um, having done this, then I think. The, the April May time frame when we come back around to really drafting season, um, it can give us a, a big leg up because we'll know how to we'll know how to like the moment those guys get off to come off the board in the NFL Jeff, we'll know whether they're going in the trash bin or they're going to the end of our rankings or they're going very high in our in our rankings uh because we're kind of ready to pounce on yeah. that. But but waiting to pounce as opposed to pouncing right now like we are on some some of these other guys. Yeah, Ray Davis is is one of the. It's like Ray Davis and I don't know Frank Gore Jr. Do you mix him in at all? I haven't yet, but I'm I'm thinking about adding him in um, a little bit. He was like he's a he's a weird he's kind of a weird prospect um, for me. Like some flashes of brilliance and lots of mehness for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like some guys who did that, so I, I probably shouldn't hold that against him too much. Broke but a lot of tackles. Way. Yeah, yeah. I, I just. I struggle with that kind of a, a th- it's kind of like I pull in broken tackles and like elusiveness rating and like PFF mm-hmm. grade. And like, I pull in all that stuff and I try not to get too bogged down in it because then like I got all the pretty conditional formatting and it pops off my screen at me. And then I'm like, yeah, but am I letting that pretty green color on that guy drive me to like, he broke tackles at a small school and like, you know, I, I don't know. I, 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 these fringe guys at running back specifically, I find to be the most difficult part of of this whole process. And I think for this class, it's especially difficult because there aren't any great ones at the top either. So you can convince yourself that all of these other guys are worth a shot because like how much worse are they than Trey Benson is is like what goes through my mind a lot. Yeah, I think the thing to think through as we're as you know, the, as we get further down the list we're getting into more uncertainty. And so to the probably the biggest thing for these guys is like, are they going to get drafted? You know, what are their odds of going day two? And Trey Benson just seems to have much better odds yep. of going day two than a lot of these guys. Blake Corm as well. Ray Davis, maybe day three, but like I feel pretty good about his chances of like yeah. impressing coaches. So like playing playing time, path to playing time, I think is the biggest thing. And again, I, I, for a lot of these guys, I'm just going to be more attracted to the wide receivers where we're not talking about 
oh, I hope this guy gets drafted. We're talking about this guy might get drafted round two. You can <laughs> yeah. take Ricky Pearsall in the final rounds. He might get drafted in the second round, you know, and probably gets drafted third round. I Do I love his profile? I don't. I think he's got a lot of red flags, <laughs> but he might get drafted in the second round. So I do, you know, that's to me that the way to play this class is if you're like, you know, kind of down in the weeds of, of some of these like more fringier running back guys for right now, I would just pivot and start mixing in wide receivers. You really can't mix in tight ends. I, I don't think, I mean, the tight end discussion is, is Brock Bowers is still a little underpriced and Jatavion Sanders should be drafted a little higher. And that's it. There's no one, there's no one else. I think you should even think about. And I don't even personally take Jatavian Sanders, not because I don't think he's worth flyers at the back half. I just, he is a prospect that doesn't at all jump off the page to me. Like, I think he's going to test fine. I think he showed some levels. I of think explosion. he might test really well. Yeah. I, th- I think he's a good athlete is, but this is, that's when we're, I, I, he's not, but I like your Jelani Woods quote from, from before it was like, Nothing really ever impressed you, even watching him on the field. Nothing in the data is exceptionally Im- impressive. And um, the only thing that stands out to me is kind of like like you said, he, the, the market also doesn't really like him. So I, I'm going to sprinkle him in a tick. But part of my, I don't want to get into this during the, the rookie conversation, but part of a big part of my strategy has actually been avoiding those late round titles. Like I, yeah. I don't want yeah, to I be dipping you, you in. Don't, you don't want to get... I've been gotten boxed into trying to take four late, and it's so rough. It's awful. Like I, I'm almost trying to just be done. You know, like Michael Mayer. Like I don't even want to mm-hmm. dip past him. A lot of the times, I'm done at Kyle Pitts or something. Like I'm just double tapping, whatever. In Joku, I've done Pitts like straight or, up bully tight end. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm, I'm open to that, and so I think that's. Brock, like I'll take, I just give me Brock Bowers and Kyle Pitts and like, let me move on. And and I'll take my late round rookie wide receivers as, as your example over Sanders, but it's not, I, I don't mean to be super negative. I just don't feel, I, I, I can reassess that the great thing about this game, similar to what we talked about with the McCarthy and with some of these running backs, like I don't have to try to cover every base in the big board. I want to be smart about spreading my chips out mm-hmm. to the right guys. But if I don't really feel that there's some, super strong reason to mix in Jatavian Sanders. Like I can come back in May and like he lands on the chargers, you know, and and like, okay, now let's talk about what are we going to do with him? But I just don't have to do that right now. If I don't feel the need, here's my pitch on Jatavian Sanders. I think he goes second round. I think he tests really well. Mm -hmm. Um, I think he's, he's pretty young. So we're, you know, you get that part of it and he was, he wasn't, completely unproductive i mean he had 20 20 yeah um he had a 21 percent dominator rating uh as a 19 year old and then dropped to 13 percent this past year 17 percent for his career not particularly impressive but um i think he was pretty efficient in yards per route run so you know there's there's like some things to be like okay all right and then the big thing is athletic guy who goes second round so right. I, it, it is a little similar in some ways to Woods where, um, you know, it's mostly athleticism and draft capital driving it. But I thought, you know, Woods like really, I was like, man, are we, this is an older prospect who, who never was very productive. Um, I just had a much harder time. I felt like the, the draft capital, which wasn't 
as strong. I believe he's a third round pick. Mm-hmm. Um, and the athleticism were like carrying a lot of water for the overall profile. I think Sanders is a little bit uh, less dependent on those things. He's yeah. he at least flashed a little bit more. I'm trying to the yards per actually the yards per hour on work whatever one point eight one not bad but not that's that's fine for a tight end but not not amazing. So I think that if I you know to simplify the pitch, I think he moves up in price because if he tests yeah. well and is a second round yeah. pick, he's going to be more expensive. So yep, I like it. I like it. Um, a good segue from Jatavian Sanders to the wide receivers uh, and and Jelani Woods because there's a Virginia wide receiver who I particularly like who I don't think that you like and there's two Texas wide receivers who I don't particularly like but I also don't particularly like Jatavian Sanders and I'm curious if this is a, a collection of average to above average college players who uh, all kind of popped because they were on a good Texas offense with a, you know a good quarterback and they're all good but none of them are going to be good at the NFL level because nothing about Xavier Worthy and Ad Mitchell or Jatavian Sanders individually really pop off to me right but then you got Jonathan Brooks is like the whole freaking Texas offense is going to be getting drafted this year were any of them actually standouts and then like you said on the flip side um, you have a guy for me like a, a Malik Washington that I think is a really interesting deep dive we have everything in this like uh, uh the deep cuts like malik washington the deep cuts like ricky pearsall um uh, those types of guys i i particularly myself like javon baker out of out of ucf as again another last round like deep cut guy that i think there's tons of those right we can run down the list and we will run down some of them you mentioned jamari thrash and tez walker and jacob cowing and uh, Malachi Corley and Jerry Rice. If you, if you're son. in the highlights, by the way. Jacob Cowing's highlights are fucking fun. That yeah. guy is so quick. Uh, he is going to be a fun one because, and we'll talk. I think we should talk about him because he fits that island of misfit toys kind of idea where he does not really run a full route set. He is a very unique guy that they just kind of got the ball to and let him do his thing. It was a little bit different um, his second to last year at Arizona, but uh, he's also not the best wide receiver on his own team. Uh, 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 Tetaroa McMillan. Is, he's like uh, a really, people are oh, excited about him, right? Oh, oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, I'm extremely, extremely excited about him. I think when NCAA football comes out this summer, I'm going to go pick, I'm going to play with Arizona because like I have a oh. man crush on, uh, on on this kid but uh yeah jacob cowling is still awesome playing next to him nonetheless but there's like all this stuff like we could go i think for tons of time talking about all the wide receivers and that's not even talking about the big three two big three big four however you would like to classify it which are also like legendarily good (laughs) at the top it's it's such an insane class that i think going back to some of the macro concepts we talked about at the beginning I'm taking tons and tons of rookie wide receivers. Me too, man. I'm, I'm sometimes them. like in, half in my receivers are rookies. Like I like literally like sometimes and, half my receivers, and, and which I might be a little people, over the top, but I'm but I, I don't have drafts think like it is. And I don't think it is. And I, I wanted to. That's like the big point I wanted to hit first is if I, I we look back historically when we're drafting, it feels so goddamn uncomfortable to take a bunch of rookie wide receivers because you just don't know. Like, I mean, we're just totally guessing, right? Other than like Marvin Harrison and neighbors, I guess. But we're just guessing even about landing spot and all that. But then you look back every single year and we get to the end and there's like 15 rookie wide receivers that you'd be happier on your team. Like to varying levels, right? I'm talking about sometimes that's Tyquan Thornton, right? Sometimes that's whatever, that kind of a guy. But then it's also... Even like 
Zay Flowers and and you know th- that level of hit exists Rishi Rice. as well, right? Rushy Rice, Tank Dell, Josh Downs, like all these guys are varying levels of hits that you're like, I mean, if the worst wide Josh receiver Downs on my team, one. if the worst wide receiver on my team is Josh Downs, <laughs> I think I think that's a pretty good fucking wide receiver core. You know what I mean? Yeah, and so, yeah. um, and that's with worse classes than this. Like I love yeah. this class, so I'm, I'm investing heavily for sure. Yeah, plus we have the extra two rounds to work with. And it's like, what are you hunting for with those extra two rounds? I mean, one nice thing to hunt for is one spike week in weeks 15, 16, or 17. You know, that would be a really nice way to to have that final pick add to your roster. Um, you know, that that one spike week could add more expected value to that team than, you know, a guy who is like RB13 for the regular season. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's kind of nuts because the advance, the advance is getting one more team to advance is so huge and not advance to the playoffs, but advance in week 16 to the final, right? right? That, that advance, people don't really think about. I mean, I know you and I are constantly talking about it. And if you're listening to this, you probably think about it, but the general field is just not thinking about advance rate in the way that actually matters where you, you want to advance. I know this sounds weird, but you want to advance to the final where the money is, <laughs> not just to the we, playoffs. <laughs> you, yeah, I know you guys did a lot of playoff best ball conversation, <clears throat> as as did we here. We we liked to, and I, I drew some lessons from the playoff best ball stuff that I'm going to use this summer as well. And it Me was too. Like in yeah. in playoff best ball, people always talked about either the Super Bowl or getting out of the first round, which is yep. the same conversation you're just saying. People talk same about ed- conversation advance rate. That. Or optimizing for week 17. Yeah. And it's like, like in the eight, some, sometimes they're conflict. Yeah, exactly. People treated it like there was only two parts of it. And it's like, actually, right, there's four parts. And how do I get as many? Like, I, I understand that the week 17 final is just like all variants, but how do I get as many teams there? Not as many teams to week 15. I want to get as many teams to week 17. Then I'll just let the chips fall where they may. And playoff best ball was the same. People were like, how do I get out of the first round? Or how do I optimize for the Super Bowl? And like a lot of the times it was like, how do I, of course, optimize for the Super Bowl, but then how do I like, what's the right way to get through the yeah. conference championships? Because how lean do you want to be yeah like how lean how like what do i need Jawan jennings spoiler alert you did right Right? do i need Jawan jennings do i need mccall hardman spoiler alert would have been nice to have mccall hardman right but like figuring that out nobody ever fucking talks about that and nobody like what do i need in week 16 like what what are the little things that i can do in week 16 to help me get more teams to week 17 and then maybe even give me more unique paths to winning in week 17 and like rookie wide receivers is like probably the biggest cohort of players one of the very biggest things you can do the easiest thing you can do too it's yeah it's probably the easiest thing you do yeah i I actually have already like 90 percent written an article about this exact idea i'm gonna probably save it until best ball mania because i think it's more it's like lessons of playoff best ball for best ball mania or Mm -hmm. you know well for any of these tournaments but you know best ball mania is the flagship one on underdog. So that's, I'm going to probably wait until that launches um, to, to finish it. But the idea of just like kind of how lean do you want these teams to be like, you know, if you're spending like in playoff best ball, if you're spending that extra pick on a team that you don't think will advance uh, like a lion's guy, for example, over, you know, Jawan Jennings or Marcus Valdez Scantling, right. Mikkel mm-hmm. Hardman, if you're you're sacrificing finals equity for 
getting their equity. And I think we generally, the market is just doing that too often. And it's like one of these things where all of our biases point us to wanting to have too much fat on our teams because one, we think about things chronologically and you don't, you know, so you first I have to advance, then I have to advance again, then I have to advance again. And then once having all done all that, I have to win the final. But of course, what's most important is that you're optimized to win the final. And then what's second most important is that you're optimized to get through week 16 and then, <laughs> you know, and so on. So it's actually least important to advance out of round one, right? You gain the, the least amount of EV on your team yep. for that round. It's the easiest thing to do. You can kind of luck into advancing out of round one in a way it's harder to luck into advancing out of round 16, much harder, you know, a lot more luck than you do just to get out of round one. So why wouldn't you kind of leverage that and basically hope luck shines on your team in round one. And if you're just hoping you get super lucky in the final, like you might have to get extremely lucky if you're not built to actually win the final, you might even be blocked <laughs> depending yeah. on how, you know, yes. depending on which format, like if you're in playoff basketball, you will literally be blocked if you didn't advance uh, if you if you didn't play to win the final, I think playoff best ball is kind of enlightening in certain ways where you see like, oh, my God, I just played to get there. And now I got there and I can't win. <laughs> so I didn't build for the final. Yep. So I, it's yeah, that monumentous feeling of getting through the semifinal to the final and 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 having a live team, especially right. You, yeah. you have a full playoff, full Super Bowl roster and you're like that that's an amazing feeling like everyone a should should get to feel that but then you don't want to have the feeling as soon as the cards get flipped over right and all the teams get advanced that you're like i just achieved something so impossible i now have a one in whatever hundred shot at x thousand dollars and then you flip it over and like oh no i have a one in whatever shot at like 1500 yeah. You know, it's like I spent all that time and I, I achieved it and I got there to this final, but I didn't do the last tiny little like the tiniest little like one move, one different pick, maybe two, but like one different pick that you could have made that took you from maxing out at fifteen hundred dollars to maxing out at fifty thousand dollars. And it's like it's once you see it play out like on your teams, it, it like starts to really come true. I always learned it like from DFS was like you flip over the right, you flip over the ownership. You get so many more reps in DFS. It's like exactly, it's, yeah. You you level up so fast with DFS. I would DFS is is so much harder than it used to be, but I still think it's like really valuable as just like a leveling exercise. I'll never stop playing because because of that because uh, um, I have my last like two years of NFL DFS have not been as good as they as I had historically because I think the game's gotten a lot harder. I've also focused a lot more on these kinds of games, but I'll never stop playing because of exactly that. I think it's just a, such a good mental exercise to keep your yeah, brain sharp about this this kind of a game. Speaking of keeping our brain sharp, I do want to run down some of like our kind of favorite wide receivers, and I also Wait, sorry one one more thing on the on this topic. Um, I think when you're so the big mitten that I, I I finished first in the big mitten this year mm -hmm. and I advanced the team that uh, it, it advanced by one point in the conference championship rounds. Uh, and, you know, you could, you know, there, there are worlds where I don't draft Juwan Jennings on that team and I draft, you know, a lion or something to get that, to make sure that team gets through. But then in the final, I was going against a guy who had Juwan Jennings, 
right? I also had Juwan Jennings. And so my Travis Kelsey beat his MVS and that's how I won. But could you, it, you know, the idea that when you're drafting, you're like, okay, taking Juwan Jennings means basically I'm hoping Juwan Jennings, I, I'm basically betting that uh, Juwan Jennings has a chance to outscore Travis Kelsey. I already have Travis Kelsey. What do I need Juwan Jennings for? There's no chance he outscores Travis Kelsey, but you know, he, he did. And also <laughs> maybe he was that extra piece that kind of hit your lineup for, you know, an injured guy or whatever, like having those points in the final as kind of crazy as it might seem that they would ever matter. If they do matter, they become mandatory for that tournament. Yeah. The, the instant they get in the end zone in the Super Bowl, as, as, and we know how chaotic a single NFL game can be, they become mandatory. You need to have them to ship the tournament. And so, you know, getting there by just kind of the skin of your teeth is scary as hell. And sometimes it won't happen. And I think I, this is the kind of the final bias that I think people are fighting where it's like you're, you don't want to have a team that misses the final by half a point and then would have won. It's just so emotionally painful. But I do think that we want to risk that outcome mm -hmm. because that is how you get that team in. That's like so like that that wins it, that ships it. How do you get a team that's built to ship a big final? You get it in barely, right? <laughs> Most likely yep. you get it in barely. And then because it's built for that round, it wasn't built for the previous rounds. Other team, most of the teams in the final were built for rounds that are in the past because that's how they got to the final. If you get your team in that's built for the final, it might be, uh, it, you know, you're probably you're going to need luck along the way, but that's okay, right? We want to get to the final, and then you're going to need luck there too, but but hopefully a lot less luck than everybody else, and that's how you take the whole thing down. So, anyway. With you know, big big tangent, but one of the ways that we can do that, and I think rookie wide receivers are such a, a nice lever to pull, is because they get you uh some of that some of that EV in week 17, but also week 15 and 16. You're mm -hmm. not sacrificing the other single elimination, the other single week tournaments. You are sacrificing equity in the first round, but the big board advances three of twelve. So it's even less important to think about round one in this tournament, even more important to think about guys who are peaking in week 17, rookie wide receiver. It's just such, and then we get the perfect class for it. Yes. Yes. The, the best class since best ball has existed in, in my opinion. Um, part of that is also a little bit, you know, most of these guys didn't hang on for that last year. But a lot of these guys were in college during COVID, and uh, the NCAA gave everybody, uh, you know, an extra a free free. Like, why, why is Ray Davis just now coming out to the running back conversation? Was he 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 didn't redshirt, but he took a free a free mm -hmm. year to hang out in college and play one more year of college football, right? Uh, Malik Washington did did the same thing. So there's some of these peculiar uh, prospects which have beefed up the class to where we actually have some of these fifth year guys who generally would be like you know falling way behind because if you were a fifth year guy who really popped um it wasn't because of this covid thing like you were a much later you know ray davis was producing five years ago as a freshman at at temple and he just happened to hang around because of kind of a odd career it's not because he's not good um and we have a very deep wide receiver class in part because of that but uh um the the guys at the top 
I, do, I think is t- requires the least amount of conversation. But I, I do find it interesting because I have a little bit. Marvin Harrison Jr. is amazing, and you never want to say anything negative about that because it sounds stupid to to question someone like that. But I, I I have found myself feeling the Malik neighbors is probably a little closer to Marvin Harrison than the market is giving him credit for similar to how you mentioned like Drake may is kind of being uh, shunned a little bit in the quarterback discourse. And I think Malik neighbors has been dropped into a spot where it's, I don't have the current ADP in front of me. I apologize, but it was almost like we just said, ah, Harrison's a superstar. We're putting him in the middle of the second Roma Dunze is like, interesting and pretty good so we're gonna pop him into whatever fourth or fifth round let's just throw neighbors in the middle <laughs> let's like uh, we don't know exactly how close he is to harrison we don't know exactly how close he is to to rome we're just gonna toss him kind of in the middle and i'm i i definitely prefer him like quite a bit over roma dunze and i think he's much more in the conversation for wide receiver one overall than he is like wide receiver three or four yeah i think neighbors is definitely riskier than Harrison yes and so I actually think the gap between them is justified like I don't think we should be thinking about neighbors in the second round Uh, I think he's a really strong prospect but you know one of the reasons that we like the underclassmen uh, wide receivers is because the ceiling is a lot higher on these guys who produce right away you know he he crushed in the SEC as an underclassman enters the draft at the earliest opportunity and is now going to go top 10 right that shows you ceiling that that's kind of all screaming ceiling but we do see bus from these early Mm -hmm. producers um at big schools and you know if you like as far as like route running and stuff i think he's not the most polished guy it's more like this guy is just got all the speed in the world uh super athletic um good you know good route runner but you know is he gonna immediately come in and be like a professional number one wide receiver i don't know you know so martin harrison jr though i think will so i I think i I think the gap is probably justified in best ball although i am more ahead i'm i'm think i'm even with the market on harris i mean almost how can you be ahead yeah how Um, the hell do you get it (laughs) yeah Right. So, so I am ahead of the market on neighbors. And so therefore I think he is the bigger target of the two, but um, at the same time, I don't want people to steam him up to where I, I, I I would not draft him if he were going where Harrison is. I think that just because of the downside risk, Adunze, I think is totally fine where he's going to draft. I actually am ahead of market on him, not the typical prospect profile that I look for. You know, four-year guy, that final season driving a lot of the interest from the NFL. That's generally a red flag. But, you know, he's a guy that um, I think at first you're like, "Uh uh-oh, this is like, is this a kind of contested catch guy? Because he's more like the back shoulder type of, you know, he's not like the, the Uber separator. But he actually, in some of the numbers that I was looking at, looks pretty good. Uh, in terms of you know being able to get open deep, um, mm-hmm. it, I, one of the things I like to look at is contested target rate, um, and uh, on, on deep on deep passes specifically. And Odunze uh, rates pretty well there. Um, 
he has a 52% contested catch rate on these deep targets, which is good. But only 26% of his deep targets, 20-plus yard targets, were contested, which is pretty low. So that's actually, he's got this thing where, like Quentin Johnston, for example, or Keon Coleman actually has the same red flag, (laughs) had a lot of his targets, his deep targets, a lot of them were contested. Um, but then when you look at Johnston, he, he sucks at contested catches. So you're like, uh, Oh, this dude got by in college, you know, going against kind of lower competition that, but he, but he might be like a horrible deep threat because he can't separate and then he can't win contested catches. Coleman's kind of in the middle where he probably, he can't separate based on the film evaluation. The first thing you'll hear is that it doesn't really separate. And then the numbers are like, this dude doesn't separate. He's he's good in contested catches though. Yes. So that's kind of more like is he T. Higgins or is like is that or is he Terrace Marshall? You know, like is this gonna is this gonna translate or not? I think is a real question. Mm-hmm. But at least with you know compared to Johnston, he at least showed it in college that he can win those contested catch situations. Odunze is winning contested catch situations, but he's not constantly in them, which shows you that you know, he can either separate or that he's got the route running polish, you know, to be able to beat his guy, even if he's not generating a ton of separation. So Odunze, and then he was also productive early in his career. He was efficient early in his career. Um, So I kind of like him. I I don't love him, but he's not, you know, he, he, there's a pretty big gap between neighbors down to Odunze. He's expensive, by kind of historical rookie wide receiver terms, but I think you know, give, as, as a guy who thinks we should be drafting these guys higher, I'm okay with it. Um, so yeah, I, I'm I'm above market on Odunze. I think he's pretty good target. Um, and then you got to go all the way down outside the top 100 before you hit the next rookies. Uh, Keon Coleman, I'm trying to force myself to take a little bit more of kind of as that best ball idea of, look, even if this guy's not good, he's going to get drafted high and probably gets opportunity right away. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he's really good. Um, you know, it used to be that you could do that with T. Higgins in like round 17 or 18. Yeah. Now you have to do it, you know, around pick 110. But I still think it's probably worth worth doing, even though he really scares me. But Troy Franklin's the guy um, I'm absolutely hammering right now. Because uh, I think he's he's pretty close to Brian Thomas for me. I I, I skipped Thomas. Thomas is going. Um, where is Thomas going? Thomas is going at seventy nine. So he's he's kind of in a tier of his own as well. And I think Franklin. I like Thomas more than Franklin, but I I think it's close. So, but I need I, I probably like need to Franklin. stop taking so see, much Franklin and take a little more Coleman. See, I like Franklin more than Thomas by a good clip. Oh wow, actually. Um, yeah, so I have Franklin. I'm looking for my... people to talk me off the mega yeah. Thomas bull so, stance and or sorry, mega mega Franklin bull stance, and no one's done it so far. And yeah, you're not gonna uh, do it. No, I am not. I am not <laughs> going to do it. Quite the opposite. Troy Franklin is I believe the last time I checked, um the wide receiver uh, other than again, like setting aside like the Malik Washingtons and like the super duper late, like it's easy to be way, way, way ahead of ADP on a guy with the, the you know, 240 ADP or whatever, setting aside kind of the last round or two guys, Troy Franklin is the wide receiver. I am furthest ahead in the rankings versus 
uh, ADP on. Like I said, I have him fourth overall behind Adunze in this um, rookie class. I have some pretty... I always hate like saying things like real concerns or whatever, because it always reminds me of, you know, over the summer, we'll talk about this again, too. It's like when people ask, aren't you worried? Like, aren't you worried mm-hmm. about this? Like, aren't you worried about this for Troy Franklin? Like the answer is, of course, always yes. Um, so then I, I I hate to be the guy who's pulling up the aren't you worried for like for like Brian Thomas. But I have things that worry me more and things that worry me less. And Brian Thomas um, and Keon Coleman, especially even much more than Brian Thomas. Yeah, he's has scary. the concerning things that scare me the most. And then also it does it is not priced in. Right. So to me, Troy Franklin's concerns are way more than priced in at this at this current market price. Right. Too skinny. Is he ever like a truly an alpha guy or is he like I think Brett Coleman posted a he's good at engagement farming these prospect stuff. I think he posted a side by side of MVS and uh, Troy Franklin. And it was funny because the reaction was very negative, uh, you know, and, and calling Brett a hater and stuff. And I found it from our crazy best ball lens being like. If the floor is Marquez Valdez Scantling as an as a, a young a young MVS young Marquez Packers right. Packers MVS if the floor for Troy Franklin Franklin is that like sign me all the way the fuck up like 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 if that's what I'm getting for sure like I know I'm getting MVS let's just say that as a young player at pick one ten or whatever Franklin is going at and the bull case is that like he's a star. And like he could potentially land on the Chiefs or the Bills or somebody like that. Like, you know, he's going to go in the fourth round or something um, in Best Ball Mania season. And so, I I can't talk I can't talk you out of it. Like tr- like w- w- what is there negative other than I guess weight for Troy Franklin? Like eighty one for third for fourteen hundred potentially draft league. position potentially yeah. draft position and landing spot. Like he could go. Brian Thomas could be, you know middle to late first round with an awesome landing spot and Marcus Volta Scantling could be or sorry now I'm doing I'm just calling it Marcus Volta Scantling <laughs> Troy for Troy Franklin let's not do that let's not Troy Franklin could be Bryce That'd Young's be deep threat in the That'll second round. That'll be very bad for my uh for from for my pocketbook. Uh if we we manifest he is just let's not MBS let's not manifest to, that to yet 2.0. But so can can you explain to why why is Brian Thomas okay, other than that, right? So the NFL has differing opinions, um, certainly than you and I will, and then, then even lots of the scouting community, whatever. I, I projected draft capital based on you know NFL expectations and mock drafts and everything, but from an asset or a pure assessment evaluation perspective, I, I can't really wrap my head around why Brian Thomas is viewed as better than Troy Franklin. I, I honestly you, think it's that he's 205 and and Franklin might be 180. I think that's the that's, that's I think that's it. I think it's that they're both going to test super well. Yeah. Um and Thomas long, is long, smooth, fast, both of them. Long, smooth, fast. Can, yeah. But but one guy has the size where you don't we just it doesn't keep you up at night. Where yeah. I think, you know, a guy playing but the other like, guy has the production, like the mega production. Like Brian Thomas produced, but like not really, uh, not like uh, not like, like Franklin. Like, is so mediocre yards per route run mediocre. Like e- like targets per route run was fucking horrible. Like worst in class, legitimately. Like him and he, it's. I'm, I don't want to keep dunking on Keon and uh, and Ad Mitchell and stuff. But like, if you sort and you look at targets per route run, there's you know Marv and Neighbors, and Malik Washington and Troy Franklin and those guys and up there at the top. And then scroll to the very bottom 
and there's Brian mm-hmm. Th- and there's Brian Thomas and A.D. Mitchell and Keon Coleman. Jatavian Sanders has a higher targets per hour. <laughs> we were just talking about how Jatavian Sanders is an uninspiring <laughs> tight end prospect. He has a higher targets per hour run than Brian than Brian Thomas does. It's like, yeah, I mean, Brian is... Thomas had an 18% career yardage share, which is bad. Um, but it's it's one of these things where three year because he's a three year guy. To me, it's kind of Waddle esque. It's sort of Jalen Waddle esque, where it's like three year guy, awesome speed, played with other elite prospects, major program, gonna get drafted really high. Let's not overthink this. Yeah, that's kind of that's kind of Brian Thomas to me. Um, he doesn't check a lot of boxes. Like I, some of the boxes I like the most, he does not check. Is maybe one way to put it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I like that. But he checks some really important boxes in a way that we've seen big hits check just those boxes and kind of move to the NFL and and succeed right away. So I just don't want to be kind of overly precise with Brian Thomas. Like he he has what you need to have to be really fun at the NFL level. Personally, my flavor of prospect that I prefer more is Troy Franklin, where you have that awesome efficiency. Um, you have more of the production. You know, he's another guy with, where I was talking about the Adunze stuff of, of being able to kind of have the low contested catch rate. That's, that's one thing that Franklin pops in as well. And I think is, is important, you know, really important for a guy, you know, when we're saying like, I'm, I'm nervous about his, his size, well, you know, this, this guy, uh, is, is likely to be able to win with route running and separation and speed. Um, he had only 19% of his deep targets were contested over his career. (laughs) That's super low. I mean, this guy was just getting away from people, Mm -hmm. uh, talking to Connor Rogers, uh, earlier in the week. I mean, he's been talking about how, you know, he's like dialing up and down, the speeds of his routes, his route, each of his routes look different, completely different than Keon Coleman, who's, you know, there's no tempo to, to the routes there, which, you know, I'm not, that's not my forte, but I'm hearing that like this guy's route running is, is really strong. And then the numbers are like, this guy has no one near him on his deep targets. <laughs> that's, that's a nice kind of confirmation of that. When you hear what you hear about Coleman is exactly the opposite. He can't separate. And then it's like, damn near half of his deep targets were contested probably because he can't separate. So, you know, that makes me less nervous about the weight with Troy Franklin. Also, he actually hit a 56% contested catch rate uh, over his career. That's higher than Odunze. You know, so he's actually maybe better than you would think given the size uh, because he is, he's rangy as hell. So, you know, um, and maybe that's something that does translate to the NFL over time as he puts on weight. He's probably not going to be an immediate contested catch winner. But anyway, Troy Franklin, I prefer the flavor that he provides, but um, at the same time, how much do I want to put my foot down and say, no, I'm Troy Franklin over Brian Thomas when Thomas is going to have the better draft capital, probably a better landing spot if Franklin goes early second. You know, Franklin could hit the nuts. He could go to the Chiefs or the Bills at the end of the first round. And yeah. then, sure, I'll flip, I'll flip and be Franklin um, at that point, but I just think the safety of Thomas, you know, you're getting that first round draft capital with him. He's not falling outside the first round. Like I haven't heard anyone talk about that. Franklin just crazy. He's much more borderline. 
which is just crazy to me. And that, that that's that's the biggest struggle that I'm having with um, this rookie class. Actually, probably is uh, it's that 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 cohort of players that are not my flavor. I like how you said that. It, it's not that they're bad, of course. I, I'm not a, again, it's kind of back to the thing I said before. It's like, I may not be the smartest person in the world, but I'm not a total moron. I'm aware that Brian Thomas can play football uh, probably quite well at the NFL level. That's why he's probably going to go in the first round. However, going back to the gets on base thing, it's like he catches some deep balls. So that's like he can hit a home run but he doesn't really get on base. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like Keon Coleman, yeah. like he's going to catch some highlight reel plays and he's going to do some things that are technically getting on base, but Troy Franklin, like all like gets on base at an all-star level, right? Those other guys get on base at like a very mediocre level type of a thing. Um, they get on base in such a way that looks fun. <laughs> it looks more fun <laughs> and it, 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 it has impacts of course. Right. A double, a triple, or a home run are worth more than a walk. But if you walk a lot and you mix in home runs and doubles and triples, you're a yeah. lot more, you're an MVP player as opposed to right. a league average player. And so that's kind of just how I'm thinking about it. And and I haven't taken much of Thomas and, and Coleman and those guys, but that's what I'm going to be assessing here moving forward. I, I, take, I, I, I have no problem taking Thomas. Thomas, you know, I, I think Waddle is the guy that most comes to mind now, you know, Waddle's much smaller. Um, yeah, but it's, it's not a play style comp. It's a, it's not a play style comp. It's a, it, yeah, it's a, it's kind of what does the profile provide and what is the profile missing kind of comp. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, Waddle came in right away. Waddle came in, had a thousand fifteen yards as a rookie. Um, you know, he, if you can like, if you you can get there on kind of pure speed and a team being interested in getting you the ball, and Waddle, I, you know, has since gone on to be even better. He had fourteen hundred yards in, in in his second season, but um, I think right away you can succeed with the profile that Thomas has because you know, in some ways, this is another thing Connor was talking about. Like he had a lot of underthrown deep balls, and so he actually might be a better NFL separator. Then it looks like he was in college because he's going to potentially, you know, potentially get a big upgrade in quarterback play. Um, and so I think landing like he's one of those guys where, dude, if he's on the Bills or if he's on the, you know, the Bengals or the Chiefs or like, man, like good quarterback play could really unlock him or a good system. You know, it's designed to get the ball in his hands, get yak from him with the speed. Like there's a lot of different ways that Brian Thomas can pay off in I think a pretty big way in a way that like easily pays off an ADP around 80. Um, Coleman is the one where I'm having trouble talking myself. The other thing on Thomas is that, yeah, I'd rather draft Troy Franklin. I would, but I don't have to pick. I can sit back and take Troy Franklin rounds later. So I don't like, those are the two guys that kind of, like Troy Franklin is the next guy I'm interested in after Thomas. And I'm like, Oh, I'm not at any risk of missing out on Troy Franklin. If I take Thomas here and I don't mind taking both, you know, I'm building out these wide receiver rooms that have a lot of rookies. So let me just grab Thomas. Good price. It's not costing me anything in terms of the other guy I'd rather take. um, If if I'm being honest with myself, but then I'll I'll get him later and, and I won't even have to sweat it. Coleman 
is much harder for me because I'm more nervous about his profile, um, the, the inability to separate deep in a way that I think looks like it will probably translate. It's like kind of what he is. Like he's sort of, you know, this body you up, can win in the contested catch with athleticism kind of thing. And it's like either that dude is going to be awesome or it's just not going to translate at all. Like he, like there's so many guys like JJ Ortega Whiteside, Harris <laughs> Marshall, uh, these dudes like where it's like, oh crap, it didn't translate, and that's it. Like they don't have anything to to rely on because they they have this one kind of element to their that's so such a key part of their game, and if that doesn't work, there's not much to fall back on. So that that makes me nervous, and then you do have to take him over Troy Franklin in a lot of cases. That's mm-hmm. the decision where it's like, do I want Troy Franklin or Keon Coleman? And I almost always pick Franklin, <laughs> but I am, I'm trying to get myself to take more Coleman. All right. So I'm just going to run some of these basic, what I'll call my, my get on base numbers, right? All right. Targets per route run this year for, for Keon Coleman, 0.23. Um, uh, let's see who does that so 23% that 23% targets per route run that is about the equivalent of Ben Sinnott the tight end from Kansas State <laughs> um, that is worse than Luke McCaffrey from Rice that is about the same as Anaya Smith uh, converted running back from Texas A&M uh, Devin Achan actually was the reason why Anias moved to wide receiver uh, so he was a, a running back. That's a pretty good side. reason, actually. Yeah, pretty pretty darn good reason. It's about the same as Tez Walker from uh, North Carolina, who famously uh, didn't play for the first like month and a half of the season because he was amidst the NCAA, uh, uh, you know, uh, multi time trans. You know, you had to get a waiver to transfer. He came in mid season and earned targets at the same rate <laughs> that uh, Keon Coleman did. And and frankly, the the targets tell a nicer story. <laughs> than the actual production does yards per route run for Mr. Keon Coleman 1.74. Mm. Um, uh, that is the worst. Uh, on I don't have every prospect uh, on this because I, I, I filtered it out for guys who I'm not interested in, but it is the worst. Um, worse than like, I mean, pick a person again, Ben Sinnott, Jatavian Sanders, uh, Jacob Cowing, um. Luke McCaffrey, Anaya Smith, uh, Xavier Worthy, and A.D. Mitchell, both better. He he, he he didn't produce. He scored 11 touchdowns um, because he's a big mutant of a man who can destroy college defensive backs because he's just a bigger, better athlete. Does that transition? Yeah, he goes up and rebounds the ball in the in the yeah. end zone. He 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 uh he, I guarantee his his intramural team won uh the basketball uh league at FSU or whatever at Michigan State and FSU. Uh, his intramural team balled out. No, he played sure. didn't he play basketball at Michigan State? I I I think he might have actually. Um he's a beast. That's what he's a he went there to play two sports. He's, he's a two sport he, athlete, I think. He's an absolute freak athlete in that context. But that doesn't mean that you're going to be a successful NFL wide receiver. Certainly not going to be a successful NFL wide receiver to the extent that we need you to be to draft you at your cost in best ball. Like there are other veterans who we know are capable NFL wide receivers that go in his range. There are other rookies, like you said, like Troy Franklin, yeah. that have more appealing profiles that I have to sacrifice. Yeah, to that, draft. that's why it's tough. Yeah. 
and so you know you talk we've talked a lot about kind of humility of drafting and not being super anchored i i also only get so many bullets to draft into the big board and i do want to have fun with this i'm personally not taking keon coleman i don't think at all i'm i'm open to brian thomas uh, I'm open to um, honestly just about every other rookie, <laughs> like like almost every other rookie, but, uh, mainly because of price. I'll I, I'll listen. Uh, like I'll like I said, I'll take Brian Thomas. I'm not going to take some big overweight stand, but I'm probably going to get my fair share of Brian Thomas. I just I just can't do it with Keon Coleman. So um, so that's that's, that's kind of that for me. Yeah. So I mean, because Brian Thomas also had a, a high rate of his deep targets contested but i think some of the context around there you know the underthrown deep balls and like the pure speed and so i'm like a little bit less nervous about it because then when you get to coleman it's like this dude's route running is not good and he doesn't separate and then 47 percent of his deep targets were contested he had a 52 percent contested catch rate on those targets the guys above him i'm going to go in order so moving up from 47 percent to 48 percent David Bell, up to 49%. J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, 49% again. Quez Watkins, 55%. Alec Pierce, 57%. Terrace Marshall. So these are the types of players, right? However, let's go to the very top. The guy, I think this goes back to 2017, the most, the highest contested, sorry, highest contested target rate on deep targets of anyone I have in here over the course of their career is Nico Collins. Nico Collins had a 75% contested catch rate <laughs> on those targets, though. So this dude was absolutely wrecking guys on these deep targets. Coleman was not he at 52%. That's good. That's not like an off the charts. So, but I think that's where you go, okay. Like, because Collins doesn't actually really separate that well, but you know, yeah. he is good. He's really good in contested catch and in this new system. They've been able to, I think, to use him a little bit more creatively over the middle of the field and they're kind of using him more for like yards after catch utilizing his speed that way a little bit more but you know maybe coleman ends up in a situation like that maybe maybe he's nico collins i think would that would be kind of the the upside i don't see dk medcap i don't think he's he's that but maybe that, i think he could be nico very collins. that is that is anyone that calls him dk metcalf that is should have to answer to DK Metcalf for calling <laughs> him that because that is they are not remotely the same to me. I mean, DK is big, I guess, is the uh, the uh, the uh, the the comp right. there, but uh, a little that that's like I don't want to do this, but that that is the the Dylan Lob thing is <laughs> Dylan Lob comps go look everywhere for the comps. It is Rex Burkhead and uh, Danny Woodhead, and you're like, I wonder why that. I wonder why that is <laughs> the white running back kid who catches passes. Everybody comps him for that. It's like the big big contested catch guy. Oh, his his ceiling case is DK Metcalf. It's like DK Metcalf is like 250 pounds and runs a four three forty. Like he's not just a contested catch guy. Let's let's put a little more respect. Uh, I agree. Name. But but, I, but Nico I, I, Collins I, I, feels like a reasonable fair. comp right uh, yes i think that that's fair i was just looking up really quickly um because uh, this this had me boy down memory lane uh a nico's final year was the last year of COVID, so he didn't get to play in his final year but the year the year before that um talk about bad quarterback play at at michigan man shea patterson was his quarterback who got ran out of got ran out of town 
uh, in Michigan by McCarthy, I, be I believe. Um, and so I'm not saying that it's, it, it, I'm just adding context to like Nico might've been better than we thought. Well, he, he definitely was better than, than we thought, but his situation was quite poor. Uh, he had some pretty atrocious quarterback play. And obviously the Michigan system has not changed um, during, during this time. And so, uh, so some of the contested catches may, may have been a little bit of the, the, the Brian Thomas underthrow situation as well. Uh, uh, from wide receivers so hard. Cause like the, they can be used in different ways than they were in college. You know, mm -hmm. these guys are developing. We're, we're looking for like, and I think one reason to draft rookies is because like the bar is actually lower for, for once in our lives. Like we don't need these guys to be absolute domination, you know, level guys at the, at the pro level, because teams are going to throw them out and see how good they are. You know, like, are we sure how good Jaden Reed is? Like he might not be right. all that good. He, he's, he's probably pretty good, but it's certainly possible. He peaks actually as a rookie because mm -hmm. that's when they were, they were, checking him out the most i mean christian watson may have peaked as a rookie you know <laughs> yeah uh, so it's like you know a lot and you're, of packers wide receivers might be we're just gonna keep doing what, this every year with the packers dontavian wicks bo melton we're just gonna we're just gonna i guess bo melton we're just, keep doing it, yeah. we're just gonna keep going because i think you know targets are earned to a degree but they're not completely earned they're somewhat based, you know, how much are you the first read? How much, you know, are, are you getting scheme targets? You know, how many, how many screens is Zay Flowers going to get this year versus last year? Like you're kind of, you're going to have to step up your game a little bit to, uh, you know, continue getting used like you were as a rookie from a sort of target per route run perspective mm -hmm. in a lot of cases. And or just even from a routes perspective, right? J.J. Ortega-Whiteside didn't get any targets, but he ran a boatload of routes as a rookie. Well, that dried up pretty quick, you know? So, like, the level, the the opportunity per, like, drop of talent is is highest at, at for rookies. So, you know, I think that's, that's a, yeah, yeah, you know, kind of just reiterating of why we want to be drafting these rookie wide receivers is that they can actually you know, get more opportunity than, than they otherwise would. But then you also have the, the, you know, the, um, the unknown where, you know, you can actually open up the, the door and it's like, Oh my God, it's Puka. <laughs> like, yes. This guy's Puka. Like I had no idea. So that's, exa um, that's exactly you know, what I was going to, that's exactly what I was going to add where you, you can win in so many different ways with the rookies is that you can be wrong about them. And it doesn't matter because of, like you said, the NFL situation. On top of that, rookies are playing sooner now. Um, yeah. It's kind of like the game is changing and NFL teams are getting smart, right? As analytics and all this stuff is becoming uh, more ingrained in these NFL systems, right? Rookie quarterbacks are starting earlier, but rookie position players are also playing earlier because you just want to suck the value out of that rookie contract for as long as you like. The yeah. more that that guy sits on the sideline, the, mo the more that you're paying, you know, you got to pay a veteran who costs more, right? And, and on down the line. But the sooner you get that rookie out there, the sooner you're going to find out if they can play and the sooner you're going to get the value out of them at the at the cheapest price that they're going to cost for those three four five years depending upon when they were when they were drafted and then like you said that's like the floor like we're defining the floor which is really fucking high which does not exist like fantasy sports not even just fantasy football fantasy sports you want to find a floor 
draft a rookie wide receiver. Like it's the highest floor thing that like exists outside of yeah, the it's, mega it's superstars crazy. in basketball or something, right? It's the highest floor thing that exists. And it has the highest ceiling because sometimes, like you said, you open up that box and there's Puka Nakua in there. Sometimes you open up that spot and Justin Jefferson or Jamar Chase are in there. And it's like, now we got a first round pick for the next 12 years yeah, or whatever, right? You just found Devontae Adams at the age 20, you know, the, the, the break. It's like, well, he took a while. It's the, I, you know what I mean? Like that's the asset yeah. that you found now. Now you're yeah. just sitting on Devonte Adams for a decade uh, as, as the asset. And so anyway, that's kind of the, the, the point. Well, hey, these- we'll talk more about second year guys, but you know, the, you get like, John Dotson gets a lot of run at the end of his rookie season, but then at the end of his second season, it's pretty clear that Curtis Samuel is favored above him, you know? And I think that's, I'm not a big Jahan Dotson guy, but you know, I I liked Jalen Rager. You know, he got more run at the end of his his rookie year, and it wasn't even that much run. But by you know <laughs> by the end of year two, it's kind of like yeah, this guy's not it. Um, so you know, can happen to guys that I like, happen to guys I, I I didn't like that much. But the the evaluation process, it's not just that the they're getting on the field sooner. Because I think you could say like they're getting on the field sooner because they're getting you know the best guys are getting better prepared for the NFL game and you you know Justin Jefferson types are hitting the ground running and this really only applies to Marvin Harrison being able to pay off a second round ADP but you know don't give up on unproductive guys early in their career and I'm not fully giving up on those guys but I think we want to it, it seems that the evaluation process has sped up in general and that mm-hmm. like the guys who aren't producing earlier in their careers. Maybe it's even a bigger red flag than it would have felt like a couple years ago. Like we're probably less likely to find another Devontae Adams. And I actually wonder like if Devontae Adams would have been given the chance to become Devontae Adams in this modern era. You know, maybe Devontae Adams isn't Devontae Adams, you know? Maybe he's like, yeah. I, you know, I because he, I, think I think he might tell you that. I think he might tell you that he might have quit. He might he might have quit football because he. Was I would love to, to hear him talk about that journey because it's it's crazy. Like it took a while. Like he was, he was like bad. Like he looked like legit. This wasn't just like underperforming. This was like legitimately by some metrics the worst wide receiver in the NFL. And he was getting a lot of run. Like they they stuck with him. And maybe maybe this is you know Aaron Rodgers' stubbornness paying off in a good way uh in the the only recorded instance of that happening <laughs> uh, you know so so thank you for that one but you know 1.06 yards per route run in 2014 1.08 in 2015 that's two bad seasons to put up back to back uh and he ran 538 routes as a rookie and 493 as a second year player so he was it's not like he wasn't getting opportunities the next year um he, he ran just a ton of routes, 746 routes, uh, and improves to 1.63 yards per route run, gets up to 1.76 in 2017. So now he's like a serviceable, solid wide receiver. In 2018, he hits 2.12 yards per route run, over two for the first time, doesn't fall below two until he was at 1.97 in 2023. So that's the, that's the crazy run that he goes on. Um, but God, it took a long time to get there. And it looked, and he actually, you, he leveled up twice. He leveled up from bad to good, and then from good to a superstar. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I don't, I don't think we want to be chasing that. 
No, I, I, I totally agree. And it's funny you say it. And it's funny you choose those words. I recently wrote an article basically on this exact same subject where uh, I, I called them uh, waterfalls from the. Uh, oh, yeah, I read that. That was a good article. Yeah, specifically. That's why I was on my mind. Don't want to chase these kinds of players. And like everything, there is no such thing as like this. Do this thing and you'll be right 100 percent of the time. Right. I will say this. We don't want to chase these waterfalls and there will be another Devonte Adams or it's, there will be a guy who does nothing for two years and all of a sudden poof, the light comes on or he changes situations and he's good all of a sudden. And I won't draft him. And someone who does draft him, by all means, you know, I'll wave the white flag. You can come dunk on me. I don't, I don't care. But overall, we want to put ourselves in the situations similar to like what we talked about over the summer with the Adam Thielens and the Juju Smith-Schusters and those kinds of guys. We're willing to call these veterans guys that we don't want to chase anymore, but we're much more willing to go back to the young player mm -hmm. who it like, like we're like, I'll give Alec Pierce a chance, right? Right. Like, like, I, like second round pick was on the field as a rookie, horrible was terrible as a rookie, didn't earn targets, ran a lot of routes, was out there pulling the, the Chris Hogan, like whatever. But we're like, yeah, but he's a second year player and he's probably going to run a bunch of routes again. So I'll take it. And it's like, we're chasing that thing for no real reason other than, I don't know, maybe he, maybe he's Devonte Adams. I know that's an exaggeration, but we're just like, I don't know. This guy definitely showed us he sucked, but maybe because, you know, he's a little bit younger. So maybe, and yes, Th there will be those younger guys who do eventually evolve. Yeah, for sure. But I think we're better off avoiding that, accepting that we're going to be 80% right and 20% wrong. And let's move to these rookies and find the next guy who is actually really good, right? Instead of betting on the guy who's probably bad and maybe is good, let's bet on the cohort of players who we know there are good players in here. We know it yeah. for a fact. Right. Yeah. And, and, and we're, and, and when they're good, we get Puka. And when they're not even good, we get what we just talked about. You get Tyquan Thornton or you get whatever you get that guy that yeah, still, you still get a guy who can get targets in the, in the final weeks. We're like Alex with the Pierce second year guys, lose the job, it could just be, it could just, they can be just lose it because he's just not good. Yeah. That's, that's the thing. It's like, man, you're because most likely your, your upside case on an Pierce is a DJ Chark type of right. second season not i mean the obviously the the hit that adams became is is not likely at all i mean it's not going to happen it's um, not likely for anyone nonetheless a for bad, anyone a, a yeah it's not likely for yeah. anyone no matter how good. <laughs> right it's, it's not, not even likely, likely marvin harrison is the best wide receiver prospect like ever <laughs> it's not likely for him it's certainly not likely for alec yeah. fucking pierce a hundred percent yeah and i so you're gonna i because when you miss on, I mean, Alec Pierce was probably like kind of the middle of the road outcome where he still had his job. Um, mm -hmm. Michael Wilson kind of comes to mind is that yeah. guy this year of like, I'm not drafting a ton of Wilson because it's like he's kind of just fancy Alec Pierce in terms of the ADP. And, you know, they're probably going to have Marvin Harrison. And if they don't, they'll probably have Malik Neighbors. <laughs> and, you know, even if they have Roma Dunze, like, I think he, he will be. I mean, Odunze is kind of like a similar player to Wilson. In some ways, that's like the worst case scenario yeah. for for Wilson because it's like them sort of like, what do you do here at that point? Um, so, yeah, I think like, you know, if he's going to be the number three target on the Cardinals, um, I could probably find more upside with that 
ADP. If he were completely free and I was just getting routes for no cost at all, then I, I do have some interest. But, you know, like Darius Slayton had a spike week in the mm-hmm. in the uh, fantasy playoffs. I think that archetype, Zay Jones obviously was the big guy two years ago. That archetype does have hits in it. Um, Jones not a second-year guy and Slayton not a second-year guy either. But I just kind of mean paying for routes. If you're yep. paying for routes, um, and Wilson does feel like a pretty safe way to pay for routes. Uh, even Alec Pierce still is a fairly safe way to pay for routes. For, two, but, for, for these next two months, we'll see. Yeah, but I want that. I want it to be free. If that's yes. really the bet, that's kind and of. And I want to be I'm intentional. I, I I don't want to just be going through my like. I can draft early running backs because right. I I, I can I can draft hyper fragile because Michael Wilson is available back there to me and Darius Slayton is back there. No, I want to be intentional about. All right, I I. You know, I got a value on Daniel Jones and I took Kyron on this team. You know, this is last year, of course. Right. And I'm like, I I, want to I needed a late round quarterback. I do need, you know, some extra juice here at the back end. I can correlate it. Right. Daniel Jones plus Darius Slayton plus Puka Nakua plus Kyron Williams or what, whatever, something like that. Like I want to be intentional about these things. I don't want to pay. I don't want to buy routes just to fucking buy routes, right? Like, and I and right. I definitely don't want to go into my draft specifically targeting the routes because I know that they exist. That's like, that's like I'm trying to loot. Like I'm <laughs> I'm paying twenty five dollars to try to loot, like intentionally try to lose. Uh, I, but but it doesn't mean that they're not a, a relevant thing. I just want to be really smart about how I target them. So all right, look, tell me about Malik Washington. Yes, and why yes. you like gotta, him so much? We, we got to talk about a couple of guys that we, we that we like here and just kind of run run through these guys. Yeah. All right, Malik Malik Washington is uh, a, a little bit similar to again I, I mentioned with, with Ray Davis, but he reminds me of this wide receiver version of Isaiah Pacheco, um, hmm. where uh, Malik Washington. So again, a, a little bit older, <clears throat> went to Northwestern for four years. Okay. Again, like when Pacheco was at Rutgers, now Rutgers has gotten better. But when I mentioned with Vandy, with Ray Davis before, Northwestern was probably the worst power five offense in the country. And so you might say, well, he was on that. That can't be very good, right? But he was the target dominator. Uh, I I just closed. I don't have his second to last year at um, Northwestern. But it was basically him and Evan Hull, actually, at Northwestern. Was every play, run it or throw it to Evan Hull? He had 101 it, targets. Or throw uh, it to Malik Washington. Yeah, that, that final season at Northwestern, 101 targets on 389 routes. Yep. Which is 26% yeah. targets so, per run. So it's fine. It's not superstar level, but it's fine, right? I mean, we just said Keon Coleman's like 1.7 or whatever. So it, it's 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 okay. Leaves Northwestern, the worst Power 5 offense in the entire country with the worst quarter, you know, it was like Iowa level quarterback play. Goes to Virginia, which is like an upgrade, but I mean, they also only went three and nine and basically sets the world on fire uh, this past year at at Virginia. Uh, let's run down some of the, the the yards per route run, targets per route run, whatever. A out of this class, just from a straight target share perspective, highest target share in the entire class, thirty eight point three three percent target share. That is kind of an insane number. Just to thirty eight percent of the wild, times yeah. they threw the ball, it went to Malik Washington. But targets per route run, zero point so thirty one percent. We'll just thirty one percent of his routes he was targeted on. 
For example, Malik Neighbors was targeted on 30%, just shy of 31% of his routes, right? This is like Marvin Harrison level target earning that he was doing. Now, to Virginia, Marvin Harrison would earn like a 50% target share at Virginia. <laughs> yeah, honestly, so, what have yeah. But still, but still, like really, really, really high level of target earning. And it wasn't just earning like junk targets. Now he is a slot receiver. We did 3.15 yards per route run. Again, that is like that's right really good. behind. That's right behind Troy Franklin, right? It's not that far behind Marvin Harrison. And nobody really touches Malik Neighbors in yards per route run in this in this class. But it's he's fifth. I believe, and they're tied for fifth in this class, this whole class in yards per route run. So most target dominant player in the class and top five in yards per route run. Like I said, mostly a slot, smaller guy, but he's not like, it's not Tank Dell size. Like I think he's going to come in 195, maybe 200 pounds, depending upon how the last few months have been going. And that also shows up like in the film, but in the data too. Most broken tackles by a wide receiver, most yak, in the entire country by, or it might've been second, most in the entire country. I think there was some non-draft eligible, most in this class, most in this, in this incoming class, most yak, most broken tackles by a wide receiver. Like everything he did was just like this dude, like talk about getting on base. Like he fucking gets on base. Like he just gets on base. He did it in really, really bad circumstances. And then when he got into better circumstances, he showed that like, okay, no, I can do this at a really high level in the ACC. And so I'm just betting on that, that profile. Like every single time, if you really like to get into that, he didn't play at the senior bowl. He was at the shrine bowl and like, go, go, go look on Twitter, Malik Washington shrine bowl or something like that. All the comments are NFL GM saying Malik Washington's the best player here at the shrine bowl. Like Malik Washington is uncoverable at the, the shrine bowl, blah, 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 blah. And I just think like, in the last round, like this dude is a last round pick, or we've steamed him up a little bit. Yeah, you know how it goes uh, with some of these guys. But uh, they would call it 18th, 19th round round pick in in the big board. Like these are the kind of guys I want to take shots on. Do I know that he'll be any good? No, but like the epitome of got on base like a motherfucker <laughs> in twenty in 2023. All he did was get on base. So I'm just gonna take my shot on that, as opposed to like right. Like, like, why do I just like the Keon Coleman thing? It's like, he didn't really show me that he can get on base. He's just like this big physical guy who looks impressive. Like I can get a 20th round pick who showed me at high levels of college football that he can get on base. And like, I I, I just want to lean into all those guys. And he's not the only one, right? There's Malachi Corley back there. There's, I know you like Jermaine Burton. He's like kind of a weird gets on base, but like gets on base in it. Yeah. In, not targets. Like a, he, he's splash play more. Yeah, but it's it's a little Brian Thomasy. It's like mega yeah. cheap Brian Thomasy, right? It's like yeah. big splash play yards per That's out right. run look good. Targets per out run are not are not not so right. good, but like makes big plays, right? Like there's just a lot of the Roman Wilson. If I know some people like him, He's I like, like Roman Wilson a lot actually. Like Semi mediocre yards per out run, targets per out run. But like explosive player, gonna I think he's gonna test really really well. Flashed at the Senior Bowl. There's just like all of those guys that I'm like. Just give me all of them, man. Like I get to like the fifteenth round, I need like four more wide receivers. I just queue up all these rookies and just kind of see what falls to me. We mentioned Jacob Cowing, Jamari Thrash. I've gone even as deep as like Isaiah Williams from Illinois because like you want to you want to do who got on base in the Big Ten, got on base like thirty plus percent target share, solid enough, you know, yards per route run given that level of volume. Like there's so like Isaiah Williams is like going to be such a late pick in this NFL draft, and I'm like. 
I don't know. He's one of the best target earners in the whole, in the whole country. I can get a lot of those guys late. And it's just like led by Malik Washington. Cause he just pops off the screen from all those kind of basic metrics. It's funny. Cause I Malik Washington, like actually throws a bunch of red flags to me. So he wasn't on my, like, I, I wasn't really interested in him. I'd need to go back and probably mix some of him in because the thing that, I am worried about with him well, a couple things. One is that he, you know, when you talk about the efficiency, it's late career and specifically that final season at Virginia. Mm-hmm. Before he went to Virginia, he never had two yards per hour. And he, he peaked at 1.98. Um, he's a fifth year player. When you look at what he did, one of the things I like to look at is the yards per route run but just in the first three seasons. Um, so basically like, you know, like your, your upper years don't count for the purposes of efficiency. Like just show me how efficient you were as an underclassman. Uh, he's like one of the very worst in the class. He's at 0.65 in those, the oh, combination yeah. of those first three years. So it took He truly was like a late career producer. He's also small. Um, so he's five he's eight. This is senior. He's gonna be a slot receiver. He's gonna be a slot. Yeah, receiver. five eight one ninety four. Um, so that's and then the other thing is that he was used on a lot of underneath targets. A lot of the yak that he had was was on really shallow targets around the line of scrimmage. So, um, that kind of kind of a gadget player red flag for me as well. I am that think the thing that made me feel like I'm missing out the most is this is actually the shrine bowl talk because if he gets in because i'm interested in ricky pearsall i'm interested in roman wilson who are also older players who have lots of red flags but the nfl is pretty in on them and i'm confident the nfl is gonna you know take these guys day two um it's possible they don't but it seems pretty likely both are, are day two and roman wilson could be round one He's gotten a lot of buzz after the senior bowl, which is kind of crazy. But also I think a lot of this is showing a shift of the NFL to leaning into more positional value type stuff and taking shots on white. Like it's just my, I don't think it's wrong. I think it's my brain is like Roman Wilson never would have been a, a, you know, Mm -hmm. a one, two turn pick, if you will, uh, in former (laughs) NFL drafts, he would have been a fourth rounder or something. And so my brain hasn't consumed the fact that like Ricky Pearsall in the second round, that's batshit crazy, but it's not really batshit crazy from like a, macro perspective it's a batshit crazy from historical how the nfl right right so i i guess where do you think malik washington goes in the draft because if he's locked in for day two then i'm interested i think i think he is going to go higher than anyone expects okay so i would not bet on him to go in in the second round that is for darn sure but uh depending on the odds you gave me i would bet on i would bet on the third round i i I, i'm but i am clearly biased because I like him a lot. And then you, you find the things on Twitter and Google and stuff that uh, confirm your, your priors, but it's like the hype is insane. Every, and, and everyone and other people that I trust from the, I mentioned Brett Coleman. He's one of the guys I follow on prospects is like, this dude's way underrated. Um, t- like, t- like the just constant different uh, um, uh, beats from different teams, even like I saw one that actually inspired me to do something in a, in a draft that was like Washington, Washington loves Malik Washington. Like the commanders love Malik Washington hmm. and uh, like they've scouted him, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, well they're going to get 
either Drake May or Caleb Williams, or I guess Jaden Daniels. Like, I'm gonna take those guys on the Malik Washington on the Malik oh, Washington wow. team, right? And start doing some fun, some fun stuff with that. But uh, I think he's one of those guys that uh, similar reminds me also a little bit of like a discount Lad McConkey kind of a thing. I think NFL people love Lad. I mean, I like Lad McConkey too, but uh, he, that's priced in in best ball right now. Um, he's Lad's pretty expensive, but I think people are gonna be like. Lad hasn't really produced that much, mostly like due at to injury. All. Mostly due to injury. His efficiency is really good, but it's on such a small sample that it's really hard to know what to what to do with. But I think again, I think the NFL loves him. So same thing, like Lab McConkey in the yeah. second round. Would I be surprised? Absolutely not. All right, let me let me see if I do you have any context on Jacob Cowing, another kind of fifth year kind of bounced around two schools guy? Because I mean his He's sort of a similar thing, although he didn't peak. He's kind of maybe reverse, actually. Where he's he, the reverse. He, yes. He only had 1.92 yards per hour on this past year. He did have 121 targets um, and 122 targets the year before. So the targets per hour run was, is pretty solid. What Last year, 121 targets on 451 routes, 27% targets per hour run. So that's pretty solid, but he... Um, only at a 1.92 yards per route run, really shallow eight out of 6.7. He's 175 pounds, very much like an underneath slot receiver. Not, not super interesting. However, in three years at UTEP, he was super efficient. 2.21 yards per route run as a freshman, 2.94, then 3.82. So there's your Malik Washington season, except it's as a true junior. And he had a 15.2 ADOT. So he was a different type of player. He's a deep threat yep. and really efficient at that. Um, so when I, and the other thing is, frankly, when I, when I've watched him, I'm like, this guy is fucking fast. He's like so he's quick. one of the guys he, he pops, you know, and, and I think that he's going to test well. So, mm -hmm. you know, if he runs like really, really fast at the combine, then maybe he starts to get a little, little bit more buzz as kind of that third rounder. Or frankly, even second rounder. I mean, that's that's how Taquan Thornton got drafted, really, mm -hmm. like way higher than he should have, because because he was just that fast. Um, so I don't know that that's my favorite of the the fifth year guys with with major red flags um, that I'm still mixing in in the twentieth round. I love Cowing. He's he's right there at the end of my list. I have a bunch of drafts with like uh, Malik Washington, Javon Baker. Jacob Cowing or something closing it out. Just like give me these scratch off lottery tickets on those guys at the end. Cause like Roman Wilson's gotten, a, a, he's in kind of in a different tier of ADP back there. Like you've mentioned, like some of the guys who I take less, but I'm mixing through the Tez Walkers and, uh, and Jamari Thrashes and, and th those kind of guys I mix through, but I much prefer Cowing as, as your example. He strikes me as better Josh Downs, like a little better, better version of, of Josh Downs, kind of similar build, similar. Um, he was used in a more Josh Downsy way originally. And Josh Downs was not originally. Yeah. Originally. Uh, and Josh Downs was targeted a little more down the field originally. Uh, and, and then cowing just for whatever this year. Um, so Arizona uh, changed quarterbacks this year. And um, I don't really think that it, it mattered, but they, they, they really didn't throw the ball down the field a ton other than to McMillan who again that's he played that's that's my dude for next year we'll be talking plenty about him next year 
And it looked, if you just watched, it was so much like boot rollout, cowing, you know, uh, uh, pivot routes out to the, to the flat and they throw him this check down or they just throw him a quick hitch or a quick screen or whatever, and just get the ball into his hands. And I think sometimes I fall for this all the time when a team is not totally amazing and they have this really good football player and they just say, we're going to get the ball in his hands. We end up using it as a negative against them Mm. because it's a one yard pass or a two yard pass or whatever. Right. And it's like, but the coach said, I want this play. I want this play to go to this guy and get the ball in his hands and get it to him quick because I know when he has it, a good thing is going to, is going to happen. And we end up saying, well, look at his a dot. That's not very good. Right. But it's like, yeah, but 30% of the time the, the, the play is designed to get him the football and get it to him quickly. You know what I mean? And so I tend, I would rather be wrong that Jacob Cowing is good betting on that than betting on the guy with a 15 a dot who they don't throw the ball to, you know, very much right. or whatever right. um, is kind of my general, right. That's what lands me on cowing and Malik Washington and those kinds of guys. Why, I, why do I love Troy Franklin so much more right than Brian Thomas and those other guys? It's because of, of all of this. And I'm not going to be right all the time, but I, I just am trying to personally lean myself into that exact kind of thing. It's like, why does Pearsall fall behind them a little bit for me? It's like, well, also like this past year, Pearsall ended up kind of being the wide receiver two on his own team to a true freshman who's like mm-hmm. five, eight, 160 pounds to 160 pounds on kind of also a weird gimmicky uh, Florida offense. And so like, I don't think we should not take him either, but just like when I'm racking and stacking, I know it's not a perfect way to do it, but it's like I said, Cowing has balled out everywhere he went. Granted, one of them was a much lower level of football, then goes to the Pac-12, and it's not a perfect, you know, it's not a perfect um, resume or whatever you want to call it. But like that's why he goes in the last round. Like we can't we can't expect perfection on 18th, 19th, 20th round picks. Otherwise, right? That's when you get Marvin Harrison, and that's when you get Malik Neighbors, and that's when you get Troy Franklin. So. I'm going through this island of misfit toys and I'm going to latch on to that production, even if it, it has warts, right? It came at UTEP yeah. and then it came with a weird A dot or it came at in his fifth year at Virginia. Like I understand all of those red flags, trust me, but I I'm at the cheap prices. I'm latching on to that production over, over everything else. So that's why those guys kind of get a leg up for me. Let me ask you about two guys. One I'm drafting a lot of and one, I'm like, I still need to kind of get my head around completely. So the guy I'm drafting a lot of is Tez Walker. Um, and partly is because, so he's interesting because he had this weird transfer situation where he couldn't get on the field for a lot of this past season, but then he gets on the field and he's pretty productive with Drake May. But he was at Kent State, I believe, before that. And he actually was really efficient as an underclassman there, 2.71 yards per out run, way higher than the rest of his team as well. So he's like kind of very clearly the guy. I've also heard that his route running was more impressive there, which would make sense because I think he had a pretty limited route tree when he joined the team halfway through the season. He didn't know the plays. Year. I listened to yeah. something just recently. Okay. Sorry to come in. He, so no, that's, he that's did, important context. It, but it was what you said. He was with the, the practice squad, basically, you know, the practice team like coming into the week that he first got, no one knew 
that he was getting, uh, uh, you know, getting his waiver or whatever, becoming eligible. So he, they had basically said, uh, you can hang around and help us practice and whatever, mm-hmm. but like, you're never going to play. And he stuck around. And then all of a sudden, like on a Tuesday or whatever, they're like, Oh, by the way, Tez, now you're, now you're eligible. Come over with the first, team. <laughs> come over with the first team offense. And he doesn't know any of that. He doesn't know anything. He's out there. Like the other wide receivers are telling him where to line up and telling him what routes to run. And Drake Mays telling him what to do. And so like, I'm, I'm trying, nothing looks all that impressive about him to me really from this past year, like super impressive, but I'm trying to keep that in the back of my mind that like these are extenuating circumstances. He had 2.28 yards per hour on, which is, which is solid. Um, And you know, he was less efficient. That was his least efficient year playing with a quarterback who probably go number two overall. So yeah, without that context, it's, it's, it's like a red flag, but I actually think with the context, it's pretty interesting. Um, and so I've, I've been drafting a fair amount, although he's, he's really, I mean, you want to talk about lanky and, and maybe not translating. What is he? 175. I mean, yeah, he's, he's, but he's, he's tall. So it's, it's actually, I think of the weight is more concerning to me with Tez Walker because also he doesn't do a ton after the catch. Whereas like Troy Franklin is a really good after the catch player. Um, and so I, there's sort of different ways you can use him. He's probably got like multiple outs to being a productive NFL player, but Tez Walker is basically like a really skinny deep threat who doesn't do anything after the catch. So if like, if the size just doesn't translate and you can kind of just lock him down because he's just, just bully him, then he's going to be nothing. So that, that, that worries me. I think that is probably the biggest concern more than any metrics that we saw um from this year because like you said um i'm maybe overweighting the weird circumstances but it is what it is i think it is that when you i haven't like gone i haven't gone back and watched like a a ton of film or whatever but uh, uh as you know i watch a bunch during the season i play a lot of college football dfs which is what ends up um leading to my uh college football watching frequently so the week that he got he got he became a very popular college football DFS play and everybody was watching North Carolina games because when he got eligible he was min priced if you know from the DraftKings you know pricing oh. when guys are out right you're out so the guys. so the community loves Tez Walker's so needless to say Tez Walker gets eligible on a Tuesday and he's eighty percent owned on Saturday and his for in his first game and we're like huh? you know that that was he was the decision for the for the whole slate and if I recall he came out and <laughs> did catch a touchdown or something but he was like very up and down. I felt like, and I do think that that's kind of what you're seeing in some of the yards and targets and, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> Jesus Christ, six for 43, they came out and tried to feed him right away. Right. Six for 43 in the first game, six for one thirty-two and three in his second game against, okay. against Miami 11 for one forty-six and one in his third game against Virginia. And then is when it got a little weird. Uh, Georgia Tech was a meh game. Then they played Campbell, who sucks. He scored two t- two touchdowns, and I think they pulled they pulled starters. Another big game against Duke, and then really dwindled against some of the tougher competition. Clemson, mm-hmm. meh game. NC State, meh game. And so it was like just a little up and down for not much target competition in the room. A like you said, a theoretical franchise NFL quarterback playing with him in the ACC. So I think it was a little bit of exactly some of the flaws that you mentioned that like the game is not super well-rounded from like, especially a physicality perspective. And he's also not like the outs that the Jacob Cowings and Malik Washington's and Troy Franklin's and stuff have is like, just get him the ball. Like, you know, at the end of the day, it's it's like, we can't, 
we can't get it to you, right? Because you're not getting open. Like this happens to even like Jamar Chase sometimes. It's like the team's the co- the coverage is blanketing him. The Bengals are just like, just throw him a screen, please. Just throw him a screen or right. fucking hand right. it off to him, right? CD Lamb, the Cowboys are handing it off to him in the backfield. Like Tez doesn't have that in the range ever. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And mm-hmm. I think that that's a that can be a pretty big red flag actually. Um, given like the, 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 you know, size and all that kind of stuff. Here's the other thing. And this is a guy I'm taking and now I feel like I'm, I'm just, you know, tearing him apart, but he had a bad <laughs> senior bowl week based on a lot of drops um, and very up and down. Dane Brugler was talking about how he thinks that Tez Walker is going to have just evaluations from NFL teams across, like just wildly different from each other, because some teams are going to see a guy who can get open, but then you throw him the ball and he drops it. Doesn't have the super refined route tree, so even the getting open part's a little bit up in the air. Doesn't have the physicality. Um, but other people are going to see a guy who actually, you know, has a lot of a lot of speed. You know, can play on the outside. Showed more route running ability than it might seem like because he didn't know the plays in his final season when he did know the plays he was actually pretty good. <laughs> um, but the, you know, he's got the drops thing. He's got nine inch hands, which are pretty small, uh, especially for like this lanky guy. Yeah, with, and yeah, the, he's six, three. Those are, that's, that's tiny for a six. Those three. are tiny. He has tiny hands and drops issues. So that's <laughs> another thing where it's like tiny hands, drops issues that it doesn't add after the catch and is really skinny. So yeah, like yeah. He, basically Can't all the, up? Kick it off press coverage. Like we're naming yeah. all of the bad, literally all the worst things about a wide receiver. The total zero. This guy doesn't see the field once red flags. See, like he has all of them. He also mm-hmm. can like, he had a super high dot. was very efficient over the course of his career. <laughs> um, And is really fast. So he also has like the splash play upside. So he's, he's a guy I think I need to take like less of, but only because I've been taking a lot of him so far. And I don't want to end up with a giant bag of this like really volatile player. Um, But I think very, I think everyone should have a little Tez Walker in their life because (laughs) that the ceiling is there, but also uh, I'm sorry for touting him because he is going to (laughs) bust, but but you should also have exposure. Um, He's a a great example. I know he's a good guy to, to start to close out on that is, a guy you, I believe you should take, you nailed it. Like if you're drafting in volume at all, right. Even if you're taking 20, 25, 30 teams, I think you should sprinkle some Tez Walker into your portfolio. I don't think I would ever recommend, like you said, leaving this pre-draft tournament with like a big old Tez Walker bag, because like you can accomplish what you want to accomplish with a small percentage of him. Like when he hits, yeah, it's great. You've got your, you've got your shares of him. You know, it all made sense, but he is such a boom bust and such a low probability bet, like in such a strong class, right? We just, we've all, we haven't even hit everybody, right? Like I still really like Malachi Corley. Like I, Jalen McMillan looks interesting. Like we haven't even hit all these dudes. So I wouldn't, I, uh, unless I'm legitimately doing kind of what you and I are doing, like five, six rookies or whatever wide receivers on teams sometimes, I, I, Tez is just not a guy I would want to have like some big stand on. Yeah, and that's I started out wanting a big stand on him, but then I've I've actually cooled a lot. Where I'm starting to worry a little bit about the draft capital and just kind of the the downside. You know, we talk about the high floor with rookie wide receivers, but I think he has a fairly low floor for much lower than most of the others. I think much lower. Yeah, these little slot guys don't have the ceiling, but they're probably going to get out there. 
one guy. So um, I actually want to get your thoughts on Corley before we get out of here. But be, before that, I wanted to ask you about Johnny Wilson, um, who, you know, I started writing at Rotoviz, you know, and we're, we're looking at a 6'6", 237-pound <laughs> wide receiver here. You know, team team big wide receiver going back to the well one more time with Johnny Wilson. I mean, I don't know. He's he has some red flags for sure. Um, he's he's not an early declare. Um, he doesn't. Weirdly, he doesn't have a, a high contested catch rate on uh, on deep passes, despite being massive and despite doing most of his work fairly far downfield. 38% of his yards uh, were on deep targets. 38% of his yards were also on uh, targets 10 plus yards, or sorry, between 10 and 19 yards. So 76% of his career yards came 10 plus yards downfield. So he's like very much a downfield guy and he's huge, but he only had a 43% contested catch rate on deep targets, which isn't great, especially if you're like, oh man, look at this big dude. I bet he's going to, you know, dominate guys, and then he doesn't at all. So yeah, twenty contested targets, and yeah, around forty percent contested for a six seven dude. <laughs> yeah, what, what's that about? Yeah, so um, so I've like I've been mixing him in occasionally, but um, he does one thing I do like about him is that he was pretty efficient, especially uh early in his career he had so the big thing i guess is junior season the first year at florida state because this is another transfer 3.36 yards per route run so that there's your kind of malik washington type season but it's coming as a a true junior yep he actually fell off a little bit this past year to 2.42 but that's still pretty solid yep um and he didn't run that many routes early in his career at arizona state only 66 injuries okay injuries through a lot of his career but also this past year okay so so he had basically most of his underclassmen routes are from that that florida state breakout and as a result his underclassmen yards per hour is is pretty strong so it's like a weird profile where like i don't really i haven't i don't think i've really watched him so maybe part of it is i don't really understand on paper this guy makes no sense he's this massive guy who's not actually very good at like bodying people up, but then he is somehow still efficient. So is this guy like gaining separation? What is what's going on? <laughs> what's yeah, happening I'm, here? I'm I'm still pretty convinced he's like having watched a bunch of him. I'm still convinced he's not a real. That, that's not a real thing. That's not a real player. Okay. Like, does okay. it, it doesn't it doesn't make it does. I agree with you. It doesn't make it doesn't make any sense. Um, I, <laughs> this is going to sound blasphemous, but that's okay. I probably said worse already on this uh, recording. If I'm going to pick a Florida State wide receiver, I think I would rather pick Johnny Wilson in the last round of a best ball draft than Keon Coleman oh. at, at, at cost. And it's not necessarily because I think Johnny Wilson is good, but it, it reminds me of a, kind of a few different things that we've like talked about here. So Tez, as an example, you know, has this weird eligibility issue, right? Um, and then comes in and flashes and has some down moments and, and, and what have you. Johnny Wilson flashes last last season coming into this year we kind of thought he was going to be the stud there keon coleman transfers over that kind of mutes some some things there they're not a particularly high volume passing offense even when they have jordan travis they're blowing out a lot of teams it's a mike norvell kind of run run heavy offense and 
Johnny Wilson then starts to deal with some injuries of himself. He's kind of in and out of the lineup. It wasn't ever like, a, oh, he, you know, he blew out his knee, so he's done. It was mm-hmm. like, a, he's out this week, and then like he plays a third of the snaps next week, and then he's questionable the next week. I think he played most, so 10 of their whatever, how many games they played, 14 or 15, uh, 10 games. Then he does start to get healthy at the end of the season, and that's when Jordan Travis is hurt, and that's when their backup goes down. And it's like those are all kind of the, the reasons that I have told myself I'm not going to like kind of fall for type of a thing. But I do wonder what things would look like from this Florida state offense for him and Keon both. If Johnny Wilson had stayed healthy and if quarterback play had, had Mm. stayed healthy at, at Florida state, he earns targets just as well, if not better than Keon Coleman. Like you said, he's more efficient than Keon Coleman. It's awkward and his profile doesn't make any sense in terms of, like you said, the size and the way he wins as a, how as does a, he win? As, like, as what, a, what? Be, being, how do I describe this being big, but he does. I think he is sneaky fast and sneaky mm-hmm. athletic for that size. And it's one of those where people are like, I got to just, pray to be physical with this big old dude. And the next thing you know, he actually ran by you or I've seen him run a couple of like comebacks on the side. Like they'll throw the comeback to him on the sideline and not to Keon Coleman. Like, you know, hmm. you got third and seven, we're going to run that eight, nine yard comeback on, on the sideline and they throw it to him and he gets open and he gets separation. And it's like, but you know, it's not real separation. It's a comeback. There's only so much separation that you right. that you can get on that route is he is one of the most peculiar prospects I can like, ever ever remember but I, I think if you watch him you, you'll come away from like his highs look like more real nfl highs to me than keon doing the like i'm just gonna you know dunk on some guy like right like right. That, that, the keon high is like throw it up to me i'm gonna just be the sickest athlete on the field j- jump and catch johnny actually does some things as a wide receiver from a route perspective that like i think it it just throws like when a six seven two hundred forty pound dude does this stuff against a five ten hundred eighty pound DB. It's like it doesn't really make a lot of sense. But then, like you said, they never throw him. A, they don't even throw him jump balls that much. They he mm-hmm. and he's not good at him. And so I can't really make heads or tails so of it. Weird. But I'm but I'm more intrigued. But it's like one of those where like it's so weird. But he shows some things that you're like he shouldn't be able to do that at six, seven, two forty, or whatever. But then he also shows you things that like you should be able to do <laughs> at six, seven, <laughs> yeah. and, he, and he can't, and he can't do it. So I can't figure it out, but I'm, I find myself more intrigued than that. I'm this not guy, Darren Waller him. in four years. Is that what's going to happen? Yeah. I mean, I, that's maybe the most intriguing part. So dynasty, if you get to keep him, I draft him in dynasty and hope he gets moved, moved to tight end is probably the best use case for him. I'm probably not going to draft him. Well, Chase, Clay, Chase Claypool. It, it, this sounds Claypooly, to be honest. I, I don't think he has the juice. I don't think he has the after the catch quite level of juice, but he's definitely a more physical football player than, okay. uh, than, than Chase Claypool. He also has hands probably pretty similar. <laughs> To, J- to Chase Claypool, so that's a pretty good, good that's boy. a pretty good comp. But I don't think they're like throwing him the ball. Like Chase Claypool would score on bubble screens and and you know right. end arounds that's and true. stuff like that. Yeah, it's not Johnny's not doing that. But I think it's not like the world's worst comp of like a ceiling outcome, like rookie year Chase Claypool and you scored ten touchdowns. I don't think that that's like completely off the table for someone like Johnny Wilson. Yeah. By the way, high floor. I mean, we want to talk about high floor guys who who maybe stink. You know, Chase Claypool got a lot of run. Seriously, for years he's still on a freaking NFL team, and he's horrible. <laughs> <I know. laughs> um, you were going to bring up someone to, to close us out, I think, right? 
Who oh, you want me to talk about Corley? Um, oh, Corley. Uh, oh, it, it, Brendan Rice is also a guy who I'm semi intrigued by. Any thoughts on him? I get more intrigued the more I look at him. I actually didn't. Um, so I started to put together all my stuff before, like I pulled in any of the data and you know into spreadsheets, like we nerds do sometimes. <clears throat> and just having watched, like USC What's was that? the most USC USC was <laughs> the most socialist passing offense of all time. Like, it, like if you ever played DFS, it was like you just play Caleb Williams, you don't play any of the wide receivers. You just oh. figure figure it out later because they legitimately rotated, and um, it, even when they didn't rotate, they didn't like target anybody. But Brendan Rice was the guy who started to separate from that perspective uh, a little bit. Uh, his raw target share is only about 18%, but targets per route runs solid. Not that I didn't realize it was, you know, 24, 25%. And then uh, 2.75 yards per route run for Brendan Rice was pretty good. He moved around a little bit. He's huge. He's also pretty big uh, and plays plays on, on the outside. I, I, I'm kind of intrigued by him. I mean, I, it feels a little bit to me like a a better profile discount Keon Coleman. Like I'm not trying to keep dunking on Keon Coleman, but this this dude scored 45 catches. You're taking for like 18 guys over, but not dunking on. Yes, I know. I, I got to stop uh, bringing him up because we have I I have manifested Keon Coleman into superstar. Yeah, like, I'm, I'm I am taking him more after this pod. After we, <laughs> yeah. We, yeah. I'm gonna talk He's gonna about him now. for four hours and then draft a shit ton of him uh, yeah. afterwards. Is that's is how it the works. Plan. But I think Brendan Rice is like intriguing. I'm going to mix him in in the last round because I think he flashed and he separated in a bizarre wide receiver room and like didn't really run that. Like he did not run anywhere near as many routes as all these other guys, right? Two, 288, like you know, Marvin ran like, you know, uh, Malik Washington, you know, ran 439 <laughs> routes. Like he almost ran 200 more routes than Brendan Rice. And so that's both tricky, but also like kind of appealing because he was pretty efficient. Yeah, he he's kind of one of the the guys where he he's really good in contested catch situations. Um, and so you know, and and then he also did a lot of his damage on deep targets. So thirty nine percent of his career yards uh, on deep targets. So yeah, I mean he's he's like kind of the reverse Johnny Wilson, where he like fits the archetype. Where yes. I mean he's not massive like Wilson, but um, six three two ten or so. Yeah, he's he's got size, so he's going to be, and he's probably going to be used as a deep threat, and he looks like he can be kind of an interesting contested catch guy. So he's someone I've been a little bit interested in, thinking he might be like a third round pick. I think a very kind of classic, eighteenth round, best ball like mania that. type of pick, like the, and you can mixing him now in the in the twentieth round. So not maybe like a hugest win from a, a closing line value perspective, but. I think someone who's kind of interesting, but yeah, Corley, I keep hearing that I'm going to like Corley. Uh, you know, Davis was saying we, we would like Corley. Uh, we had Zach Toyo on last night on ship chasing who just did the, uh, he took down the FFPC basketball contest and then won the playoff contest too. Amazing. How nuts is that? Absolutely amazing. Yeah. He was saying after the show, he's like, I think Corley is going to be the ship chasing guy. And we are like, Oh my God, Davis is just, so now that the, and and now to hear that you're in to Corley, but Corley hadn't honestly hadn't really popped for me. So what's what's the Corley I don't think, good? I don't think he's going to be the the ship chasing guy. I guess maybe they're trying to 
small school slot receiver. I know Sky was wasn't just like a slot receiver. He turned into that for the Chiefs. I think it's like a honestly. I wish uh, he was a slot receiver. Re- <laughs> yeah, I think it was remnants. It's like remnants <laughs> of Sky, maybe where uh-huh. Corley Corley really dominated at a at a lower level. Um, but I also think he he gets it's a little unfair, but he gets like some Debo comps where he's just like that dude on the field every game that he plays. Like he is in the slot. He does have a lower a dot, but third. So 32% targets per route run, you know, 2.8 ish yards per, uh, did I say targets? Yeah. Yeah. Targets and 2.8 yards per route run, but like 80, 86% in the slot at Western Kentucky, which is like the most fun college offense you can have. They are like the sling it all over the field, throw it every snap. Um, you know, mid-major college offense. But to me, it's he completely dominated <clears throat> at his at his school, at a, at a smaller school. He did step up and play pretty well. Like, they played Ohio State, and I think he was pretty good. Might have had 100 yards in that game against Ohio State. I have to go back and look. They played some big some big schools. Um, but it's, it's much more of, like, he is in right in line with that Malik Washington, Jacob Cowing, like that kind of a guy that you got to buy the – we want this guy's a slot receiver who works well in tight spaces and is a, just a, a playmaker and the NFL teams just want to get him the ball right uh, over in, in the slot type of a type of thing. Well, Wandale, like these guys are like juiced. Wandale's up. Wandale is the Robinson. guy who came to mind. Yeah. Cause I think these guys are juiced, bigger juiced up Wandale Robinson. You broke up there. I, he, he has a shell laid up like Wandale. He kind of reminds me of, of that statistically. There you go. My dogs are running around. Maybe they're the ones breaking my my internet. They're probably like, "Would you get the fuck off of this?" Uh, off of this. Probably uh, should uh, wrap podcast. up. Yes. Uh, pretty good timing. Once we start, once we start getting into Wandale Robinson comps, that is probably a, a a reasonable time. And and I can no longer, as long as we're not on air, I can stop talking. Wishing Keon Coleman being a superstar. In two well, actually, years. hang on. One one more. Yep. I want to give you another opportunity to to say you like someone else. More than uh, Keon Coleman, Xavier Leggett is basically oh. the same archetype, oh, right? No. Where are you at on him? I think him? I like Keon Coleman. I think I like Keon Coleman better than. Okay, uh, all right, all right, good. Then Leggett. Uh, that okay? I said Johnny Wilson might be the weirdest prospect. I think Leggett might be the weirdest prospect. Like we, I can squint and see Malik Washington having done something um, mm-hmm. in his career before this past season, right? You got to squint, but I can squint well, and, and see it. Leggett the other thing is that like, slot receivers, I'm generally more forgiving. Like some of the biggest slot receiver hits have like been pretty bad prospect, like Hunter Renfro, right? Like comes out, yep, starts yep. producing as a slot. He was a bad prospect. Like there's nothing really there, but like if you kind of can, if you can do the kind of thing, if you can get open in a phone and phone booth, you know, at the NFL level, that's very helpful in a certain way. Um, and so I think you want to be a little bit more forgiving if you're specifically looking for a guy who can win out of the slot exclusively. I, I th- you nailed it. And that's kind of my thesis on like these slot receivers that I'm willing to buy. Honest, I don't expect all of them are going to hit, right? Malik Washington, yeah. Malachi Corley, et cetera. They're not all going to hit Jacob Cowing. But I, I think it's a pretty good archetype to continue to buy. I mean, it's the Tank Dell thesis, right? It's the Hunter Renfro thesis, a much better version of Josh Downs, a better version of Wandale Robinson is what we're trying is what we're trying to find. And I'm happy to to make that bet. But once we move outside of that archetype, but the the statistical profile is the same, and I'm no longer in in that archetype is when it starts to get really, really, really scary. And I would like to see like 
something at all. Like I said, I would like to squint <laughs> at least and see something yeah. before that last that last season. And I don't know. I, he also just looks to me like a we did force the ball into his hands his final year because he is like good with the ball in his hands. I think is like the the redeeming quality that he has at South Carolina. Really good kick returner, actually. Big and that I do like that. I'm a big fan. I mean, another Washington Corley uh, cowing. I think those guys return punts and, and stuff like that, which is nice. But he's like he's just like this big athlete, like it is. I think that they just finally said, go out there. Yeah, we're going to throw it to you and like go catch and run afterwards. But I don't think he really has like any refined wide receiver, sk- like wide receiver skills, which like at least these other guys that have flaws have like something, right? Like, okay, I know Keon can do something. I know, you know, I know Malik Washington can do something. I know Cowan can do something. And it's like, what can Leggett do that like none of these other guys can can do at a high level? And like, because like catch and run is not a thing. Like all these guys are big and fast and, you know, can mm-hmm. run away. What can Leggett do that these other guys can't do? I don't know that there's anything. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not into Leggett really at all. He's one of the few guys I'm not that into. Are you? Are you out on the Texas guys? It sounds like. Yeah, I, 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 I've taken some worthy. I've taken some Xavier worthy. Um, I just can't wrap my head around Ad Mitchell. Like uh, again, like where? Do, where did he? make a difference at any point in his in his college career like he caught some long passes for touchdowns at texas i guess but like is the it's certainly the second best wide receiver on his own team was he better than jatavian sanders as a pass catcher i don't know he wasn't all that much better than jordan whittington out of the slot like i I just, I, I can't, I, I, again, I, I'll squint. I'm happy to squint and find something, but like AD Mitchell, other than kind of the big playish, you know, threat that touchdown score down the field type guy. I just don't really see much like you, you, I, I'm leaning on this, the get on base thing. Right. So we'll, 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 we'll double back to me with the get on base thing, but it's like earn some level of volume, like at all, please. And I'll yeah. start to forgive you for some other things. And he just didn't earn anything ever. Um, and I just can't, I just, there's so many other guys I want to take and I want to sprinkle. Like I run out of options. If I keep mixing all these guys that I just really, really don't. He like. did it. He had a 32% dominator rating in his final season, which was his fourth year, I believe, which, you know, we don't love that, but um, you know, that's something They he wasn't efficient. Like ever. At Georgia, 1.68 yards per out run, 1.56, 1.72 when he transferred to Texas. So those are three bad marks. He never flashed, really. The point from, of from being at Georgia, football. the point of being a wide receiver at Georgia is that by sh- the sheer fact of being on the football field on the Georgia offense, you're going to be efficient, right? Like that's the knock on Lad McConkey is that he's not that good. He was just at he was just at, at Georgia, right? That's yeah, the, he was efficient, the, though. Yeah, I know. I know. But that's what I'm saying that the the, the like, yeah. At what point does A.D. Mitchell have to show that he can be efficient in at Georgia and Texas, where everyone is is efficient in all these offenses? Yeah, and it he seems isn't. bad. It doesn't seem Yeah, I, he's honestly like, yeah, I mean, wow. Lad McConkey, 2.71, 2.16, and then 3.26 yards per hour run. That's, uh, I believe, is a fourth year uh, as a senior. But he, he was efficient as an underclassman there, too, and then really also efficient. Also a walk-on, this model year. Lad McConkey. Walked on wow. at Georgia. So, yeah, I mean, A.D. Mitchell, I have to say, and I don't put a ton of stock in this, but he, the highlights are fun on him. He, he's, he's yes, very smooth. Mm-hmm. Like he, he, 
like he looks like an NFL receiver to me. Like, oh, yeah. I see like intermediate, you know, like doing damage kind of like a classic traditional outside NFL receiver. Um, he's, he's big, but not like, so he, he's big in a way where you're like, you can do the normal receiver stuff. Not like big, like I'm going to body you. He's like 196. Honestly, I, and I don't mean this in terms of how good he is, but he looks a little bit stylistically like CD Lamb to me. And that's, I think like stylistically, I'm like, you remind me a little bit of CD, like just the way you move. Actually, he was a, he's a three-year. So the, the final efficiency uh, was a true junior season for AD Mitchell, not a senior year season. So that's better, but. And and that means he did have a breakout as a as a true junior. Yeah. So that's 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 would be maybe the argument. He did break out as a true junior. He's probably going to go second round. Uh, big program. Uh, but yeah, I str- I struggle with him too. He's he feels very. He has a lot of bust potential. I think he is <clears throat> kind of probably like maybe the epitome of um, where I started to center my whole like prospect eval process he is a guy where i would have taken the he looks like right this is again back to that money ball looks like where, a receiver. where the scouts yeah. are like the scouts are like yeah but you should see how he looks in jeans you know it's like <laughs> that's, that's, that's the ad mitchell's like he lead you know he's gonna lead you out of the tunnel when you walk out onto the field right because he just looks like a football player and like you said and the highlights are fun and like they all are. that kind They're of really all fun. that oh, they are and like all that kind of but like i would fall for that and then like but i take a step back and i'm like just about every single like production level metric is either uninspiring or bad. And I'm just like, I I just, I'm, I'm trying to stick to again, you know, to keep kind of saying the same thing, but I'm just trying to stick to at least give me a glimmer of like, like I can squint and see, all right, there was that right. Like Puka had that a, a perfect way to like segue into people would say, well, Puka didn't produce. I'm like, well, Puka was really, really efficient on a small sample of, of stuff because he injuries and missed games and a weird offense and all that kind of stuff. But when he was on the floor, when he was on the floor, Jesus, when he was on the field, he was getting the ball and he was efficient with his yardage when giving the ball. And it's like, so I could, like, it was weird, but I could squint. And now when I look back and you see Puka, you're like, Oh, I, I get it. Like I uh, yards per hour run targets per hour run, right? Everything early, see, you know, early career breakout, blah, blah, blah. Like all this stuff I can see, the reasons why Puka was a thing. And so then when I start to see these other guys and I'm like, I need them to be an outlier in so many ways, <laughs> in like so many ways that it starts to really stack up a long parlay. And these guys are already long parlays. That's just the kind of guy I'm I'm, I'm going to be. Yeah. I mean, Puka is, you know, I already cared about yards per hour run, but he's kind of the yards per hour run hero where, you know, he peaks at, at BYU uh, in 2022 at 3.53 yards per hour run, but 3.44 the year before that, 2.60 in 2020, uh, only 58 routes there, and then an only 38 routes at Washington in 2019. So we shouldn't even really cite the number because it's too yeah. small, but let's do it. 4.42 <laughs> yards per hour run. I mean, you know, as an underclassman, mostly driven by that first BYU season, he was super efficient. Like anytime he was on the field, he was super efficient. And, you know, then he was, then he closed it out super efficient too. Um, AD Mitchell never flashed anything close to that. Like the worst season 
that Puka ever had was still significantly more efficient than the best season that A.D. Mitchell ever had. Yards per out run is not the only thing, but it's, I don't know. It's just, it makes me a little nervous. I, I tried to take a little bit more of him because I feel like I never took him. Um, and same with Worthy. Worthy's cheaper, actually, in these best ball drafts, and he was yeah, I think more efficient. Flip. And I don't like yeah, they probably should flip, Worthy right? either. I just think that they should flip, yeah. Kyle Dvorak was on that. He was like worthy over Mitchell like early on. It was one of his the first takes um, that I. Where's he got the dropsies? Where he's got the dropsies uh, sometimes too. But he uh, well, he's uh, very small. He's like one seventy two. Yes, but he gets open and he gets open down the field and he does earn targets. Uh, He was not the most efficient. A little bit of dropsies, a little bit of uh, some other stuff. But I, I found him to be at least mildly interesting, right? More so than AD. I'm not like hammering Xavier Worthy, but like comparing him to AD Mitchell, I can find like, again, I can squint and see, hmm, okay. Like there's something possibly here. I, I just, that's a, AD Mitchell is a good example. Like more so, I, I shouldn't have dunked on Keon Coleman because I can squint and see something that that, that is valuable. And of course we have the, uh, you know, probable draft capital that makes a lot of sense. AD Mitchell is the guy where like, I I can't, I just, I can't even squint and see something. And so when I have this, I have this freaking buffet of wider, we just went through like 30 dudes and I can like tell I myself, so many guys. Draft, I can draft all these guys. Like, and I want to draft all these guys. So like, I got to make cuts somewhere. You know what I mean? Like, that's why I'm being more strongly negative towards, towards just a small subset of these guys, because I have to make some cuts somewhere to get, right. I want a sprinkle of Tez. I want a sprinkle of Brendan Rice. I want, you know, I want to be way overweight Troy Franklin. I want to have my Brian Thomas. Like, if I want to have all these guys, like, I can't draft only rookies on <laughs> I can draft right. a lot of rookies, but I can't draft nine on, on every team. You know what I mean? So I mean, maybe I'll test it out. That, that's what the AD, Mitchell, the AD Mitchell team will come on the nine rookie wide receiver team. Yeah, I just lowered him in the ranks. I, I, I'm nervous about him. Um, yeah, it's just... He's going to have some draft capital, but like you said, there's so many guys that I want to be taking. Um, and I'm moving, I'm moving Savior Worthy ahead. I love it. Um, so people can, the pe- people can hear it. What I would like to do, and I'm at, Pat hasn't, hasn't heard this, is double back once we get, uh, we probably don't have to do it after the combine, but like sh- one of the first episodes that we'll do after, um, you know, in BBM season after the NFL draft is kind of be like, okay, we had a marathon episode talking through every rookie that we like and our rookie strategy and all that. Now what? Right. They landed in those spots. You know, you liked Malik Washington and he went undrafted. Okay. Yeah, clear toss schedule, him the, by the way. Toss, you, him, you, we're... <laughs> toss him in the garbage bin. Right. Oh, Keon Coleman went to the chiefs. What are you doing now? Dum dum. You know, like, what? <laughs> like reassess, re- reassess, because I think that's important right now. We're flying so 100%. blind that we're trying to make the best decisions possible, but then we'll totally reassess, you know, at the end of April. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that'll be, that'll be an interesting couple of days of podcasting. Yes. Yes, it definitely will. I know the people will laugh. Uh, my wife's already laughing at me for how long we went on this one, but I'm going to say selfishly, it was super helpful for me. Like I was moving. Oh guys no, around. this was a lot of fun. I was moving guys around and taking notes and, you know, being like, you like, so hopefully some people get some enjoyment out of it. Cause it was extremely actionably helpful for me. There's a lot to think through with this rookie class. Yeah. So I, I mean, honestly, like I'm not, the thing is, like, this is all I'm going to be doing for like the next like couple months. So, like, what's this is just like a four hour window into like basically what I'm going to be thinking about most of my working hours. So, right. 
Um, you know, although we do have to think about the veterans a little bit, just a little bit. Yeah, maybe we'll see. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> and just, just draft the ones that uh, I drafted last year. Right. That's the, that's what we do. We stick to that. I've done stuff. a lot of that. Yeah, <laughs> like this team looks a lot like a team I had last year. Just we'll in different talk, order. Pat, Pat and I will schedule something because I do want to talk maybe like some of the second year players, younger players yeah, cool. about like, what do we do? Right. So we got our rookies that we like now. You guys are all settled in with the rookies that we want to draft. What young players, how high are we taking the young players that we think have shown us that they're good? What do we do with the ones who maybe showed us that they're bad? Right. right. Uh, is is Jackson Smith and Jigbo a waterfall? I don't know. We're going to find out. Right. Is Kyle Pitts? You know, what What do we do with those kind of guys? I think is a fun kind of next step to this conversation. So we can get that one on the book soon. Sweet. All right. Anything else for the folks? No, nah, I feel like we covered it in four and a, four hours and five minutes. Wasn't sure if, you know, <laughs> anything super pressing that we didn't cover in, you know, the, the, I think I slept. This is more hours than I slept last night. Uh, we spent we spent talking. Any Javon um, Baker thoughts? Yeah, yeah, it is funny because <laughs> I draft a bunch. I draft, <laughs> I know, but I've drafted a bunch of him and we didn't touch on him, which tells you about how disgustingly long this conversation it's was. Crazy. That there's still more that we could have got to. But enjoy. Use promo code Leg Up if you stuck around for this four hours. The two of you that are still listening, uh, promo code Leg Up for forty percent off any Spike Week product, including our new. 2024 NFL Best Ball Almanac, which has my rookie rankings, rookie breakdowns, and tons of other stuff. We'll be back next week, sometime soon. Hit like and subscribe, all that fun stuff. We'll see you guys next time. Peace. Those were some spicy takes. Want to stay up to date with all of the other spicy takes we're going to have over here at Spike Week? Why don't you press that subscribe button below? You turn notifications on, we draft a team, boom, you know about it. We have another spicy take, boom, you know about it. You can be there. You can draft with us. You want to stay up to date? That's how you do it. All right, we'll catch you later next time here at Spike Week.